It was a triple murder, mid-90s, down a country lane. You know, they bit of have a reputation, I suppose, for being a fighter and that sort of stuff. So we got to know all of them. And then I moved to Southend, and that is where I first come in contact with Tony Tucker, obviously one of the Rettendon three. It's all fueled up. They're meant to be big drug dealers with lots of money and all this sort of stuff. Mate, the truth is exactly the opposite. Obviously, I was around the table when the hit was ordered, right? They've turned the world into a junkie <laughs> and now they've got to feed it. So we knew who the informants were and they were being run by police and we were getting told by police. That's a fact. We're doing the job that the police have wanted to do for years. So what it is, the police have all become our friends. We assist them sometimes in, in trouble and that. So we get to know the police, very friendly with them. So I ring up this unit, a specialist intelligence unit. Right, my name's David Corston, but I live here. Is my contact number. Get a pen. That night, right, after hearing all that, I made the decision, if there was anything I could ever do to help combat this stuff in the future at a high level, then I would take action. It's war, and I'm prepared to go to war. That's the offer. I wanted them to know it, and I was prepared to die for what I knew. I walked to the door, but I got my hands behind my back. They're on the triggers, mate, it's a dangerous thing to do. They think I've got two guns. If I'd have just gone like that, dragged my hands out of my shorts round, mate, any excuse I could have got done. Look, if you get involved in drugs today, don't even think about it. You will never get right to where I got. Thanks for watching the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Atlas VPN. Right now, I'm going to change my phone so that I am registered out of America. Let's go with Dallas, Texas, shall we? Just like that, I can now access everything online that our American friends can access, whereas previously I was blocked. And we've got the best VPN deal on the market. Enjoy the most affordable online protection for just $1.83 a month, which is just over a pound, and three months extra with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect unlimited devices. Atlas VPN protects all your devices with a single subscription. You can grab this summer deal now because Atlas VPN Premium is just $1.83 a month, plus three months extra. And with a 30-day money-back guarantee, protect your privacy and get many benefits of Atlas VPN for the ridiculously low price. You can take this deal by clicking the link in the video description below on YouTube. Be quick, as it's a limited-time offer. Thanks for checking out our sponsor, Back to the Podcast. So, you're about to go on an insane journey into one of the craziest stories you've ever heard on the channel. I mean, we've had people on talking about the Essex Boys so far, but this story goes way beyond that. Which Dave here has had an Osmond warning. If you're in America, that means the police come and tell you there's a hit on you, basically. Um, the association with the Essex Boys, selling guns to cops. Jerry Adams of Sinn Féin is involved here. Dave pulled a gun on an arm response team and lived is the only person that's ever happened in the whole of the UK. 
section for two years. They did a campaign against him, tried to destroy his reputation, tried to stop him from whistleblowing on certain things. And the things he was whistleblowing on are so big, we probably can't even encompass them all in this podcast without getting in trouble. But you'll you'll have a good understanding by the time we get to the end of this where we are going. So huge thank you for coming on, Dave, and doing this. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. It's the first time you're telling your story, isn't it? Well, I'd done one with Bernard O'Mahony. It lasted two hours, ten minutes. He cut an hour from it. And he put it up for one day, but was asked to take it down by one of his colleagues who's got a documentary coming out, another Essex boy one, Revelation Films, that's coming out at the end of September. And I've got a part in that. But he wanted it taken down because he hasn't sold the part yet, the programme. So Bernard took it down after one day. It was on a Sunday Bernard put it up and it got 18,000 views, which is quite a lot on it for one day on a Sunday. Yes. Yeah. But it lasted an hour long. It was all right, but I don't think you sort of get the real gist, hopefully, what this one might get. Yeah, we won't cut anything out. Yeah, Before yeah. we get to the mayhem then, you just want to tell the viewers yeah. that you're not here to glamorise any of this, are you? No, no. I'll be not anti-police. I'll be, I'm pro-police, and you'll hear my views on them. Um, also, I'll give warnings and advice in people who even want to touch drugs. You get involved in it, it's not the way to go, but I'll explain all that as we go through the interview. And obviously, like myself, if you get involved with guns, then it can not end well. And I will prove that. Obviously, I got shot and nearly murdered, and that's confirmed. It's not me saying it. And what I like to ask is, obviously, look, Sean's seen a lot of this stuff. I sent him it ages ago. Bernard can confirm it. There's a reporter, John Austin, he can confirm it all. It goes to many levels here and off them levels and many other levels. So we're keeping it focused on what the public need to know. Other stuff is just too out there. And I can confirm that I've read reams of paperwork, and this is just a minuscule little fraction of what Dave's got. He's like a a library, an encyclopedia of paperwork and files and all these cases all thoroughly backed up. Yeah. Obviously, we've got a lot of information, intelligence reports and stuff that I'm not meant to have. You know, very important. Half this stuff I'm not meant to have. Also, backing it up, Sean's seen photographs of it. There's seven voice recorders with at least 200 conversations. And you'll get details of some of these agencies, you know, and that's it. So, Dave, before all this happened, which is quite a lot, what was your life like? Was it Were you normal? Yeah, I had a beautiful childhood. I grew up in Chumsford, Essex, on this estate called Melbourne Farm. I had the perfect childhood. I've got a younger brother, Andrew, two and a half years younger than me. Funny enough, he was a former Essex policeman <laughs> in the traffic division at Harlow. Yeah, he was, yeah. Not for long, about five years. He's, uh, we're completely different. He is a proper family man, straight punter, as my mother and father were, very law-abiding. None of them even had a parking ticket. Whereas, obviously, like Dave Courtney says, I think you're born bad. And I obviously had that gene in me and I was completely different to my brother and parents. So growing up was all perfect. I had the great childhood, fields, dens and all that sort of stuff on a council estate. You know, we didn't have much, but my parents done everything they could. Really loving, loving parents and a fantastic childhood. Really grateful to them. Did you get into bodybuilding at a young age? Yeah, what it was, a friend of mine at school, right, at 15, got into bodybuilding. He didn't bother attending school the last six months and he got in with bodybuilders in Chumsford and started doing steroids. 
Now, what it was, I started training with him at 17 because I was driving. I was an apprentice at Marconi's on £30 a week or just a bit more. And we used to go from Chumpsford four times a week to a gym in Leightonstone, East London called Hyams. And we trained there. And what it was, obviously, he got me on the steroids very quick. Now, I'm not glamorizing steroids right there is i think a link to aggression potentially if you are that way inclined but if you want to put on muscle well i went from 11 and a half stone to 16 stone in a year right so obviously you're 11 and a half stone one minute a year later you're 16 stone with the right training obviously he knew how to train he knew what drugs to take and mate you can really accelerate yourself and grow and what it was i wanted to do the competitions from that, obviously, look, it's down these gyms, it wasn't like the gyms today, the fancy ones and all this with the swimming pools and stuff. It was more your spit and sawdust sort of gyms, and that had the criminal element like within them. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> Did that, the training, open the door into the underworld? Yeah, the underworld, yeah, good. Yeah, well, what it was, obviously... Um, yeah, there's people down gyms, obviously, a lot of them are doing door work and sort of security and stuff. And, and you know, they bit of have a reputation, I suppose, for being a fighter and that sort of stuff. So we got to know all of them. Obviously, you know, it was good times. We had some good laughs. And what it was, I was asked to stand in one night for someone else at a club in Mile End, East London called Lipsticks. It's not there now, it's well pulled down. And I was 17 at the time. Really, mate, it was a bit out of my depth, right? I was phoning at the deep end, but it was an experience. From that night, and, and that I was due to stand in for a fellow they called a colonel. Am I allowed to name him? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Mark Rovermel. He's quite well known in circles and stuff. There was a big thing where he got pulled in for cutting someone's head and hands off. He's well known. Uh, I've seen him a couple of times, the colonel. So I stood in for him. And then from that, I started doing work in Basildon. And then I moved to Southend. And that is where I first come in contact with Tony Tucker, obviously one of the Rettendon three. So, you know, we've got a big international audience. Uh, Tucker is a character in this movie, Essex Boys, Rise of the Foot Soldiers, all that kind of stuff. Do you want to just explain who these characters are for people who aren't familiar with yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, it was a triple murder mid-90s, down a country lane. Now, they've made numerous films about it, numerous documentaries and stuff. Basically, it's probably, I think there have been other trip, one other triple murder I, I'm aware of, um, where someone went in and opened a submachine gun and killed three drug dealers. I think that was in um, Luton somewhere. I've got the details of it. But this murder sort of took a triple murder to another level. It's obviously a very serious offence. There's not many triple murders within the UK, like I say. I think there's only this one and the other one. And obviously, it was portrayed as something that they're not. Obviously, they portray them through the media and stuff. It's all fueled up. They're meant to be big drug dealers with lots of money and all this sort of stuff. The truth is exactly the opposite. I mean, their biggest deal when they got shot was with Mickey Steele and Jack Rome's, I think it was 80 kilos of cannabis. Mate, I've got evidence, and you've seen it, where I trafficked over, mate, over 100 tonnes in a year, right? And that was through the 90s. So I'm doing over two tonne a week, right? They're on 80 kilos all between them. And I think they had to borrow 40 grand off someone else for that, they did. Mate, my car 20 years ago was 104 grand, and the number of plates, mate, so my car is double what their biggest deal is. You know, they are not what they say. I think Tucker had a house valued at the time of quarter million pound. Now, on their Facebook groups 
and even in the Sky documentaries and stuff, the ex-detectives who were involved in this case and were investigating it all and trying to get it sort of overturned, saying they're innocent and that, right? They're saying that that was all paid for cash and linked to a robbery I was involved with and all this sort of stuff. No, it was mortgage to the hilt. You know, Essex police who run that investigation, the first thing you would do is look into their financials. You know what I mean? You would see if there was anything paid off, then you would trace that money because potentially that could be a link to their murders. So the media big all this up and it's just big hype. They are nothing compared to what they are made out to be. Yeah, obviously, you know, there was a level of violence there. I believe unacceptable violence, you know. And, and I'll go to the prison, how I met Tate. Tate was completely different to Tucker. A lot of respect for Tate, a lovely man. And I'll tell you, I met him sort of as we go. But obviously, that's my connection to that. And what it is, mate, it was my theory anyway, that I would explain when we get to it all in the right time, how the ex-detectives even linked the robbery I was involved with, with Tony Tucker, to the murders. So Tucker was who you met first? Yes. How old were you? I was 17 when I met Tony Tucker. I met him at a club in Southend called Chivago's. He was head doorman there. Now, look, I'm not going to slag off the dead, right? But my opinion of Tucker is not a good one, right? That's me personally for what I was involved with and what happened with me. Other people would have different opinions. That's down to them, you know, but my opinion is the truth. But obviously, you know, that first night in Southend, I see Tony Tucker for what he was. Now, there was young girl who come up a club obviously it's the first night I've worked there and clearly she was underage we'll tuck a letter in and then he offered me if I wanted to go out the back and have a little play with her now I was seeing a girl at the time living with her it, it wasn't for me right but others were going out the back and playing with this girl now mate I don't know how old was she 15 16 I don't know she certainly wasn't 18 to be allowed in there. So on that very first night, I see that he had a thing for younger girls. And in this written investigation, obviously that is all confirmed with his girlfriend and all this sort of stuff. I'm not saying he's a kiddie thing, but obviously, you know what I mean? I see it firsthand. And how, what about the violence on I, the door? Yeah. Back then, obviously... It was thugs and people who could have fights working doors. And I'll explain this with Ipswich, how sort of you control it and then you can sort of take over and start selling the drugs and this sort of thing. Everyone wants to be your friend, including police. I'll get to that. I don't want to jump the gun here. But certainly, you know, there is levels of violence. Some of it, you know, is not acceptable and some of it is warranted. That's really all I'd like to say on it. All right, so you're in your late teens then. What were the other big things that happened in your life well i started working doors as i say and then at the time i was with my first wife and my first child my daughter and then i was working during the day as a normal job for the electricity board on the overhead power lines and then doing door work at night and what it was when a club opened in ipswich called hollywoods what was linked to one in romford called hollywoods that opened up i decided to go full time there five nights a week 40 pound a night which was 200 pound what was you know at the time a lot of money so i give up my day job and i thought i'll go and stand on the door for a few hours five nights a week get 200 quid i can train all day doss about lovely but by doing that what it was i met a barmaid and all that sort of stuff and i ended up leaving my wife and that moving up there was the gateway to crime basically what it was when we moved to ipswich hollywoods 
We was all dormant from South End Romford. We didn't have a clue about people in Ipswich. But we had a meeting with the police. They set up a meeting with us. And they said, right, there's people in Ipswich who have problems and all this. They're violent, they're this and that. These are their names, all the rest of it. We didn't give a toss who they were. We didn't know them. So what happened was when Hollywood's Ipswich opened, everyone up there went to the club. And these people who were meant to be this and that and who had terrorised the local community in town, if you like, were getting chinned and up left, right and centre, right, and getting smacked out. And that is how we first come into contact with many police officers in Suffolk. Now, what it is, when they profile people, these agencies who I link to later on, MI5 and people like that, mate, they have to go right back to childhood to do it properly. Because they would see, growing up, I had many people, good friends, who went in the police force, and some in military. So they wouldn't have even known about them. But when we started up in Ipswich, like I say, people are getting chin left, right and centre. The, we're doing the job that the police have wanted to do for years. So what it is, the police have all become our friends, we assist them sometimes in, in trouble and that. So we get to know the police, very friendly with them. We start associating, going around their houses for dinners and stuff like this. And they was in all sorts of units. One was a firearms officer. We were playing with his guns and stuff, right? And, and obviously from that also, right, at the time I wasn't involved in drugs, but that, you know, we, we sort of get into that scene. And obviously then there's more of a criminal element to it than that. From then, obviously, comes the robbery, now, what it was, it was a hijacking of a security van in Haynault, which is East London. 495,000 was stolen. Now, obviously, I've got a link to that. I'm not going to say I did it or we did it, right? But, you know, let's just say the police believe that it's true. But we were set and fitted up. Now, do you want me to explain that? Yes, please. The beginning? Well, what it is, I think, when I got nicked, I was 25. So I'd been at Ipswich, I think, for 18 months. It was all going well. And let's just say um, I knew the van driver because I part-time for a while worked for Group 4. I was the driver, and this other fella who's linked to the robbery, who they say were the inside man, a fella called John Aiken, I knew him. So before I moved to Ipswich... I worked for a short time for Group 4. Now, what the police will say is, I only know this by what Scotland Yard Flying Squad told us. Apparently, a bag of £15,000 went missing out of the vaults, right? Which is impossible. A good driver tank for it. But what they say is that £15,000 was taken by me and John Aiken, and that gave us the idea to obviously take the lot, right, if you like. So anyway, let's get to it. What happened was, right, this is quite comical, and it involves me dear mother, bless her, who's dead now. Um, what happened was, I was looking after a stolen car, and I'd been hiding it in Ipswich for a couple of weeks. It was a Jaguar that had been stolen in East London, a gold Jaguar, one of them Daimler things, you know, 4.2 litre things. That's something like an old man's car, isn't it? Well, I'd plotted it up in Ipswich at a friend of mine's behind his block of flats, and the back quarter light window was missing, where they've obviously nicked it, right? So I parked that against the wall so no one would see. Now, the night before this robbery, right, alleged robbery, but it did happen, right, I drive the car down to Chelmsford, to me mother's address for some reason or other. I had to collect something. Now, what it was, mate, and I learnt this lesson very quickly, Dave, 
you got a big mouth at that time. Do not open it since, right? What it was, because I was seeing a barmaid at Ipswich and I wanted to get back with my wife, right? So I told her I was coming into some money and all this sort of stuff to try and woo her back, right? She knew it was something dodgy. So she told my dear mum, bless her. And what happened was there's a family friend who was a policeman, Colin Reynolds, his name. He obviously told Essex police. So anyway, the night that I'm going to visit my mum, they knew what was happening. So I remember pulling up in the Jaguar outside my mum's house like that. I went into my mum's house. I must have had a cup of tea or something. I can't remember what I collected. Something silly. I don't even know why I went to my mother's. Anyway, as I got out, it was a bit dark. And I said, see you, mum. And I walked to the car like that. As I get in the Jaguar car, I sit in it. And all of a sudden, a car comes screaming up at the front of me like that. And the geezer's <laughs> glaring at me like that. And the first thing I thought was... Is this his car? You know what I mean? That's what went through my thing. And then a, another car pulled up at the side, and it's police, isn't it? Mm. So, of course, I get dragged out and arrested. I get taken to the Chumpsford Police Station, right? And I'm put in the cells overnight, and that's that. Caught with a stolen car. The very next morning, about, I can't remember what time it was, nine o'clock or something like that, some sergeant opens up my cell door, and he says... You all right? I went, yeah. He said, funny. He said, there's been a big armed robbery right near where that car was stolen. I went, shit, <laughs> what, so they've done it, do you know what I mean, now think about it, if that's true, right, hold on a minute, what, if you're the robbery team, and you're waiting for me, the getaway driver, and I don't turn up, right, one or two things must have happened, either I've bottled it, right, and I'm not going to get involved, right, or potentially I could have grasped them up, and police could have been waiting, well, what happened then was, as I'm locked up, allegedly, right, the others involved, which is John Aiken, a fella called Dave Redwin who's dead, a fella called Roger Barkley, a black fella who's alive, and there was another fella, I'll call him Mr. T, I don't want to name him, because he got pulled in as the alleged gunman, he's the brother of one of them, basically, I won't say his name now, out of respect to him, so anyway, they said he was a gunman, right, so you had three robbers and the inside man, I'm locked up, right, and this robbery's gone ahead, the van was hijacked outside the news agency in Whale Bone Lane, Dagnum. Now, what it is, right, <laughs> them vans, they go to the vaults in Wapping and they load up with money. And 495000 right, weren't even a lot of money. Sometimes there'd be a million and a half in there. That was what they were licensed to carry maximum, right? So, look, if we've got an inside man, mate, really, we want to go for the bigger load, right? So we could have done that any day right not that day you didn't need to do it that day why would you do it if i haven't turned up mate that is an insane thing to potentially do but that is what they allege happened so anyway what it was the van driver right john now you're not meant to stop once you hit them vaults you're meant to race back to whitham and then the money gets divided up into three vans right and out they go for the day delivering mainly to tsb banks now what it was mate for weeks, every day, they leave the vaults in Wapping and they stop at the same news agents to walk in and buy a newspaper. All right, you could say, was it planned or not? But that's what they all used to do. Right, every driver, no matter who they were, would stop at this news agent. It's on the way home. You're not meant to get out, get some things and then drive back. That is not allowed. Right, but they were breaking the rules, obviously. So what happened was when they stopped at the news agents this day, a gunman jumped in with not the van driver, the other guard, and they got taken to Hainault Forest 
tied up, no Epping Forest, tied up to a tree and all that, and the money got taken. Now, they said that one of the robbers, Barclay, used his own van in the job, right? But straight away, one witness got the registration for this. Now, this is what we can't work out, right? We don't understand why he wasn't pulled in and questioned straight away, right? What happened was that seven months later, right, we're arrested. Now, the part they said Tony Tucker played, right, he was the middle. The robbers were at Hollywood's Romford, based there, and I was based at Ipswich. The van driver was Whitton in the middle. He didn't work on the doors. So what they said Tucker's role was, was like going between us, mm. bringing up money and this sort of stuff. So like messages, this sort of stuff. Because obviously, look, if you were involved in something like that, you would realise that potentially you could be under surveillance or, you know, a suspect. So the best way is to all keep out the way of each other, obviously, you know, sensible, wouldn't it? So what happened was seven months later, Given their due, Scotland Yard flying squad out of rig approach in East London, this unit, they didn't kick the door off and all that sort of stuff. I just bought, right, just on mortgage, it was a three bedroom house in Ipswich, right, 62 grand. That's how much they were back then, brand new, right? <laughs> Cheap as anything, isn't it? Right, look at what they are now. So I just bought that house with my girlfriend, who I was being the barmaid bird. She moved in there with me. There's a knock on the door early morning, right? I open the curtains and I see a whole team outside, men and women, and it, so it's police. So they didn't kick the door off or come in with guns, right? And obviously it was an armed robbery. So I'll give them that respect anyway they come in straight away they took me downstairs into the kitchen and the women went up to deal with my girlfriend Haley at the time right so they're speaking to her I'm downstairs in the kitchen now I don't tell lies this is exactly what happened and this is one of the things why all we got off on appeal this is what they've done to me right I'll tell you afterwards what happened to the others now what it was I remember sitting in the kitchen and you had two officers I'm not allowed to name them right no. Right, okay. Right, so you got two officers. Now, they sat there, and start, straight away, they start trying to put pressure on you. That's their sort of tactics. You know, and they're a heavy unit. Obviously, they were armed, but they didn't start getting their guns out and pointing at me. They start saying, we know you had that bag away, 15 grand and all that, and I'm just denying it and stuff. And then they're sort of trying to talk to me, but I'm not really engaging. And they're searching the house and stuff. Hayley's upstairs in the bedroom with the women. Right, then she's allowed to leave. Right, well, she's been so she goes. If they'd have followed Haley back to her mum's house, they'd have found a South African sort of shotgun, right? But anyway, they didn't go and spin out, so I'm lucky they didn't get a weapon then, right? So, anyway, so I'm sitting in the kitchen, I'm talking to these officers, they're putting the pressure on, yeah, you've done this and done that. I said, I've done nothing, and all that. And then what it was, they'd done a list of four items out of the house that they wanted to take with them. And this is where, look, my inexperience of dealing with these people, you should never, ever, this is a, a lesson here, never sign or say anything mm. is the best approach, right? I made the mistake, like a fool, of signing something. What it was, he had a notebook, and in a notebook, he wrote down some of these items he wanted to take, sort of as evidence. I don't know what evidence they were, because I'll tell you what they were now. One was a silly Gucci watch worth about 400 quid. He put down Gucci watch, took that. One was a £200 pay packet of my wages for the door work from the night before, all sealed up, you know, the little brown envelope, 200 quid. He took that. Well, hold on, that's legit. So £200. And then I can't remember what the other two were. Something, I, can't, I really can't remember, right? So anyway, what he said to me, he said, Dave, he put underneath, sign if correct. Right, he said, Dave, would you sign these, he said, so we can take them and all that. I went, yeah, not a problem. So I signed my name. 
Anyway, what happened was I get taken right to Epping Police Station and obviously then I'm interviewed. Now, I didn't go no comment. I spoke to him, right? And obviously said not that and all the rest of it. We found out that John Aiken, the van driver, he got arrested at Whitham. At the same time, it was all like a planned strike, assault and all of us. And the gunman, who never got charged, he got pulled in as well, the brother of one of the others, right? So he gets pulled in. Dave Redwin and Roger Barkley are on holiday in Spain at this point in time. Now, it's confirmed, the ex-detectives leading this written investigation or reinvestigation confirm that Tony Tucker, the one who was shot, didn't get pulled in at the same time as us in a coordinated raid. He got interviewed at his supplement shop, right, in Ilford. So that shop must have opened at nine o'clock in the morning, right? We get knocked up at six. He's allowed to go to the shop and he gets a, questioned. It says they questioned him at his shop. Well, why is he not arrested at six o'clock and taken to a police station and, and interviewed under caution like us if they believed his involvement? You know, we're all involved. It doesn't matter what, what level. This is a half a million pound armed robbery. And it doesn't sound a lot now, half a million quid. Mate, I've lost more than that in one hit. But, mate, back then, it's a lot of money. But obviously, look, really, if you were thinking about it, I should have just got one person, my mate, and me and John could have taken a lot between us. You didn't need all this nonsense. You didn't need all these robbers and stuff. You didn't need guns and all that. Right? We should have just done it ourselves. But that's what happened. So Tucker was interviewed at his shop. Now, look, I say he grasped us up. He was up and coming with his new security company and this sort of business. He, he was sort of flying high, higher than us. You know, he just bought a new XJS or a second-hand XJS, which was quite a nice car, far better than what we were driving and all this. And, you know, he had the business. I think it was on about a grand a week. You know, we're, we're on 200 quid. So that's it. So he didn't want to risk losing that. Right, so without a doubt, look, mate, look, our Sam ex-detectives, they confirm, it's on their Facebook groups, he was questioned at his shop, and that's that. How are you not arrested under caution? I don't know. So that alone tells me something. It's a fact. This, this is not me saying that. These are the facts. So people make your own mind up, isn't it? Right? So so that's it. Oh, also, they took my Mondeo, a five grand Mondeo. They seized that as well, right? But I got that back later. So so that's what they took off me. Now, what it was, obviously, I went to Epping, right? John went somewhere else. They sort of split you up, this team, and then they walk into police stations, and they're all high and mighty. They can just walk in any police station. It's flying squad. We're flying squad. Yeah, we're taking over. We've got this one and all that stuff. So they put me in the cells, questioned me. I spoke with them, right? The gunman give a no comment, and John, the van driver, obviously he had to speak to him as well. Right? He can't sit there going, no comment. He has to say, look, it's nothing to do with me, I'm a van driver, blah, blah, blah. I was robbed, okay? So this is seven months after the robbery. They found no guns, no money, no getaway car, right? No one made a statement against anyone. I say Tucker grasped and said, yeah, you're right along the right lines, right? and he was never charged. The gunman who was pulled in, he never got charged. I don't know how, he never grasped, but he didn't. Me and John got remanded in Chumpsford Jail. We went to the magistrate's court, we got remanded. The other two, Redwin and Barkley, they're still on holiday in Spain, right? They get arrested a week later, right? Now, the ex-detectives say there was a big surveillance operation in Spain. No, there wasn't. They come back at the airport and got arrested. They knew they were going to be arrested. But look, that again is a fatal flaw. If there's half a million pound missing, right, then that's a lot of money you can go on the run with. Right, so I don't know why they just didn't wait for them to come back or even arrest us well before. I don't know why they waited seven months to put this together. Because to me, look... 
their other doorman, Michael Kelly, Lee Chapman, all that, they all knew because we were telling everyone. So basically, none of us could sort of keep our mouths shut. The ones involved in the robbery side of it, they were driving around in new, sort of like big BMWs with two grand stereos and XJSs. They was flashing the money about. So, you know, it's obvious what went on in it. So that's that. So what happened was, me and John get reminded in chumps for jail. I'll get back to that in a minute. A week later, Redwin and Barkley come back. They get arrested at the airport. Now, what they say in their statements was, on the way from the airport to the police station, they admit it all. Like, oh, who grasped us? Yeah, we've spent all the money and all that. It's called verbal, right? It's a tactic that this squad used. But again, I'm inexperienced. I'm not an armed robber, certainly not a professional criminal. Right? I'm a doorman. I've got limited experience, right? And we didn't know these sort of tactics of what they'd use. Certainly, I didn't think they'd be as dirty to me as what you sort of hear to others. I didn't think they'd never do this to me, right? So what happened was we all end up, Barkley and Reverend also get reminded in Chelmsford. So that is when I went to Chelmsford, and that is when I met Pat Tate, the other one who was shot in the Range Rover. Now, as soon as we got into Chumpsford, bear in mind, we were 18 stone, all roided up and dormant. As soon as we got on sea wing, Pat was sort of running the wing. Lovely fella. I've got the utmost respect for Pat. He was a really decent man who, who took me under his wing and, and got me the best job. I was in the best cells, everything, all down to Pat. And obviously, the one who shot Pat, involved in the retinal thing, people will know what I'm talking about, Steve Nitrellis. I spent seven months in the same cell as Stevie Ellis. So both of us were right next to Pat. We was all on the cleaners. We was open all day and all that. We had the best food and everything. We was all training together. And chumps were back then. Look, it's not like the jails. Obviously, I've done a bit of time for this recent gun in 2018. Chumps were back then is nothing like chumps for now. Back then, you know, in 90, I think it was, we got arrested, 91, through that sort of time, mate, you had proper criminals, proper armed robbers, proper drug trafficking teams, amphetamine, real decent people, right? You didn't get your wannabe gangsters, your junkies and all that. There was hardly any drugs in there at that point in time, right? So it was a completely different environment. Would I say it was enjoyable? Mate, uh, it's a really good experience that, you know, it's, it's, it, it sort of, you know, it opens you up and you get involved. I started learning when I went to Chelmsford Jail about the drug business. Before, I didn't have a clue. Well, I was a doorman. Obviously, like, I've sort of taken drugs off people, whatever. I never even taken drugs until I went to jail and Pat Tate gave me my first ever pill on my 25th birthday in the same cell as Stevie Ellis. I remember they spiked me up and I was reading a book like that and Ellis was on top. He liked to be near the window and I was down below and I remember thinking, this is a good book. <laughs> and then he started laughing. I said, this is a good book. He just started laughing. That's where it all came out. So my first ever drug, an ecstasy tablet, was given to me by Pat Tate and Nick Ellis, obviously linked to Rittenden in Chumps of Jail. I'd never taken any before. Obviously, now they're doing it at school. right? So, so that was that. Now, what happened was uh, Redwin and Barkley, within like a month of being there, they went to Crown Court and got bail on a surety. So they got released. I'd done seven months on remand and then I got bail. My mum put her house up for 50 grand and they let me out. And then I think I spent nine months out on bail. I moved back to Ipswich and then we had a trial at Chumpsford Crown Court, all of us. Right, the gunman never got charged, so you got four of us. You got the van driver, John, me, right? I got charged with aiding the betting. They were charged with armed robbery. You had Redwin and Barkley, obviously, the two robbers. So there's four of us. Now, we had a trial at Chelmsford Crown Court, Judge Peter Beaumont Court 6. The first week is like a pre-trial where they come in, all the barristers, and they decide what evidence can be kept in, what evidence can't, this sort of stuff. 
obviously, no, we're all sitting there. This is sort of quite new. I've never been in Crown Court before, and it ain't a pleasant experience, is it? Mm. But when there's four of you, it, it, it's a lot less pressure than when there's one of you. Right. But obviously we know the consequences and the sort of sentences that they were giving out by people who were coming and going in chumps and you know, going to court. It was a standard, basically 15 years for robbery, armed robbery at that point in time. If you got caught with one kilo of cocaine, it didn't matter whether it was in the UK or being imported in, it was a standard pretty much 10 years at that point in time, just for one kilo. So, you know, 15 years sentence for robbery. So we knew what we're playing with here. Now, what it was, the first week was pre-trial. They throw some evidence out and all that sort of stuff. Now, they threw John's verbal out, but they kept ours in. And what they said to me was, I remember being in Chumps of Jail and getting my statements from Vasicia, and it was all saying I've admitted it all and all this, right, when I was in the kitchen. And then at the end of it, it says I've even signed my statement. I remember running to a geezer who was experiencing an Excel saying, Danny, Danny, look, what's, what's all this going on? I said, look, police are saying I've said all this and I've signed it. He went, that's just fair. But I said, yeah, but they're saying I've signed it. What he'd done, the fella, the flying squad officer, he'd, he'd done about eight pages of his notebook and he filled in a load of shit that I meant to have admitted to. And then at the end, sign if correct, and I've signed it. Right, when it come to court, that notebook, that crucial piece of evidence could never be like thing could never be shown. All they could show was photocopies. They said they lost it because someone would have been able to tell that that part was written before that part. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's it. So that was one thing. Anyway, it was all a fit up, right? If you like, they knew that we'd done it, but they didn't have the evidence. So they went well and and beyond to sort of set us all up. And that's what happened. So I, straight away, we come back, look, we was in court. We got found unanimous guilty by the jury. And then we went downstairs and awaited to be sentenced. Now, look, that's quite a thing, isn't it? We was downstairs, all of us, in the cells, and all our families were, like, coming to court. You had all the police, everyone in there, right? It was packed. And what we said was this. We made a pact. We said, look, when we go back up, we're going to show, like, that we ain't bothered, right? Don't start slagging anyone off and all this. You know, the police or nothing, just turn away as if we ain't bothered and just walk down. You know, show a bit of, like, dignity to ourselves you know so that's the pact we made and we went up there now to be sentenced mate and then that you've been to court obviously in the states all that and others out there thousands of you will know what i'm talking about the feeling you get before you go up back to that crown court judge right and you're going to get weighed off and you know it's going to be bad and it ain't going to be months is it so up we go, and we're standing there, and I remember I was first in, and I'm next to one of the robbers, Dave Redwin, and then you have Roger Barkley and John Aiken, the van driver, on the end. So there's four of us in the dock. Well, Judge Beaumont starts ranting and raving, going, right, everyone out there, I'm going to make an example here. I'm going to show you that if you, like Mr. Aiken, work for these security companies and plan on doing what he did, robbing them and all this, I'm going to make sure you know the penalties. I'm thinking, shit, right? And then he went, and you two, like the robbers, he said, anyone out there who's thinking of robbing these vans or these companies, he said, they're going to know the penalties as well. He went, 15 years each. I went to Dave over next to me, 10, like that, in my breath. He said, and as for you, he went... I can't say what your part is. He went, I'll have mercy on you six years. I wanted to say thank you very much. Jump across and suck him off. (laughs) I was just, I felt guilty, right? Because the others got so so much and I got that. Anyway, that's what he said. So anyway, we went back down to cells and this is no lie, right? 
we were sitting there and we was it was hysterical laughing. They just kept going, 15 years, and we were pissing ourselves. <laughs> the security were coming down, they looked in, and we were just all in hysterics, and we'd just been given 51 years between four of us. So anyway, we go back to Chumpsford. Within a couple of weeks, I get ghosted out to Wayland, which was a sea cat jail where I spent about two years there. They, because of the length of their sentences, one went to Parkhurst, I think, one went to Albany on the Isle of Wight, and obviously John, I think, had a bad time. He went to Winston Green in Birmingham, which is a shithole jail, bad reputation. And and John was the sort of person, he didn't really get on with people, so he had a lot of problems in jail, whereas we didn't. And that was it. That's the last I ever see of him. So what it was... Two years later, I'm sitting in Wayland Jail, and that again is where I got involved with people with drugs and started learning things and all the rest of it. And I met a friend, Mick Donnelly, who's also linked to Rettendon through Nichols. People who know Rettendon will know what I'm talking about, others won't. Right, you've got to go to the Real Essex Boys Murders Group, my friend Craig Wood's group, to join that. And you'll see my post and you'll learn the truth about it. Don't go to the other ones run by the ex-detectives because they influence and control the narrative. Right, that's the fact. So the Real Essex Boys Murders Group is the one to go to. On Facebook. On Facebook, yep. Now, what happened was they got let out on appeal. Right, I didn't even know there was an appeal going on. Their barristers have put in appeal due to all this verbal stuff and or whatever. Well, look, I'm not being funny. You know as well as I do, not many cases of that thing are overturned. We got found unanimous guilty. It wasn't a 10 to 2 or nothing like that. It was unanimous. So anyway, it went to court. Apparently, they got out quite a bit before I did, a few months. Then I got opened up one day in Wayland, and he said, Dave, Patty Kit, you're out, sort of on bail thing or whatever, pending whatever, an appeal. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, yeah. So that was it. I got released from Wayland. I went back home to my girlfriend in Ipswich. Still had the same house. And what happened was, then I remember going to High Court in London, and it was overturned, quashed. So that conviction is not on my record. Right, so that was that. Now, when I come back out, obviously... My girlfriend said, look, you ain't getting involved in all this crime again. And I made her a promise, but of course, that was a lie, <laughs> right? Mm. I started, I tried, right? So what I'd done, I went back to work in Hollywoods. And then my friend Lee Chapman, who was, who was head dormant there, it, mate, we were getting away with murder. But obviously, because I got a taste of drugs, right? We started getting involved in it, and we clubbed together, and we bought a kilo of speed, right, for two grand, and then we got here and we didn't really know what to sell it to. It was a bit like that. So we started selling little quarters and halves to people in the club and all this sort of stuff and gradually like increasing it. Then we bought 500 pills. I think we paid 750 a pill, right? But they were sort of selling for 15 quid. So again, like I think the geezer, we had punting them out. He got nicked and all that. And we had a lot of sort of like problems. And it was all messy at the beginning and stuff like that. So I was working the doors at Hollywoods and all that. So obviously I, I was having people come down, giving them pills. They were selling it, you know, so we're taking in control of the drugs in that club and that sort of stuff I'm obviously getting in with these and we start progressing from there there was a little sort of few of us and we sort of linked together and that's how we sort of started right and then I ended up it was quite funny taking the stuff like you do and all that every time we'd go to work at Hollywoods mate, we was dabbing this and taking that and it was funny one night there was always something going on I was always in some sort of trouble but the head doorman loved me and he always got me back, I was always getting suspended. And I remember one night the manager, there was a big meeting after work and the manager was going into one and he said to me and this fellow, Kevin Casey, he said, as for you too, you take more drugs than the customers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, it got a thing, so, so that was it. And then I got suspended and now I just left. 
Then I went lorry driving. I thought, you know, I'll try going down a straight route. I got my HGV license. And then there's a long story on that. Something went missing from the docks, right? And then that gave us some money, right? It's all in these files and stuff. Police know. Something went missing, very expensive container. And that was it. And that gave us the money to really progress. So that was that. You know, that, that was my thing with that. And obviously, I see Tony Tucker once in the time I got out from jail. It was at a rave night. He, he was he was there. I don't know. I was on the dance floor watching everyone. And I felt some sort of like one watching me. You know, you get a feeling. And I turned around. He was about four metres away. We just looked at each other, locked eyes. He turned and went. And that was it. You know, I mean, we weren't going to start rolling about on the floor. But that was it. That was the only time I seen him. And obviously, he let me come back to work for him you know, sort of indirectly through the head dormant there because he wanted me. So so that was it. That's the only time I've ever seen Tony Tucker. I've never seen Pat Tate from prison. Uh, and that is my connection to Retton. But obviously it gets thing with the ex-detectives linking the robbery to the murders, which is my fear. I'll explain that as we go. So then what happens? Um, yeah, basically from that, oh, I've got to think now. Where we go? Oh, no, I've lost it. Right, so yeah, so we start getting involved, obviously, in, I can't say thing, can I, transportation. Transportation, yeah. Transportation, right? Now, again, we start something and we could never get the full connection. Something would come back and then you know, you'd want to double up and go again and this sort of stuff and, and, and build it up like that. Is it white or green or brown? No, it started with brown and then we done some white. It started with the pills that was the first thing that I lost. That wiped me out. A lot of money. I won't tell you how much. I won't tell you what happened to the people. They got six years in a Belgian jail. And I was linked to that. Thank you for watching the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. Don't you hate it when you've got subscriptions out there that you don't know about? Taking all that cash out of your account. I recently found out I had four Amazon Prime subscriptions. Now I've got it down to one. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality the number is closer to $200. When you're signed up for so many things like streaming services you used to watch one show or free trials for delivery you don't use, it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's rocketmoney.com, S-H-A-U-N, rocketmoney.com slash Sean. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Link is in the description box on YouTube. Back to the podcast. The car got picked up by Interpol in Paris, right? So we got away with that one, but that nearly wiped me out. And then a funny story, I had three, I think a couple of grand left when I come back. I got wiped out, right? But obviously they've lost their liberty. And I remember it took me months to get over it, a loss like that. I was into motorbikes at the time and I kept thinking of how many new Ducatis I could have bought. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was a painful experience. And what happened was I had to start again. So I bought a thousand pills, I think, for 2,000 pounds. This is funny. I went to pick it up on my Kawasaki Ninja motorbike thing. And normally I put them in the seat compartment and lock them in, right? A thousand pills is like that. It's not very big. So this time, for some reason, I don't know why, I put it in my leather jacket pocket here. Anyway, as I've hit the A4 and I've accelerated like anything on the motorbike, as I've hit the dual carriage, right, I felt them come out of my pocket with the wind, right? 
by the time I realised, I'm 100 metres past, I pulled the bike up on the side of like the A14. There's just a it's the dual carriageway, and then you've got about a metre and a half, and you have concrete, and that's it. There was a work van parked there, right, workman, as I'm running back, and literally the pills in the middle of the road. I see one lorry as I'm running back coming towards it like that. He missed it. The second lorry went straight over, oh. and that's it. I remember thinking, my God, I. I walked over there. All these workmen are looking at me. I had my helmet on. I've run 100 metres. Right, I ran into the road. I just scooped up what I could and kicked the rest across the carriageway. I remember going home like that, putting them on the, on the drainer and all that, and I think I salvaged about 70. You know, I've been wiped out because of this thing aboard and all that, and now I've been wiped out. I hit rock bottom, and I had to start again. Unlucky. Mate, it, it was a lot of money at the time, a lot of money, and literally I got taken from quite a bit down to nothing. So, again, we had to build up. So, you know, I had a lot of problems at the beginning. There's some funny stories. You know, I could sit here all day telling you funny stories, you know, and all that. And obviously, police then started to realise that we was in getting involved with it. And obviously, that's where we had police telling us things about operations and about other people's surveillance. I mean, we had police in Suffolk. I can't name him. His initials are BR. Now, he used to run informants and he would tell us exactly who was telling them what. So we would know. And obviously, if it linked... It wouldn't link to us, but if it linked to others, linked to us, we would inform them. So we knew who the informants were, and they were being run by police, and we were getting told by police. That's a fact. What was his motive to tell you? Well, mate, you weren't getting paid. I don't know. Just to sort of, I, I, I don't know. We knew him through car dealers. So he would go to the car dealers. Well, I think he was just had a big mouth. And just sort of tell us, you know, we weren't even getting paid. Obviously, look, mate, not many of my sources did get paid, really. You know, we do them favours, and obviously later on I'll explain, like, banking people, when we got involved and went all straight financial, you know, we build their double garages and stuff and carpet their houses and that sort of thing. But, you know, with these police who were passing information, mate, they weren't getting much at all. And it was good information. So what it was, we started like that, and then I branched off on my own. I always wanted, I knew where the big money was, which was transportation. Now at the time, obviously, one kilogram from Spain was 12 grand. You land that in the UK, get that back, that is 30 grand. That's the weight. Yeah, before you, there's none of this that now, I don't, I'm not involved in it, so I don't know. But it's all cut to bits and all this sort of thing, even from Spain, it has things put with it and all this sort of thing. So you're not getting what you got. When we got it, it was wrapped up in all the... Uh, dog stuff and all the rest of it and all the rubber from when they made it at the factory like in Colombia or wherever it come from Peru whatever right so that's how it come as is right there was none of this repress and all this sort of stuff that all come later when I was well out of it right you know you got to remember this is sort of late 90s this sort of stuff very early 2000s after that I retired so literally it was through that era you know that's a long time ago we're 2023 now so you see what I'm doing so obviously look so it went like that so, you know, one kilogram, you're talking 18 grand profit just on one. If you bought it in Holland, it would be 20 grand and 30 grand. So, you know, the sort of figures. The closer you bought it to the UK, the dearer it becomes. You know, you've been in the drug game, you know this, right? So what it was, because of the problems, I then knew a lot of people in transport companies, warehouse people and all this sort of stuff. So, look, mate, very quickly, I left... Look, you've just seen a list of people not only linked to Retton and others, five of them I've just shown you linked to me who have murdered people in fights and stabbings and all this sort of stuff. I left that world well behind. And what it was, I quickly accelerated in the 
transportation side of things. And then I realized that, look, hold on, I'm having problems myself. And the problem is, it's like anything today. If you met the right person on day one, you'd be flying. But most of the time, you can never meet the right person. Right? That was my problem. We could never get that thing. We get one thing done and we want to go again and something would happen or there'd be some problem and that we might get two, but you wouldn't get further. You know, you want to continue, but that's how it works. That's how you grow. I could never do that. So what I realised it was in that, hold on, I can um, do a better job working for others. And obviously, look, hold on. Look, you've seen polygraphs and confirmation that back in the 90s, it's over 100 tonnes in a year, you know, transported by me personally with my team under it. Now, obviously, they're not my, you know, D-R-U-G-S, right? They're not mine. They belong to them, right? But I'm just involved in that side of it. It's simple sort of A to B stuff, if you like, but it's not as easy as that, right? Now, look, you've got to be trusted to have these multi-million pound loads, Right, there's a level of trust. There's a level of trust with the people that I've got working under me. It's all like that. Right? The more dangerous these groups or whoever they are to work for, for me, that's better. It ain't like the movies, right? It ain't like that. You know, going and meeting with guns and all this sort of thing in warehouses. No, no, no. At the end of it, right, we're not like Rettenden down dodgy lanes. Me and my partner are walking in like to offices in Zurich being shown up to the top floor. And I remember walking around the geezer's office like that, looking at glass cages that big of models of container ships that he owns. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's mm. what you're talking about. That's the level we was at then this is not all meeting with guns in where and all that that's the movies mate and i'll get to that in a minute right that is all no good now what it is obviously look is now we're out and say the message look i earned enough out of that right and what i did in the transportation side of it from the late 90s and i retired around 2001 i think i was about 35 maybe a bit older so i, I was in it for sort of i come out in 92 i suppose about six seven years from start to finish, and then boom, I've got enough to retire. It was never a career for me. It was an opportunity to earn enough money to get what I wanted. And obviously at the very beginning, it can all be confirmed that I've had Ferraris and I can show you my bills and my cars and all the rest of it, right? Then the ones couldn't even afford the petrol the services on them, and that's a fact, right? So, you know, this is confirmed. Obviously, you've had some of my financial stuff, companies, big houses, and all the rest of it. It's on even on Facebook, my one three quarters of a million, I think, that burnt down on Facebook. It's on there on the news thing. That was three quarters of a million, and I built the one next door as well. In fact, I've built 53 houses, in fact, but I'll get to that. So, my thing to get involved in this right was only solely for the money i'm not a mercenary i wanted the money but obviously look, numerous operations were run at the time you've just heard of a customs next size one that i told you about where we pulled them out of the car you'll see the intelligence report soon from customs years later where that operation is confirmed so there was a few operations but obviously we had police assistance we had police telling us stuff and all the rest of it right so so that was it so I got to a position that, look, if you get involved in drugs today, don't even think about it. You will never get right to where I got. It ain't going to happen. If you start today, and obviously, look, it's changed. Back then, there wasn't so many people involved in it. You had him here, him there, and, and that sort of thing. And it was a, a smaller sort of circuit. Now, everyone needs dogs involved in this business. The ones at the top are still at the top, right? But the lower level, it's all chaos, I don't know because I don't get involved in it, but it's what I see. 
and it's all fueled by image and the media and all this and it's cool to be involved with drugs it's cool to be a gangster and all that sort of stuff and it ain't i'm telling you it ain't right so look my advice to anyone don't even touch the stuff but obviously you know as well as i do they're not going to hit 25 like i do to take the first drug they're going to be doing it like 15 or even younger aren't they this is what it's come to right and that is by design They've turned the world into a junkie <laughs> and now they've got to feed it, right? I know what's going on and I put a big difference. I'm not going to them levels, right? We're keeping it focused. So my message is, look, people out there, mate, if you get involved in this stuff, what are you going to earn? You might even have to go and buy, like my pal over there, he likes these 500-pound tracksuits and all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah, what are you going to do? Buy one of them because that's what your rap video shows it and all this sort of stuff you've got to wear. Mate, even if you're going to earn enough to buy a 500-pound one every day, so what? That's nothing, right, compared to what I earn. You ain't going to do it. You'll be grasped up, robbed, or in jail before you can blink. You might last a little bit of time, but that's what's going to happen. You'll be robbed or something will go wrong. They're all robbing each other and there's all that mistrust and all that sort of stuff at that level. All this gang stuff and all that sort of thing. And what it is, it's middlemen coming in. Oh, I know someone who wants some of your stuff like that, but I've got no responsibility. I'm putting no money into it. If it goes well, yeah, everyone's happy. But when it goes wrong, the middlemen don't want to take responsibility. And at the top end, that's how people get killed. And it, as you know, <laughs> you've been in America's jail, so you know what goes on. And that's what messes it all up. It's that. It's all chaos. I was never involved in that level. You know, so, so mate, I could never even get back into it if I wanted to. Never. I'm glad to be away from it. But obviously, you know, that's my experiences in it. It was a gateway to get things that I've always wanted from when I was a kid. I always wanted nice things, you know, a nice house, nice cars and all that. And I remember going to work with my dad, who was an electrician. I'd go to work with him as a kid. And if he was wiring up someone's house and the geezer had a nice car or a bigger house and all that, I'd be saying, Dad, 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 what's he do? What's he do? I'd want to know, what does this man do to get this? You know, tell me. what I want to know what he does, Dad. And that was it. Although I was brought up in a council house and I always wanted, you, you know, is it greed? Is it, I just don't know. I just wanted these things, you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted possessions and, and that sort of lifestyle. And I had it, right? And then what it was, I had the opportunity, obviously. Now it was a, a stepping stone to property development, which is what I wanted to go into. And I did. So this transportation and all that involvement with crime right was a gateway for me for legal business and that's what it was now early 2001 then it was the transformation now we've got to launder the money if you like now what it was at the end of it we my partner knew someone high up in the local terrorist bank right i won't say what one that is right everyone knows right but anyway we knew someone in the bank and we got in with him and he would put us in touch with his clients who couldn't get a loan but he trusted so we would loan them large lumps of money so we was like money lenders so we'd be doing that in the transformation and my partner had I don't know, at the time, I think the three quarters of a million pound hour, some legit money. So it was quite easy to sort of bring it all together. And obviously, we got sort of credit at the banks at the very beginning that you'd have never have got if you didn't know the right people, right? Very important. Again, it's knowing the right people who can help you in the transition. So that is how the money sort of got fingered. Now, 
like I say, I've built 53 houses and flats, all the rest of it. Mate, it started going wrong, right? I wanted to run before I could walk. I was spending millions of pounds on sites. And rather than do one job with these builders who couldn't build a shed, right? I had site after site. It was all levels of construction. It was chaos. You've obviously got all the fees and all the rest of it. And you don't get your profit until, say, you're building 10 bungalows at Clacton, just one job, for example. You don't get like the last three are yours, but you don't get to them free until you've sold and built all 10 and sold them, isn't it? It's, it's that. The money is big, but it's at the end of the job. It's not at the beginning. And obviously it's all financed throughout the construction period and fees and God knows what, because you have to put a third of the land down, a third of the development and all the rest of it. The banks will fund it all. So rather than do one job with these people, my partners, if you like, and all that, and I'm funding this, and see it went wrong and stopped and then just carried on some other way, I didn't. So... Mate, I was a good transporter, but the world's worst businessman. I have built, I've got all the documents, all the evidence, all the account stuff, 53 houses and flats. And my house was three quarters of a million, valued the day at 1.1. And my partner's house has just sold for 1.2. We built them. So I built 53 houses and flats and I made a loss. Like, I mean, it all went bad. But anyway, that's towards the end. And then there was a run of bad luck. I had villas abroad, free and fertile venture, all with 10 metre swimming pools, all with gardens. They all cost money, and it? You know, pool cleaning, all this sort of stuff. It's all that. I had things everywhere. Rather than own 10 things outright, I had like bits of 30. Do you know what I mean? Everywhere. And it was like that. And then there was a run of bad luck. The credit crunch hit me and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, let's go back. So it gets to 2004. And this is how, look. I'm going to tell you now, this is how I got speaking to police, right? Obviously, I'm not an informer. I was a potential asset, right, which is above law enforcement because you've seen some of this stuff, where it goes. We'll explain some of it, but we're not going to levels. We can show you what's in the files confirmed by police who seized them, but we're not going to give details of that, right? So basically what it was, 2004. Now, I've got out of transporting. We've done the transition, right? We're into property, but we're also working with a company. Can I name the company? It, will it cause any legal problems? Well, no, it's on the internet. He's got six years. Yeah, but no, all it, right. it doesn't matter if it's right. on the internet. All right, right. It's a company, right? We was involved with this fella, right? And basically what he said he was doing with us was buying printing machines out of companies and refinancing them and all the rest of it and breaking the companies up, blah, blah, blah. So we were working with him for a number of years and we had a lot of money with him. Because we've been working with him, other people trusted us, they put money with him and all this. Now we thought what he was doing was 100% legit. We was paying tax on it, right? Our accountants, all that was working with this fella and all the rest of it, right? And what it was, we were giving him like 100 grand and every eight weeks he'd give us 110 back. So it was like sort of 10% deposit in eight weeks, which really, uh, come on, right? But again, like we're sort of driven a bit by greed. It was working out well for years, so we continued to do it. What happened was in 2004, it all come on top with Essex Police in a money laundering investigation. This fella, right, all of a sudden it ground to a halt. Someone county courted him for over a million pounds that they had with him. Now, because we're working with accountants, administrators and all that, now there's a police investigation at this geezer and his company, right? So we've got, I've got the accountants that I think you've seen it, where I didn't even give a statement against him, we didn't. But we lost, it's, I think it's 387,000 with a geezer, right? That's confirmed in paperwork there from our accountant. So that's the money that I lost with him. But what it was, that it all ground to a halt. 
And then we met other people. They come forward for our administrators. They contacted us and they told us what was really going on, what other people had lost with this geezer and what he was involved in. Basically, he was doing all sorts of things, ordinary drug money and everything. So he's involved with everything that I've tried to leave behind. And now what we were concerned about is me and my partner. Just got to wipe my face. I'm a bit hot in here. It's warm, isn't it? What it is, me and my partner were concerned, right, that he has not got a parking ticket, this fella. We now know he's linked to OCGs and all the rest of it. There was a North London mob who gave him 400 grand, we found out, and all this sort of stuff. So we're thinking, my God, I've just been dragged back into a world that I left behind, right, through no fault of ours. This is honest, right? Because at the end of the day, look, you cannot mix, in my book anyway, legal business with dodgy stuff. Because if the dodgy stuff comes on top, you've lost all this. Unless you're protected and allowed to get away with it all, yes, you can. But in my position, nah, it was a bad move. So the illegal stuff was left behind and it's strictly straight stuff. So what it was, we find all this out. I've lost a lump of money, but we realise that this geezer, mate, he's going to tell police because he hasn't got a parking ticket. It was down to us and all this sort of thing and point the finger. And because they have wanted us for years in operations, all this, now what they're going to do, they're going to come and seize all my properties, my villas, my bank accounts, everything I've got, right, freeze it under some sort of proceeds of crime thing, say I'm linked to this and all that, and I ain't, right? And they'll allow that geezer to get a lesser sentence to throw the dairy on us and others who are linked to him, who I didn't even know about, and that's what we believe was going to happen. So me and my partner made the decision, and this really brings it all up to date. Now, if you want to talk to police, look, whatever, judge it on my experience. It was the biggest mistake of my life. I'm not saying if your daughter gets raped or some kiddie thing, of course, go and report it. Right, but for me at this point in time, it was the biggest mistake to get involved with them. What I did I rung up Suffolk Police Intelligence Unit because obviously we know about their operations. Bearing in mind, this was around 2004. I've been retired for years. I'm in the legal business, right? So I ring up this unit, a specialist intelligence unit, right, who run operations into drugs and stuff. I ring them up. Look, I took a chance. I could have been talking to the leak, right? I rang this unit up. I said, right, my name's David Corston, but I live here. Here's my contact number. Get a pen. I said, you got three ongoing operations at the minute. I went, bang, one into him, one into this geezer. I said, you want him 24 hours? I said, you've got one into me. I said, I don't know why, but I've been retired for years. I said, but you're running it now. I said, go away and check. Get back to me. Next minute, of course, they're back in front of me, it? special branch. <laughs> right? So now they want to talk. Okay, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get their attention. And giving them free undercover operations got their attention, trust me. So then a meeting was arranged, and this was at the arrivals of Stansted Airport. Now, this was around about mid-2004, around that sort of time. I got all the details in there, proper dates, but just off memory. And bearing in mind, look, I don't like to think too much or talk about this stuff. As I told you, I won't be doing other interviews, right? This is a one-off for a reason, because I believe it's important the public need to know. So what it was... The first meeting was at Stansted Airport Arrivals. So I go and meet them there, right? Alan and Mark, their name, right? That's what they said their name was. It was their names. You've seen the investigation. That's what they are named. I don't know their surnames. They're special branch, right? And they said they work for the DCC of Suffolk. I can't name her, can I? No. Right. The DCC of Suffolk. They work directly for her. And she is linked to Rettenden. 
right? She was in charge of professional standards at Rettenden and involved in the only cover-up in that whole investigation, which is linked to Darren Nichols and the two detectives he was the informant for, Simpson and Bird. Stimson and Bird. That is the only corruption in Rettenden and she knew about it and was involved in the cover-up. So she's got a link to Rettenden. Now she's moved to a DCC in Suffolk. But look, like I just explained to you, the people I am involved with, these chief constables who I offer the guns to later on, they're high flyers. They are the cream of the chief constables, if you like. You have to go back to where they started, as I explained to you. And this one, the woman here, the DCC of Suffolk now, started life before she even joined the police in the home office reform unit right so they're told go and join the police from that unit you'll be fast-tracked which she was in Essex she wasn't there long she's a superintendent then she gets the DCC job mate and that's where I get involved with her now with the special branch after that she then gets a higher job she becomes chief constable of Cleveland she is head of anti-corruption. She is leader of the strategic command course. She is the high flight of the high flight. All these people at the top of the level of the chief constables, and she's one of them. And that's why it gets covered up with me. And this is the problem from the very beginning. My involvement, getting involved, talking to police and dealing and working for her. So what it was, I go and meet these two people out on the market stands at the airport, and I tell them exactly what I've told you. Look, this fella, this company who we've been working with, blah, blah, blah. We're concerned he's going to scream up. There's a big investigation going on with Essex. You can look into it all. Look, we're working with administrators. Our money's all straight, but you know our history. You know the crack, what we was involved in. If he screams up, it ain't nothing to do with us, I'm telling you. They said, yeah, all right, Dave. We ain't really bothered about all that. How do you know about the drug operations? I went, listen, I said, to be honest with you, I said, it's come sort of third hand. I said, he's not one of my sources in the police. I said, it's one of their sources. I said, and these are low-level muppets, if you like, and they're getting this information. I said, and that's the truth. I said, if I find out any more, I'll give you a tip. He went, all right, fair enough. So that was it. So that was the first meeting. Now, what happened was, about five months later, I did get a name and some more information on who the leaks were coming from, right? So I called a second meeting. The second meeting was at Stanway on the A12. And bearing in mind, look, I'm putting up in 104 grand Merc, right, 30 grand number plate, DC9 on this sort of thing, mate. Uh, and look, Alan and Mark were all right. I'll give them their due. I didn't feel no sort of anti-animosity or undercop, you're the bad guy, that sort of thing, right? I think it was quite a good relationship. I wouldn't say it was a relationship. You know, I don't have relationships with police like that. I'm not an informer. Right, be very clear on that. I wouldn't even be telling you. So I had a second meet with them, and I wanted to find out a bit more about them and all the rest of it. They're sort of rolling it all, and they're like a specialist squad, like I say, that work directly for her, the DCC, in a private office, no one else, and all that. So hold on, look, hold on. If this is now sort of like this, might be helpful to get in with these. So basically, what I done, I called a meeting with them at this cafe, and I said to them, look. I said, here you go, look, there's the name and there's some information. How we got the information, take it away, like that. And they went, thanks, Dave, very much. And that was it. Then what happened was, now you've got to remember at the time now, it was a long period of time before I called the third mate. And I called the third mate for a reason. And I'll explain this one. That's quite a story. Now, what it was, around the time, like, I think it was the first, second Gulf War, right, now, my uncle, down here, hold on, let me just get the thing. 
my little Hector there is a thing. Now, before I was even born, right, he was a World War II hero given a military medal of honor, right, which is what Bravo 2-0 got, right? He saved the platoon when his commanding officer got shot down. It's all in the files, all in the history books and all that. So, right, I was very patriotic, right? I knew a lot of military people growing up and all that sort of thing, and no one was more patriotic than me. Mate, when I got the book that he was in and what he did that night, and I read it, I don't care how tough or hard you think you are, mate, you wouldn't want to be there that night. People getting trapped on the wire, shot the bits, blown up, and all that chaos, right? It's bad, bad, bad. The Gulf, second Gulf War was just kicking off. I, mate, I got emotional. I'm living in a luxury flat in Dedham Mill, right? And I break down. I'm in the middle of the flat, crying my eyes out. I'm surrounded by luxury. 10 grand plasma tellies at the time. That's what a 50 grand telly cost when it first came out. Now they're a few hundred quid, look, 55 inch. And it's madness. At the time, that was 10 grand. I'm surrounded by luxury in this flat. Bar in my bedroom, granite windows, absolute luxury, like works of art and stuff, right? I'm breaking down because of men are running around the desert fighting for me. I look out the window, there's my new Ferrari, there's my brand new M3 convertible and all that. And I, for what I'd done, I didn't feel worthy, you know? And I got emotional over it. So that was how patriotic I was at that point. Later on, my views sort of changed. But that is what I felt. You know, men running around the desert now for me out there, if they get caught, mate, they ain't getting help. They're in trouble. And, you know, look what I've got. Look what I've done. You know, how much have I caused anyway? So that was that. And what it was at the time I called this third meeting, it was around, I can't remember the sort of time, around 2006. And it was the time there was a lot of murders going on Ipswich with the Suffolk Strangler. He was going around killing prostitutes. He eventually killed five. Now, Suffolk police did nick him, but he, he murdered five. This is all out there, thing, a very famous thing, Suffolk Strangler. Steve Wright is named the geezer. And what it was, I split out with my bird. And, <laughs> mate, obviously I've been from abroad, prostitutes, right, messing about with the lads, like most of you have. But over in England, I really been with one. I always had wives and girlfriends and shit. But because I was on my own, my mate said to me, look, why don't you see this bird I know? She's like a working girl. Her name's Kelly. She lives in Ipswich Docks and all that. He said, I'll hook you up. I went, all right then, why not? I'll give it a try, right? So this is around 2006. Now, it was a time of this Steve Smith. And these girls were warned, right, to keep off the streets. And that's that by the police and stuff because, mate, he was out there and he was a, mate, a killer, right? He strangled five before they got him. But the time I met this girl, Kelly, he was about halfway through his killing spree. Right, so what it was, I again go to meet her. Right, I pull up in the underground Merc and stuff, and I took some white with me. Right, I went round hers and all that, and I was expected obviously to sleep with her and do whatever, have a night on it and stuff. Well, I went round there, and it didn't work out like that. Right, this is true story, and this is one of the reasons why I called a third meet with Special Branch. Right now, obviously, I get talking to her and all that. We start getting the white out and thing being like that. And then she says to me, I want the other stuff, the brown. I said, well, look, love, do whatever. And she said, do you mind? I said, I don't mind, love, do whatever. Right, so anyway, so she makes a phone call, right? I think I've explained this one on, to you on the phone. Now, with quicker than the pizza turns up, right? There's a knock at her door. She answers it. It's a kid of about 13 years old, right? Giving her a wrap of this stuff. 
Anyway, I can't believe it, right? I've never seen kids involved with what I used to do. No way. But this is what it was. And I see it firsthand that night, right? And this is when I made the decision. So I see it that night, the kid turn up. So then she starts getting on this stuff. And I look in her bin. She's got no food in the place, bless her. She had a picture of her kid on her telly, but she's obviously lost all that. Right, that's all gone. She was a beautiful girl. She was only, like I think, maybe early 30s then. So I see that in her younger thing, she may, she'd have been a bit of a girl, but this stuff has sort of like aged her and got hold of her. I look in her bin and all there is is foil where she's been smoking this stuff. Right now, obviously seen some people smoke it in jail, but I never have any involvement with it myself and I've never touched it as in sold it. You know what I mean? That's something I wouldn't do. You can turn around and say, well, you've done white, Dave. That's just as bad. And I suppose really, if you get on that, um, smoking stuff, right? Potentially, I suppose it could be. But anyway, look, I tried to redeem myself by what happened next, right? And we'll go into that. So anyway, so I get to talking to her. I didn't end up sleeping with her. I think we had a cuddle on that, right? So I get talking to her. She's telling me about her life. And now I'm getting upset for this girl, how she is and how she's got on this stuff and all the rest of it. I can see what it does to people. And then later on in the night, she says, do you mind if I ring up again for some more? I said, of course I don't, Kelly. So anyway, she makes a phone call out there. I've told you, guess who turns up next? Quicker than the pizza, it's the kid's mum. <laughs> Giving her another wrap of this crap. So anyway, that night, right, after hearing all that, I made the decision, if there was anything I could ever do to help combat this stuff in the future at a high level, then I would take action. And that was my decision. I didn't realise that that would come true, right? So what happened was, that night as well, I'll throw my hands up to it. I'd obviously been on white, sniffing it. She said to me, do I want to try this thing? I said, go on then, I'll have a go. And mate, don't forget, look, everyone out there who is hooked on this stuff, no matter what, white, brown or whatever, they've tried it once, haven't they? Right, I made the mistake of trying it once. Not that I liked it after. In fact, I was sick. I didn't touch it again. But, mate, I might have liked it. And my life might have turned out different, even to what it is now. Obviously, I've lost everything. But, mate, I could have lost a lot more if I'd have got down them roads. You see what it does to people. I see what it done to her. And, mate, that was it. So I tried it that night. And that was it. I left. I never see her again. So now, hold on a minute. I can see what this does is effing deadly right and that's that so what happened was now it was early 2007 the property business is starting going down the pan and all the rest of it i'm starting losing money because of my transporting skills if you like i was asked to get back into it but trafficking this stuff right from source through turkey right at the highest level not kilograms <laughs> tons of it right so now i'm given that offer right okay so huh, now i can take action also i can get something what i want while i explain in a minute which is control of a certain level of it right control for me and opportunities here right to get involved in it with a license to get involved in it if i hit the right buttons right so what i do i ring up alan and mark special watch and I say, right, it's me again, Dave. I ain't heard from you for a while. Obviously, I've got no reason. I'm not an informer, right? I call a firm meet. The firm meet happens at a hotel near Colchester, just off there. Now, I meet them. I say, right, I say, look. They say, 
what are we meeting for? I said, look, I told them about my patriotism and my uncle, and I told them about Kelly. Mate, they was a bit sceptical about it, really. They thought maybe it sounds a bit bizarre, I'm making it up. Right? But I said, look, I've been asked to go back in, you know the crack, at source, from Afghan and all the rest of it. Mate, you say we're having trouble at war for this, and this is one of the reasons you went in. A, does it help our troops, right? It does. Combats terrorism and all the rest of it. This is what we're told at the time, and this is what I believed, right? That's true. Now I know different, right? But at the time, that is what I believed. So now is my opportunity to come back and fight back, obviously, for many reasons, right? And I'd done the right thing, I believe. But this was a mistake, right? Should never have called that fair mate. Should have just carried on. Obviously, I could never go back into the criminal side of it. I didn't want to. And obviously, I'd have sorted myself out, hopefully, and turned things around with the businesses and that. Obviously, the credit crunch hadn't happened at that point in time. So I was still all right. But, you know, I was having a few problems, obviously, with other things. So what happened was that money laundering investigation happened. He got six years of geezer and all the rest of it. Right, I lost nearly 400 grand, as you've seen. But, you know, it didn't really make a dent. So I called a firm meet. Now, I tell them what's what. So they go back to her, the DCC, tell her what I've offered. Now, look, this happens. Look, mate, any informer out there will say, yeah, you might meet police, mate. You ain't going to happen what happened with me next. A high-level secret meeting is set up at a hotel in Stansted Airport, March 2007, right, under a fictitious company name. I remember walking there, parking me Merck up at the car park at Stansted, getting the bus over to this hotel, I won't say what one it was, I'm walking in there with me briefcase, <laughs> like that, right, like I'm going to a business meeting, I asked for this company that don't exist or whatever, it must have some legend, I don't know, right, I walk in there, introduce myself, walk out, yeah, straight away, some bird comes forward, then takes me into some big meeting room, there they are, you've got special branch and others, right, <laughs> let's say that, right, more intelligent side of it, right, the noise, that side of it. So there they are, they're in front of me now. Now, the special branch mob know, right, that action has been taken and I've undermined police intelligence units that have acted on their biggest operations, all the rest of it. I've got bent police, think the guns and drugs, all the rest of it, right? I'm not an informer, but I've helped them clean up their intelligence units. That's a fact, right? That's been acted on and confirmed, right? I've got all recordings into it and everything. So anyway, I'm sitting there now in this secret meeting, and the first thing I do, look, hold on. Although special branch lot like me, and I've got like a bit of a build-up with them, I could tell these others, right? There's a bit of animosity from day one, right? It is, you're the sort of bad guy, and we're the good guys. You know, we've had to come here. Obviously, they've been told to go there. They're not, that again, if you meet the right people at the top who can make the decisions on the spot, right, it would have been bingo. But this more, I have to go back and tell them, and then it, it has to go away and all that rubbish. Down the chain of command, and it gets lost up and twisted up. Well, this is what happened. The first thing I say to them is, there's the report in there. I hand them a bit of paper over the desk. I say, look, hold on a minute. I say, what's going on? This is a Home Office report, and it says here this year that... It says here that you seize 3% of drugs at the border of the UK and 97% of all drugs seized within the UK are by police forces in 300,000 raids. Most of them get under a gram in weight. I said, what's going on? Shouldn't that be the other way around? 
I said, you should be getting 97% of the border. I said, we're a small island, mate. It ain't difficult. You know who's at the top of it. And if you target them at the top, no one at the bottom is going to get it, obviously. You know, you turn your resources around. And they're looking at me like that. I said, right. I said, so, and also, ain't we halfway through a global war on terrorism? And it, what, on our borders of that week? What's going on? Anyway, I say to them, look, I've had the offer, blah, blah, blah. I, I can traffic from Source Afghan through Turkey. Obviously, look, the people involved here are a mixture. They're not sort of organised crime. It's a mixture. It gets messy at the top. I'm not going into it, right? But obviously, operating for them, while, like before, while I'm operating for them, you would also eventually get knowledge of these and these and these and these. I can stand back from it, and then what it is, I don't work for you, you work for me, or I work for myself, and then I can say, target them, do that, you're police, you can't do what I could do, I could set them up, or I could do this, to disrupt them at the highest level, it's war, and I'm prepared to go to war, that's the offer, mm-hmm. yeah, alright, well done, well done, see you later. <laughs> Anyway, I knew how it was going to go, right? And this is what I offered. This is unbelievable, right? Because no one's even asked me about the 100 tonnes. I wouldn't tell them anyway, right? As I left the meeting, I'd done this, just sort of as a backhander. I said, look, I said, if this ain't for you, I said, I'll give you the option. Obviously, Alan and Mark know my credibility and what I've done for them, undermining their intelligence and stuff, or cleaning that up. I said, what I'll do, I said, I'll give you the option. I said, to debrief me for the day on everything I know past and present right which is a lot I said for free and out I walked right? <laughs> what happened was right they wanted special branch they could not get this inspector who I pinpointed and they said to me at this secret meeting would I help them snare this inspector and go to work for them be directed by them and all the rest of it I said no I can't trust working for you or doing what you want because I know how bad your legs are people will find out that I am talking to police and I can't risk it so no I can't do that we're here for this mate don't worry about your poxy leaks. And that's it. So what happened was they double-crossed me. When I left the meeting, I found out, right, that they've got me under surveillance and all the rest of it. They were more interested in this poxy leak, this poxy inspector, than they were tons of heroin. Right? That's a fact. So anyway, I found out about this a few months later. I just met my new bird, who became my third wife. So... I upped, I got on the phone to um, Alan and Mark, special branch. I called their number, it went to voicemail. I asked them to call me back. I said, look, what's going on? I know you got me on surveillance. It's a piss take, all the rest of it. Mate, I never heard no more. I'd had enough. I upped and went. I left. I was living around Dedham area in Essex. I upped and went there and I moved to Diss in Norfolk. And I met my third wife. Now, what happened there was, obviously, it's all gone, right? The money's sort of gone at that point in time. There weren't too much left. I had a few villas that I refinanced and that and took some money out there. I, I had the fire sales things overnight, right? Because things were getting seasoned. I was losing it. I had to give a 250 grand bit of land away for 50 grand. And I had to give a 400 grand villa away. He took over the 90 grand mortgage. And all I got was 10,000 euros. He even knocked me down at the last minute and gave me a thousand less. I had no choice to take the 9,000 euros, right? or I'd have got nothing and my bedroom furniture cost more than that mate I was sick at the end of the day but that's what happened so a series of events right put me 
was it my fault? Yeah, I suppose I messed up in business. You can't run straight business like a thing me deal. Right, it don't happen. I was the world's worst businessman, but a set of like circumstances, credit crunch and all that, and then my big house fell through and that deal and all that. This went wrong. That through, not my fault. It was just a series of events that went from bad to worse, and that's the position it put me in. So anyway, I'd had enough of it. I've had enough of police. I've had enough of all of it. I'm up and gone. I've met a new bird and all that. Fell in love overnight, and I went and moved in with her at this. And now this is where the kiddies come into it. Right, the kiddie stuff, and now I got involved with it again. So I moved to this with her, and what it was, right, that I don't know her history, her family's history, and all this, right. Obviously, I want to talk a little bit about this. Out of the six main girls in my life, right, three of them have suffered sexual abuse. One as a child, one got raped, and one sort of in her teens, like sort of emotional stuff, mate. But that's three out of six. That's 50% of women linked to me. That's shocking, isn't it? Now, I know this is on the industrial scale and all the rest of it. I've addressed this thing with you, and I, but we can't talk about that, you said, this porn stuff, right? But I've covered myself on that, right? Because the agencies I linked to in a minute and will name, mate, the things they could send on my computer could be bad, right? So, But I'll cover all that anyway by what we're going to come out with. So anyway, now I'm involved with her, with her wife. Now, her mum... Is involved with this geezer who's a lot older, a tax exile geezer who's got properties in New Zealand, Island Man, all the rest of it, right? Big haul. And what happened was, right, I'm having a baby with her. We've had the baby, my son, and she had a girl there. So this is my stepdaughter who's about seven years old. Now, the girl come and opened up to me. I've got the report in here, right? The children's services report. Where, hold on, let's see if I can find it. Somewhere. Well, basically, right, it's a social services report. And what it was, the young girl opened up to me and said she has witnessed her grandmother being held up at knife point and all that by this geezer, blah, blah, blah. Right. Now, what it was, I told my wife about it. Right. So he's out of the country because he's a tax exile at the time. Now, She's made the phone call, right, to children's services about this sort of thing, right, because we thought it could have been worse. And then she's made a phone call to the police. Now, if I'd have known what she was going to come out with next, right, I wouldn't have made the phone call to police. I'd have dealt with it myself, right? You don't need a gun or knife to kill someone. You take them out, give them a few drinks and push them in front of a car, right? Well, it's coming along while you're waiting across the road. That's my way of doing it, right? Not the other way, right? Shouldn't really say that. But anyway, let's just say maybe that was going through my mind that might have happened had she not made this call and the police were involved. Because if she'd have told me what would have happened, right, before she made the phone call, I'd have acted on it. But unfortunately, she's made the phone call to police and children's services and then she tells me about an incident with this geezer and other people one night. I can't even talk about it. It's all involving babies and stuff. It's horrendous. But no one's ever mentioned it from that night. And now I'm married to her and involved in this, right? I've been dragged into it all, right? So anyway, children's services come around, the reports in here thing. And that night I told police and children's services to go round and investigate the geezer. It's in here, right? That was complaint number two in the 3210 report, what we're going to get in a minute, right? The cover-up that you've seen. Now, I told police and children's services that night, the geezer's got a Luger gun in his fireplace. I said, go in there now and get it. It ain't grassing. 
is a kiddie thing, right? And this is a ring. I named five people involved in this ring in 2008, right? I said, he's part of that. I said, go and get him for handguns and all that and being part of a ring. That all got ignored and covered up, right? Obviously, what happened was, right, he's still out of the country, but nothing happened. So I go and I got into his house. It's a big hall, right, in Bardwell, Suffolk. Now, when he bought this place, it was in the 60s, it was lovely. It cost about 60, 70 grand, which was a fortune then. And then mate, he burnt a big unit down. He owned and got a million pay, pound payout in the 70s from insurance. And when he went to court, he proved that he had all his houses all around the world all paid up and he didn't do it for the money. So to say, he's a multi-millionaire tax excel. When I find out about this, what she said, I realised he's got all these people living at this hall under false company, all names and all different. Right, it's a thing me ring. So I go into the house like that and I'm not meant to. And I start searching the bedrooms. I go into this one geezer's bedroom, walk in and there's a picture of like a two-year-old boy oh. naked on the wall, oh. right? But it's got sort of wing superimposed on it. So, mate, is that a get out in case police raid it and say, is that kiddie stuff or what? Mate, to me it is, but obviously I don't know. Anyway, I start looking around and I find some like weird sort of calling cards and stuff, but I couldn't find nothing else I had to get out. So anyway, that's that. So what we decided was, right, we wanted to move away. But also at this point in time is where the police give me the Osman warning about the threat on my life and that sort of thing. Now, we get called in to Mildenhall Police Station, me and my third wife, just out of the blue. They come forward and they say, right, bearing in mind, I've had all this grief with a special branch and that, and I'm having some problems. And they say, look, hold on, they give me this bit of paper. You've seen it. You've got copies of it. It's the Osman warning. There's a threat on your life and all that, right? And they tell me who it's by and all that. And I say, well, he's my former pal. I said, they said it's over a quarter of a million pounds worth of D-R-U-G-S that I meant to have stolen. I said, it's nothing to do with it. I said, go and ask my accountant. I said, it's over legal business. I said, it's 90 grand that he had a health sale. He lent one of my companies and all that. He got his money back, but in stages, not as a lump. He even got 30 grand on interest I give him. I said, I brought him to all the accountants' meetings. I said, he's on that stuff. I said, he's lost the plot, mate. They said, we believe he's armed. I said, I know, I armed him. <laughs> and that's the only gun I've ever, I'll get the guns in a minute. That is the only gun I've ever sold. And then the cop says, right, well, I'm going to investigate you for selling class one firearms. I went, what, behave? what's going on and then the other one started getting cocky with me I said mate don't get cocky with me I've just been reading your force budget out there it's only 100 million I said I've transported more drugs than that year I said behave and that was it so we went and they offered me this alarm thing that we did have because we was living near Fetford Forest and it was a bit isolated so what it was I couldn't take no chances she got a bit spooked by it obviously so we had this alarm there and it was like my briefcase down there it was plugged into like a socket an adapter and it was like a James Bond thing it had some digital stuff on it and literally it was linked to a satellite that if I press the thing no matter even if there's no signal this thing kicks off and all arm response will come at that moment's notice so anyway what happened was right there was problems I'm trying to complain about the special branch lot I then find out that they've leaked that secret meeting to criminals who have found out that I've had the meeting I'm talking with police that's a fact right so don't do it right so now it's all come to backfire on anything so i've tried to do the right thing at every stage and now this has happened right so now i've got all this grief going on and the police involved with the special branch right there was a new lot who come on and they wouldn't meet me at a police station 
they wanted to meet me at a disused airbase and this sort of stuff. It's all in the logs and records. Right, and this fellow rang up, his name was Nick Simpson. He called me up and, and I said, why are you? I said, you don't even work for the police. I've tried to ring up and get hold of you. He said, no, no, no. He said, the police don't even know I work for them until like, it all comes on top. He's one of these like, I don't know, ghost police or something. You know, internal affairs, internal affairs, whatever. Anyway, it all got messy. I'm thinking, what is going on in there trying to set me up or something, right? And obviously, I've been set up for the robbery, and I'm concerned. So anyway, we just up and go. We went to a farm, a dad's farmhouse, and from there, we went up and to Norwich. Thanks for watching our podcast. This is a word from our sponsor, Shopify. I feel like I'm missing out because everyone is starting a side hustle or their own business these days. And you know what they're hearing a lot? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. The all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Are you selling books or events like us? Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Shopify covers all your sales channels from a shopfront-ready POS system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform. Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. Look, there's so many options out there to expand your business these days. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean. That's the word from our sponsor. Thanks for watching. Link in description. Back to the podcast. Right, so obviously now I've got all this going on, right? This kiddie business, all this other stuff, the secret meetings, the big that special branch stuff, all of it, right? Now I'm putting complaints in. I've got, obviously, information. Call it intelligence. Call it what you want. That you've seen it, the levels this goes to. We cannot talk about it. I'll show you later on some police evidence confirming the level. There's the world, isn't it? And they're at the top of it. Forget UK OCGs. Mate, it's here, isn't it? Yeah. Confirm it. I've written books about it, yeah. the Pyramid of Power. And... Yeah, but you've seen the documents, yeah, you? yeah. the evidence. So you're confirming what I was saying. Otherwise, people would say, no, nah, he's making it up. And look, mate, no disrespect to other people who you interview. I don't watch this true crime stuff. I've seen some of it, right? It's just not for me. I don't watch narco stuff on Netflix, right? That's all the, with American good guys yeah, going yeah. in. Nonsense. Most of the guests who come on, no disrespect to anyone. I respect everyone. Right, but that they come on, they say, I've stabbed him, I've shot him, I've sold more, you know what, than him, and all this, and I'm big and bad, and all that. And it's the same old, same old. If you ask me who I have respect for, mate, well, none of them, but I do respect Paul Ferris. He was the real deal, 
Right, I've read his book, The Ferris Conspiracy, years ago, and he's a man who is a mixture of ruthlessness and intelligence, like that, you know, is above. And obviously, if he was after me, I'd be very concerned, right, without a doubt. Simple as, and, and that is it. But obviously, I'm sure Paul would be the first to say, if it wasn't for that not guilty decision on that murder that he was charged with, he would have done 25 odd years and his life would have been different. He'd have been another one who comes on these shows and sits there and you've done 30 odd or 40 years in jail. What's clever about that? Nothing in my book, right? And like you say, most of the people come on there broke. You know, I know what I've got now is nothing compared to what I've got. You've seen my financials. I can prove it all. When I see people come on, right, these chat shows, whether it's yours or someone else's or whatever, mate, they come on. And there was a woman the other month I see, some blonde sort. I think she was on James English. I don't even know if it was yours. I said, I don't watch it. Some ex-police woman who come on and she's moaning about all the corruption, all that. Yeah, we know all this. But no one ever does what I do. No one ever records it, grabs the documentation as they go, to prove it all at the end of the day. You know, they're stories. Yeah, you know, what these people come on and say they've done, I'm not saying it's not true. It probably is, you know, respect to them. But, mate, it's no evidence. I bring documents, recordings, all, all of it. Big difference. Why didn't these people like that police woman do that as she was going along? Record what she's complaining about. So she's got evidence. So if she had to go to a tribunal, right, like I've just showed you that woman did who went up against the police who I got linked to the guns, right, and they questioned her mental health and she got, like, paid out for it. Why ain't that woman doing the same, that police woman? So easy to record everything these yeah. days as well. Uh, you can yeah. all, I've had all covert stuff, and I'll get to that later, covert recordings of people grassing me up and terrorist operations. I've got all that. Essex Police are going, I'll give it them. So what it is, right, I don't understand why people don't do that. Because at the end of the day, if you want to take, say, the police to a tribunal after for malpractice or whatever, discrimination, you know, there's your evidence, isn't it? You'd go to the tribunal, you play it, you've got hard evidence that cannot be disputed, right? So I don't know that. So anyone out there who's going through this, you know, go on a spy shop, you can buy a covert recorder, you know, you've seen my photographs of it. Linked to all this stuff, I've got seven voice recorders packed, MI5, all of it, even others, right? It ain't good, right? And it's not like spooks, it's like talking to a 90-year-old with dementia, Trust me, honestly, right? We'll get to them, but we're going through stages. So anyway, now I go to Norfolk. I'm in Norwich, right, in that house where you see, if you Google my name, Dave Corston, the siege. Now, I'm having problems, right? Obviously, I've got a contract out of me. I get a direct threat. So now I'm taking it more seriously. They put me in touch with a fellow from Norfolk called Terry Taylor, like a liaison officer, P, a What's he, PC, low level. But Terry, mate, was a good man and he had concerns and he's all recorded up, right, as we go. Now, then I go to the MP, right? He contacts for me, I give him a file of information. It's all confirmed in his letter, right? In October 2009, I go and meet the MP. He contacts for his personal attention, this area that you've seen it, the head of soccer, serious organized crime agency the director general himself he says constituent blah 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 contract killer i've got the osman warning all the rest of it issued to me and then he says i've got information transporting weapons kiddie rings and 
terrorism, right? Four subjects. And this is continuous as we go, right? With everyone after this. It's four areas of thing. Terrorism, kiddie stuff, weapons, right? And transporting, right? Uh, all that. So he contacts him for his personal attention, right? I give him a small file, the MP. He confirms that. He's spoken the MP to Terry, who says I'm credible, right? So again, you've got people confirming I'm credible. Terry's recorded up. Anyway, he don't know it. He might now. So anyway, he's left the job, as far as I'm aware. So anyway, the MP writes to head of soccer. We get a reply, and also he wrote to the Chief Constable of Norfolk, because that's my area. Now, we get a reply back two weeks later from the number two of soccer, Head of Directorate Intelligence, you know what I mean? Fancy titles and all that, and they all read well. Former MI5, former now Chief of Border and Immigration, so another high flyer, Roman, right, number two. I won't mention his name because I can't. We get a letter back two weeks later after the MP sent it to Head of Soccer. He comes back to me saying, or the MP saying, yeah, yeah, we've looked at all this information. Um, he was passed to soccer for an assessment and all that. Well, I don't know about that. I've never spoke to him, right? He says he was passed to soccer for our assessment, but it was found not to be relevant to soccer and all that. Now, sorry, we can't do that. What are you on about not relevant? Mate, it's over 100 tonnes a year, you mug, and terrorist issues. It's unbelievable. So anyway, now, mate, things start going bad. So now I'm complaining. I'm complaining about the special branch, about the deputy chief council, and all this sort of stuff, right? And I start building up files of information on it all. And also recordings. Now, what happened was, right, I've got it here. You've seen it. I've just, I can do it off wing. I don't know. You've seen it. The letters, the evidence, and, and what's what. So now, I go to the IPCC. And straight away, look, I tell them it's in here. Email, it's all confirmed. Go and seize all files relating to me from Suffolk, Norfolk, all of it, right? Go and grab it now before it all goes missing, right? Because I want an investigation of corruption into it, all of it, right? All the weapons, all the dealings, all of it, right? It's mass police corruption at the highest level with her, right? Who obviously got promoted after me. So it's all about her. So I go to the IPCC. They have to act on police corruption. They're independent, apparently, right? They come back to me, right, and say, yeah, we've sent, we've seen all this information. What we do, we send it back to her to investigate herself, right? So I get a letter from her, the Deputy Chief Counsel, saying, yeah, you've sent it off to the IPCC, but they've made the decision, not her, for, to come back to her so she can investigate herself. For transparency, what they suggested was they'll get Norfolk to take a full statement from me. In her letter, she says, I want a full statement from you. No one to today right, has ever taken a full statement of me. Please do. <laughs> it ain't happening. right? So anyway, so an investigation is started by Suffolk Professional Standards, linked to Norfolk Professional Standards. We're going to come round, and what I tell them is like Chinese whispers, they're meant to go back to Suffolk and do it, but no one's writing nothing down, right? So it's all, isn't it, third hand and all this sort of stuff, and it ain't going to get right, but obviously I'm documenting everything as I go. And just on this investigation alone, right, I've got 67 recordings into it. Right, I've got police, Terry, confirming he's getting phone calls off the head of soccer. And all this, he's telling them all his concerns. He can't believe it. He's saying to me, on firearms, they jump. I've got Terry telling me how they're tracking terrorist cells in Norfolk <laughs> and giving details. <laughs> right, look, yeah, hold on. 
Right, so here you can see, and I've showed you, look, here is the Suffolk County Council report into the kiddie stuff. And David asked police regarding whoever and asked to be checked for handguns, sex offences being part of a kiddie network, right? That's a fact. That's police referral 448, right? So that was in 2008. Bear in mind the date, 2008. Very important what happens later on with this kiddie thing. Now, what happened is, I've just told you, now, I go to the IPCC, that there's the email now, I've found it. You need to contact me ASAP, then you will see for yourself what my situation is and what the position I'm in. You can then decide what you need to do. Let's look at the evidence, right? This is very serious business. I want this looked into professionally. You are an independent agency. I want you to stay that way. I've enclosed some recent examples of evidence being distorted in very high-profile cases, right? And in capitals is this. What you need to do is go and seize all files relating to myself from Suffolk Professional Standards and Suffolk Police Intelligence Unit and Norfolk Intelligence Unit. As I know about leaks, you need to do it fast before anything can be altered or lost. Look at the number and list of all officers involved. They all play a part in this business. This is a massive investigation. But first, my safety needs to be assessed, right? Then, obviously... I send it off to them. Then it comes back. Look, from her. Look, there she is, Deputy Chief Constable, right? She says, I note from your letter to the IPCC, you wish to complain about the search of your house and all that and the failure of constabulary to act on information concerning possession of a handgun. Yeah, and other stuff, right? These issues have been recorded by a professional standard department. In order to go to these matters and other specific allegations, I would ask you to provide a full statement. Right, there we go. And all the rest of it. Due to the nature of your complaints, I intend to voluntary refer voluntarily, sorry, refer this matter to the IPCC as they can elect or supervise or independently investigate your allegations. Right, so the IPCC send it to her, then she sends it back to them. Right? Then they send it back to her. Right? They have to act on police corruption. Right? It's a cover up and corruption on steroids, but let's prove it. So anyway, right, two of the three complaints are Suffolk Constabulary failed to act on information supplied by Suffolk Social Services regarding profession of the handgun, where I told them to go and get it regarding the giddy thing. And obviously, Suffolk Professional Standards Department are corrupt. That's all the special branch stuff and all the rest of it leaking you up. Right, so anyway, this is what happened. Look, they never spoke to anyone. Here, they retired them all. Retired, DCI, retired, special branch, retired, special branch. And this one, the DCI, was running the head of the Suffolk and Norfolk Major Investigations Unit. They never retired them. I found out after this investigation, two weeks later, we returned as a civvy. Right? <laughs> Fact. Anyway, so this is it. So anyway, I waited, right? Obviously, I've got the MP going on. I've got a load of other stuff. During this thing, I have other information, right, relating to stolen containers from military air bases, right, I've got the codes and all the rest of it, right, I've got evidence of it all, because going back, right, how we know these Americans and stuff is that Hollywood's, when that opened, all the American bases were open at the time, Bentwaters, Woodbridge, Mildenhall, all of them, and we got to know a lot of military people coming and going and befriend them. So that is how we know this information, or I do, not we. Anyway, this is part of this report. So anyway, an investigation is now carried out by professional standards and all the rest of it, right? 
into all these allegations and what happened. Anyway, I waited 14 months for this. And bear in mind, I'm going to the MP. I'm trying to get action, trying to get the right people. If the head of soccer, right, ain't getting on the phone to me, yet he's getting on the phone to Terry who's talking to me, what's going on? I've got Terry concerned, saying all this, I'm credible, on firearms, they jump, and all the rest of it. He, Terry says, I've got him recorded up, and it's all in here, saying he smells a rat, he thinks police higher up are getting paid off, and all the rest of it. Right, I've got Terry all thing, I've got all recordings, I've got 67 recordings that I've given these people, right, relating to this investigation, I haven't even listened to one. But I'll show you the breakdown in a minute, right? Look here. Everyone in red, right, there's a dictaphone, look, cover up. There's 67 recordings. Everything in red is serious. Right, that. 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 And that. And it just goes on. And look at it. Unbelievable. Must listen to this. Look, on. All serious or in red. Must listen to this on. Oh, look, look, all this. Look, look, there you go. Must isn't this unbelievable? Look, look, on. Police, look, on, look, all serious, all the rest of it. Another one, look, all in red and all in red. So out of them 67 recordings, every one in red is serious, right? And I can go click and put it all over the internet today if I want. I'm not going to do that, right? I'll tell you why later. Anyway. I waited 14 months for this investigation. Norwich did come out and take a statement. Nothing was written, and it wasn't a full statement. Right, it was a part statement. I've got them all recorded. Right, even my ex-wife confirming all about the kiddie stuff. Right, of what happened to her before I even married her. Right, anyway, this is what happened. This is part of the report. The complaint... Complainant says me allegations are set out in his letter of 8th of August 2009 sent the IPCC and subsequent ones dated 24th August 2009, 19th of September 2009 addressed to the Deputy Chief Council of Suffolk, right, where I'm slagging her off, and several telephone calls made by Mr Corson to Inspector Kim Warner, the investigating officer who'd done the complaint. It is worth noting that in view of the fact that one of the complaints made was directed at Suffolk Constabulary Professional Standards Department, the IPCC did not follow the usual protocol of forwarding the complaint directly to them for assessment. Instead, the complaint was forwarded to the Deputy Chief Constable. Well, that's who I'm complaining about. Listen to this. All the files were deleted and destroyed. I've told them to go and get them all tonight at the very beginning. Right, we've got all the email evidence confirming it. I said, go and seize everything before it gets lost or destroyed. Listen to this. Bearing in mind I've had history going back years with these forces, right, operations they've run into me and all the rest of it, everything, right? Inquiries on the dedicated PSD intelligence system have failed to reveal any entries or relevant information regarding previous interactions with Mr. Corson by the Professional Standards Department. Inquiries on the Professional Standards Complaint System reveal two recorded files. Reference 32109, which relates to this inquiry, right? Yeah, 32109, right? And miscellaneous 499, which also relates to a D. Corston, but for which there are insufficient details to confirm whether the complainant is the same. What? Mm. What are they on about? What they don't know is me. How many D. Corstons are there in Suffolk? What's going on? 
Furthermore, listen to this. It gets better. The paperwork in relation to miscellaneous reference file 499 is no longer retained, as all paperwork held by the constabulary is subject of a seven-year retention period. No, it ain't. They keep it on their databases forever. We'll get to that. Who's got permission to delete it? Thereafter, it is destroyed. Unfortunately, this means it is impossible for an investigating officer to examine the previous file for evidence of any corruption as alleged by Mr. Corston. Right, then it's an account from the DCI and the Special Branch. All three of the officers of whom it is suspected Mr. Corson is complaining of have now left the employment of Suffolk Constabulary. Consequently, accounts have not been obtained from them in relation to the board complaint that PST corrupt. What, 14 months for this? In any event, it would be impossible to put any, anything specific to the ex-officers given the broad nature of the complaint. Given the vague nature of the complaint, hold on, what, what you don't know what you're investigating 14 months later, together with the fact that they are now all retired, it is the investigator's opinion that it is not justified, nor is it proportionate or necessary to seek an account from them. Right. Right, so they don't know what it's about, people. But listen, despite the volume of information that Mr. Corson's helped lead provided the investigating officer, right, a ton of it, and offered them recordings, together with his meeting with officers from the Norfolk Professional Standards Department, it is not clear at all exactly how he feels that PSD are corrupt. <laughs> what? Mr. Corson mentions Alan and Mark, special branch, both of them have potentially been identified as previous members of Suffolk Professional Standards Department. Yeah, special branch, not BSD. Mr. Corson states he believes they have compromised the identity and that this has in turn placed him at risk. A fact he seeks to demonstrate via the Osmond warning and all that. Right, the issue of the Osmond has been collaborated, but the intelligence system, well, they've got that on intelligence, but the intelligence system offers no suggestion that it was the actions of any member of the constabulary that in any way led to the issue of the warning. Now, it wasn't linked to them. I told you it was over straight business, but they leaked the meeting. That's down to them. Professional standards records, RE complaints, intelligence and miscellaneous files, miscellaneous files have all been researched for evidence of previous dealings with Mr. Corson. There is a complete absence of any file, which would lead to suspicion that members of the PSD are corrupt. Then listen to this. It cannot be discounted that members of the constabulary may have had dealings with Mr. Corson that were not <laughs> recorded. Needless to say, it is impossible for the investigating officer to verify any such meetings in the absence of documentary evidence or confirmation from the officers themselves. Given the vague nature of the complaint, together with an absence of any evidence that supports the allegation, it is the investigating officer's opinion that this complaint is not upheld. Then... Other matters. This investigation has been delayed and complicated by a variety of factors. It was not initially passed to the Suffolk Professional Standards Department to manage, but was handled by the Deputy Chief Constable Staff Officer. Yeah, mate, I'm complaining about her. Right, an IPCC referral was made. Norfolk Constabulary PSD were asked to facilitate recording a detailed complaint. Most of the officers no longer work for the Constabulary. The vague nature of some elements of the complaint and the large quantity of supporting evidence supplied by Mr. Cause I've given tons of of it and they don't know what it's about however it is acknowledged that irrespective of these factors the complaint investigation has taken far longer to complete than was necessary and for this fact the investigating officers offer a sincere apology for the protect, protracted length of the inquiry 14 months later a uh, sorry oh yeah listen to this freedom of information 
in the last 15 years, how many instances have been recorded within your police force of intelligence records being deleted from law enforcement databases, either as a result of a mistake or as a result of a suspected unlawful or unethical action? Oh, hold on. Right. In the last 15 years, hold on. Here we go. Suffolk Constabulary has considered your request for information and our responses below. Listen to this one. <laughs> Suffolk Constabulary has no recorded incidents related to the deletion of intelligence files, either as a result or of a mistake or an unlawful action. Suffolk Constabulary has no recorded incidents relating to the alteration or intelligence records, either as a result of a mistake or an unlawful action. Suffolk Constabulary is investigating no police employee for deleting or amending intelligence records. There are no recorded criminal convictions in Suffolk Constabulary relating to the deletion or amendment of intelligence records. Where's mine then? Suffolk Constabulary does not routinely grant permissions for its personnel to alter or delete records from its databases. There will be a minority of staff with such permissions. However, this is with due regard to the requirements of that specific job role. There's only two people allowed to delete intelligence files. Her, the DCC, and him, the Chief Constable. That's it. So there you go. In the wrong words. Mate, it was covered up from A to Z. Now, what happened was, now I've got the ump. <laughs> now, what it was, right, all this going on, terrorism, transporting, weapons, kiddie stuff, it's all getting out of control. I've got threats to me life and all the rest of it, right? I'm falling out with her because she is responsible for what happened to the little girl and other stuff linking to the kiddie thing. Right, so there's problems. It's another marriage breakdown. It's all chaos, and it's all down to police. Right, it's all down to them, obviously. Look, now at this point in time, I'm not anti-police. You will see this during the siege. I want to say this now, my view on police. Now look, mate, I am not anti-police. They do an incredibly difficult job, right? It's an impossible job. I told the MP, and it's all noted in the files, look, if people take a step back and really look at things and think about things, which they don't do because they're more interested in EastEnders or who's scoring the goal on Saturday, right, they would see really what the problem is, right? It's impossible to police crime. On day one, if police started today and crime started today, crimes committed on day one, look, police only work eight-hour shifts. Mate, to solve all crimes that are committed on day one, some take a few days, some take longer, some might take weeks. Maybe on day one, they might even take months, if it's a murder or something. What about crimes tomorrow on day two? So from day one, they're behind, right? It's impossible. So that's why a lot of stuff gets screened out and all the rest of it, right? So look, mate, every decent police officer out there, look, you need to get this out, because obviously we're proving later, I am, of five chief constables not taking weapons. And this is a fact. We're going to get to all this. If I tell you this now, you're going to think, oh, yeah, of course, Sean will confirm it. And it? You've seen it. I've seen it all. Yeah. Directly not taking guns. And there's three who are still in the job. Not chief constable. One moved off to a world unit, and the other two are still PCCs. They're in the job today. But we'll get to it. The others are retired. So anyway, now look, I'm under a ton of pressure. Look, and all the rest of it. 
I didn't know where to go. I've got Terry confirming everything. He's got the head of soccer on the phone. Why are he getting on the phone to me? Everything is not relevant, right? How can it be? It's all deleted, shut down all the time, and it continued. But I'll get to what's happened there, mate. At that level, at that point in time, mate, I've nowhere else to go. I wanted every soldier to know what I know about the heroin. I wanted them to know it. And I was prepared to die for what I knew. So what happened next comes the siege. Now, obviously, you hit Google, and it ain't pretty. People think that's glamorous, all that taser business and machine guns and guns pointed at me and all the rest of it, mate. Looking back on it now, it was <sighs> reckless, stupid, but, mate, I believe I had nowhere else to go at that point in time. I didn't care. And you'll see in the reports that have never been read out before, stuff that I'm not meant to see or have, mate, they show you how I was prepared to die to get that information out. It's confirmed by them. It's not me saying it or bravado. Mate, that's what I was prepared to do. So let me get to what happened. Now, this is a funny story, right? And it's true. I was having rows with my wife at the time and all that, and sometimes she'd kick me out of the house, right? And there was an occasion where I called the police on her one night because it was getting a bit thing, right? So they turn up, two policemen, this is true, right? don't tell lies. They turn up like that and they said to her, right, she's got to leave. So anyway, there's no kids about, they were somewhere else. So she was in the house with me and they come up the top of the hallway because I said, well, come up and see what she's going to take, right? So they stood in the hallway of the house and she went in our bedroom like that. And then what it was, I'd got her, right, two ounces of white, not that, the fast stuff, right? Because she wanted to lose a bit of weight and stuff, right? And yes, I was taking some of that myself, admittedly, right? And I was on some steroids at the time, right? Because I was training a bit. You see me on the Google, you can see the shape of me. Not like I am now. Anyway, I all fat and ugly. But anyway, so what happened was, right? She goes in the bedroom, my wife, and I'd forgot about it. In the bedroom was two ounces of this fast stuff, right? Billy Whiz. In two pa- yeah, Billy Whiz in two ounces, right? So you got two packet ounces, right? Now, it could have been anything. It could have been like the expensive, the white, right? And that's serious charge, isn't it? Even being the Billy Whiz, right, it's still thing, isn't it, right? This is what happened. This is how much they didn't want to deal or engage with me, right? Anyway, we had a bit of an argument at the top of the stairs. The police are there. So she's gone in the bedroom. I forgot about this stuff in the bowl. She walks out on the landing with the bowl with the gear in it. <laughs> I went like that to police. I went, she's planted that, like that. Anyway, do you know what they've done? Right, they should have obviously like charged us both or whatever and things, searched the house and the rest of it. I swear, right, this is what happened. The geezer, like, had a word on the radio. He put his glove on, took the gear right out of the pot and cleared off and told her to go. I heard nothing. They didn't even know whether that was expensive. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info. Also linked in my description box on this YouTube version, or scan the QR code on the screen. 
Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app. Mate, that could have been, you know what, the white, isn't it? That stuff. They didn't know what it was. <laughs> what a joke. That's how much they did not want to deal with me. Right, so it was all getting crazy. Anyway, now what happened was, right, she kicked me out one night and there was a car park around the corner where we parked the car, our allocated space, if you like. We lived in a row of terraced houses. Bearing in mind, I've lost my farmhouse. I've lost everything. We're in supported, well, not supported accommodation, like um, association, housing association house, you know, and that's it. So I've had to cash everything in, like I told you, all for nothing overnight, all the land and everything, right? So we've got a certain amount of money, but she's running off, spending it all every weekend, leaving me babysitting and all that stuff, right? And I found out during the siege that she was knocked up pregnant by someone else. Yeah, I'm meant to be controlling and all that. Well, how am I? How's she running off and doing that, you know, to the Lake District, if I'm controlling, isn't it? Ridiculous. But this is what they say, and I'll get to this later. So anyway, what happened was, this is a funny story, right? And this is how it got to being the people in the siege with me. Now, I've never spoke about the siege in my life, obviously. So here's my opportunity to tell everyone what's on Google and what it looks like ain't what it is. Now, if you go to the Dave Corston link on YouTube, you'll see a documentary on there. And also Bernard O'Mahony, he's got one on there about this siege called The False Billy Jasper Narrative. You have to go on YouTube, Google my name and see it. Now, I've got no control over that. I didn't ask it to be put out. Look, I'm ashamed and embarrassed by this, to be honest with you. It ain't good. Because if I was to meet a girl today and their family see this or she looks at it, I don't look good boyfriend material. I look a maniac and dangerous. And they compare me to Realmo. Right? The cop. I'll get to that later, what I said there, and now it's all distorted. Right? We're going to go right through the siege. It'll be a good one. So listen <laughs> in, right? So anyway, so she boots me out. So I'm asleep in the car like an idiot around the corner, right? I can't be bothered to go to the hotel. It's a warm night. I'm asleep in the car, just thing. So Terry turns up, Terry Taylor, the, the copper. Now, I heard later that she was having an affair with him. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know. Good luck to him, because she was a sort. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm in the car like that. Terry knocks on the window. It's Terry. So I, I find the window. I tell you what's up. He said, Dave, he said, she's rung up. She's a bit concerned you're so close. He said, look, do you mind coming with me? He said, just half a mile up the road. We're Beaufort police stations. He said, look, there's, there's two homeless people living in a van there, right? He said, I know him. He said, they're good people. He said, come on, I'll introduce you to him. He said, do you mind just staying there for the night and all that because of her? I said, Terry, of course I don't mind. So I followed Terry in his police car and we drive half a mile up the road to Beaufort Police Station, the car park next to it, right? There's a supermarket there. And then he introduces me that night, right, to two homeless people, Sharon and Tony. They're the people you see in the siege, right, who are in the house with me. Now, this is a true story, right, of how they got involved. Now, Terry comes and introduces me to them. And what they're hearing that night, what we're talking about, me and Terry, right, is being confirmed by Terry. So they know, like you, sort of the level of seriousness of it from that night. Now, they're quite sensible, these people. They would never have got involved in this. You know, I mean, who would really? They need a medal. And we'll get to that, right? Because the people involved, the police, were given medals but they didn't end it, I did. So we'll get to all this in stages. So this is the beginning of it, who them people were who were in the house with me. So anyway, over the course of the week, I'm sort of living in my car, 
right, I'm not going home and I'm getting to know these two homeless people who were just waiting to be out. They had their dog in the van, all that nice people, just people who are down on their luck. You know what I mean? There's millions of them out there and I feel their pain. So I got to know him and obviously it's all being confirmed by Terry. And Terry used to pop in and speak to us all and all that. You know, he's like my pal, Terry. So what it was, right, my wife had left the house. The house was empty. And look, obviously, mate, I'm fired up. I'm now determined. I'm angry, right? I want this to get out. Now, what it was as well, I've got to go back here now a bit because this is 2011. This is where it links to Rendon. Now, going back a year before the siege, right? I've got to get to this. See, I forget and think. There's so much, it's difficult. Now, I called a meet with Bernard O'Mahony. I went and met him in Wickford. Now, I wanted him to try and expose some of this corruption and that, right? He does the books and all this sort of stuff. And I wanted him to assist me because I ain't got a clue where to go or what to do or whatever. So he knew contacts and all that sort of stuff. So I asked him. It didn't go as well as I thought, right? No disrespect to Bernard. We had a chat and all that. But as we got out to leave, I passed him a copy of a polygraph test I took, right? I forgot to mention all that. During the lead up to this, I took a polygraph test, right, on various questions, seven questions. Now, that was done at my home, and that was done in February 2010, right? It was seven questions. You've got a copy of the test, so it's Bernard and all the rest of it, right? Now, I've put some of this out on the Facebook group. Not the questions, but I've put, like, who invented the test and all that sort of stuff and who the geezer was, how qualified he was who gave me the test. This is not a Mickey Mouse one. It's nearly a £1,000 back then. So I wanted to take this test to prove information, all the rest of it, intelligence divisions, right, what wasn't acted on at the very highest level. So I took that test, right, in 2010 and passed every question. Two are military Questions two, a terrorist, and three, a levels of operation, loads and stuff. All passed with flying colours. So I went out a chat with Bernard. As we're leaving, I sort of passed him this polygraph. I said, look at that. I said, that's CIA shit, right? And laughed, right? And, and just walked out. You know what I mean? End of story. Weren't going nowhere. So anyway, so I've got all this evidence now, right? All the corruption, all the recordings, everything into it all, right? Everything is not relevant for the head of soccer, but it was all relevant one minute. I'm in high-level secret meetings, mate. Now I can't get a phone call or no action. There's a threat on me and all the rest of it. Mate, I want everyone to know what's going on. I had phones, SIM cards, documents, everything. So anyway, I'll get into these people, right? And also at the time, going back a year now, I also went and met, I can't name him, but the brother of, can I name the one in jail? Or was in jail for the murders? I, um, is that going to be a legal situation? Well, look, you've got two people who were charged with the murders, the the murders. One's still in jail now. One was out, right? He's out, released. He's on license, obviously, done 20 something years. His brother, right, I met a year before the siege. And I went and met him, right, he's well known on all the groups, right, I went and met him. And on day one, I put to him a plan, right, an idea to potentially get them an appeal, maybe, and also maybe to help my agenda, right? So I took to him the robbery linking to the murders, right, because there's a connection. Obviously, look, I'm not involved in the murders, but I link everything around them, right? Tucker and all the rest of it. I know Tate and all the rest of it. So on day one, the brother of one of the ones responsible and thing for the murders, jailed for it, right? I met him. Now, over the course of that year, I met him about five times, numerous phone calls. On day one, he knew, right, what the ex-detectives were saying, right, was all lies, 
right? I've told him, look, I'm coming to you, blah, blah, blah. This is my idea, linking a robbery to these murders. It could help your brother in the appeal, and it could help me by getting the right people around the table and all the rest of it. I'll link myself to the murders. I'll say I was around the table when the hit was ordered, right? You know that's lies, but technically there's a link here, right? And we might be out to open them up. That was the plan. And he knew that, the brother, from day one. So anyway, what it was that a few days before that siege, right, I've been talking for approximately two years now and again to a customs and excise intelligence unit, right, after the secret meeting. It's all in there. You've had the report, haven't you? Yeah. Five by five intelligence report, right? It's in here somewhere, I think. You won't find it. Hold on. Let's have a look. It's quite an interesting point. I can find the proxy then. Just to remind the viewers, the real Essex Boys Murders Group yeah, Facebook yeah. page is in the link yeah, yeah. Oh, before yeah. this video on YouTube version. In the description box, all of David's links will be down there. Is it somewhere? Oh, description box. Not so much documents and paperwork. Drives me mad. Well, it's good. You can back everything up. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, this file here, I was never meant to see, to be honest with you. So, hold on, let's just find it. It's in here somewhere. Sorry, viewers. All right, go for here it. we go. Right. So, what it was, look, after the secret meeting, after all the problems, I contacted my old enemy, which is customs and excise. Right? Obviously, I was transporting, they were my enemy. And you've seen evidence where I told that Deputy Chief Counsel of this operation not undermined, didn't you? Now, I didn't know it. They confirm it in this intelligence report. I'm not meant to have, by the way, right? And all the rest of it, right? I'll tell you how I got it in a minute. So anyway, so after the secret meet, I contact Customs and Excise. I'm given a code name, Lee Woods. That's my name, right? But I'm not an informer. Right? I'm not grasping anyone up. I'm telling Customs my problems after the secret meet. I want to know if any information was passed to them. You know, it's terrorist shit and other stuff, right? So I wanted to know. So I'm speaking to my old enemy, right? And I'll tell you what this says in a minute, this intelligence report. So I spoke with this fella called Paul from Customs and Excise. Again, like Terry Taylor, I build up, like with a special branch, a bit of a good rapport with them. Paul was all right, this customs guy. I was telling him my concerns. I'm not informing on everyone. I'm just letting him know what's going on with this Osman and all the problems and all the rest of it and their cover-ups and everything else. And Paul's going back. And I didn't speak to him often. I suppose over the course of about two and a half years, I think. It's probably about five times. Right. But anyway, so here we go. Look, here's the intelligence report. Two days before that siege, right, Terry confirms in his notes with other officers. I told him, if I don't get any action, I've had enough of this. I want this exposed, right? And I'm going to blow it. I'm going to do a siege. So police knew two days before, and it's confirmed in a minute. I'll read the notes. You confirm it. Stuff I'm not meant to have, right? They knew damn well what was going to happen, right? Now, also... Customs and excise. Two days before, I phone customs and excise and I tell them the plan of what me and were going to do. Obviously, that I was around the table when the hit was ordered, right? So now, oh, I mentioned his name. Yeah, think of that. Right. So the brother of the one in jail, right, who's now released, what happened was when I was to do the siege, he was meant to contact the media, right, and expose it all. That was his job, okay? So the minute I've banged up and the siege starts, he was meant to contact the media to tell them what this is all about. A, to help his brother, 
right? And B, to assist me in getting the truth out. This is what it was. Um, at my wit's end, I can't go anywhere. Mate, you see, I've tried to do the right thing at every stage of the day through no fault of my own. I've had no choice but to come forward to talk to me in the first place because of all the money laundering stuff that I got dragged into. So look, mate, it's a set of circumstances and I'm really the victim, right? I believe anyway. I mean, people will judge it. There'll be comments, whatever. I don't really read them. But anyway, send some. Slag me off if you want. I don't care. I've got thick skin, but anyway. So also, two days before this siege, I ring up customs and excise right i'm hoping to speak to paul but it's been so long since i've contacted them right? i've obviously got a number and a code name my name is lee woods right paul's not there anymore it's someone else right this is a copy and a report of the conversation and bearing in mind also not only do police confirm that siege was going to kick off so does customs and listen to what happened everyone Right, 5x5 five five information intelligence report form, restricted. S. Richards, HMRC. Now, he says, this is weird, because he says the date and time of this report is 6th of the 5th, 2011. No, no, no. That's the day of the siege. I called him two days before. Source and information intelligence evaluation to be completed by submitting officer. B, mostly re reliable. Known personally to the source, but not to the person reporting, right? I'm an untested source, E, right? I'm not an informant. Got it? So there, there it says, untested source. But I've got a code name, right? Like I say, I'm more of an asset. Look, handling code, right? Permits dissemination within Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs and to other law enforcement agencies as specified. It has to be reviewed on dissemination. Right, past the police, right? It did. But they say this report was done on the 6th for the 5th. Right, that's the day of the siege. No, I spoke to him two nights before. Right, I've never sp showed this report to anyone else apart from some people that got it. But look, I don't care about it. This is what it says. I'm not an informant. I'll read it out to you. Page a message received from source, that's me, at 13.45 hours, asking to be contacted urgently on either blah, blah, blah number or blah, blah, blah number. At this stage, it was not apparent who the source was. Source was called back at 17.57 hours, which is 12 minutes later. Phone answered by a male, me. I advised the source that I was calling regarding a recent page of message that I'd received. The source asked if I was a customs and excise. When I told him I was, he replied, thank fuck for that. The source went, then went on to say that the police were taking no notice of him and only a month ago he had gone into this police station to give a statement about how he was privy to a triple murder hit. Now the brother knew this is all lies. It was part of our plan, right? I was hoping at that stage maybe to get reminded to go to court, right? Mate, it would all come out. Everything would come out. This is what I was hoping, right? And I was, mate, it never happened like that. But that was what I thought. Get it in court. Get all this out there. Everything. All the recordings. I'll be able to show everything. Who's the hero? Who's the villain? Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? And all of it, right? All the cover-ups, all the corruption, it will come out. That was a way to blow it. Mate, I was wrong. So anyway, they sent me away from the police station. Listen, that's what they did. Even when I said I was around a hit to a triple murder, they, they weren't bothered, right? I asked the source who he had previously talked to in HMRC. He replied that it was a number of years ago. I told you, I'm not in contact with him. And the person was called Paul and that Paul had given him a name of Lee Woods to use. That's my code name. 
The source went on to say that he had written to his MP, Richard Bacon, who had written to head of soccer, right, and he'd had nothing back. He went on to say that four years ago, he'd had a secret meeting at Stansted Airport with two Suffolk officers and others from, I won't name it, but the police were now saying they had no record of this meeting. I then asked the source what happened when he previously spoke to HMRC. He replied that it was about two years ago and we were the old enemy. The source then gave the handler, without being asked, his full name and address, which was noted as 16 Badger Road, Newcastle, Norwich, the place of the siege. The source went on to say that he had previously passed information to Suffolk Police that had resulted in people being suspended, yeah, being linked to guns. He added that he had also offered to take on the heroin trade for them, which is when Suffolk had passed him to hire a mob, who we won't name at the secret meeting. At this point, I stopped the source from talking and asked him if he had any information for us today. (laughs) He replied that he had taped police conversations and had given Essex Police seven names to go after of Bent Police, right? You've seen them. I've showed you in the document. He added that head of soccer has still not done anything. I advised the source that I realised he was upset, but what was the point of him contacting HMRC today? The source then advised that he had taken a polygraph test and that he'd answered truthfully about questions about an OCG smuggling 100 kilos of Class A whatever, D-I-U-G-S. No, I never said that. I said over 100 tonnes, right? And I never said what class. I then told the source that I wasn't being funny, but that was not relevant to me. What's not relevant? Even if it was 100 kilos, it's relevant. Your customs, mate. What's not relevant? Soccer say it's not relevant to them. It's not relevant to no one, is it? What, drugs and terrorism and weapons and all that? Mate, it's insanity, isn't it? You know, am I deluded or what? You're upsetting the apple cart. Mate, it's madness, isn't it, right? So it's not relevant to him, and he was more interested in the triple murder he had previously talked about and to give me an example or details of it. Right, the source, me, replied that it took place in December, right, he's got a year wrong, he says 1996, and involved people called Tucker, one of the ones who got jailed, etc. At this point, I confirmed with the source that he was talking about the Rettenden murders, right, so he knew what it was. The source went on to say, and bearing in mind this is all part of the idea with the brother of the one who was in jail at the time, right, to get thing to get them potentially an appeal so I've got the links to it and obviously my link with all the robbery and all the rest of it fitted like a glove at that point right so that was the plan and he knew it his job was when the siege kicked off to ring the media to tell them all about it instead he went wayward on it and put a statement in against me right fact come forward on YouTube and tell me the brother of the one who was in jail that you didn't do that because I'll go bang right so he can't so anyway the source went on to say that the people who were found guilty didn't do it. Yes, they did. And that when it happened, he was doing six years for an armed robbery with Tucker. The, no, I wasn't. I was, I was out then. The source went on to say that he was around the table when the hit was ordered. I asked the source if he could give me names of who ordered it, etc. He replied that what he was saying was true. No, it wasn't. It was a lie. That's the only lie I've told, bearing in mind. Linked to the Rettenden murders was a total fabrication. It was a master class right in entrapment with them detectives and all the rest of it but we'll go into this right that's what it is right so there 
I asked the source if he would give me the names of people who ordered it. He replied that what he was saying was true and that he received Osmond warnings from police in the past. He went on to say that there was a couple that lives next door to him called Jason Deck that he has told about this as well. That's true. I then advised the source that we needed to try and get somewhere with this conversation, right? And asked him what he wanted me to do. The source listened to this. Right. The source replied that he is one step away from tooling himself up to get attention. I advised the source not to do that and explained that I would take away what he has told me today, have a look at it and decide who the best people were for him to deal with. I asked the source if he was willing to give up the name of the person who ordered the hit and who actually carried it out. He replied that it was not as easy as that, right? I was never going to do that because obviously they're guilty. Right, the source then advised that he wanted to be arrested for conspiracy as he was round the table when the hit was ordered. I asked him why he wanted to be arrested, to which he replied so he could stand up in court and tell the truth against the police. I asked the source if he wanted to talk to police officers in Essex. He replied that he wants people to listen and that he's after the police and not the criminals. Finally, I advised the source that I would call him back today or tomorrow. Right, call ended. 14.25. So hold on, what was it? 57. 28 minutes, right? So I'm on the phone for 28 minutes. He said, I'm distressed. I'm going to get tooled up to get attention. I'm going to do a siege, right? He knows. He never calls me back, right? Listen, listen to this. Now, in the hand's opinion, the source sounded angry and agitated throughout the call. He often repeated himself and appeared very displeased with the police. The source mentioned about tooling himself up, which the handler took to mean getting a gun. Background. Source first contacted HMRC on the 10th of June 2008. His address at the time was 1 Portal Close Barnum, Fetford. Source given pseudonym, codename Lee Woods. Now look. The source was previously under active investigation by HMRC in 2004 DRUG transporting, but is no longer appropriate. <laughs> the source was passed to soccer in 2009 for their assessment. No, the MP wrote to him, I was no assessment or nothing, right? Listen to this, right? He says, I'm getting a gun, right? I'm going to do a siege and all the rest of it, right? Risk assessment form completed. No. He doesn't do a risk assessment. Yeah, I'm getting a gun. Right? Disseminated to Phillips at Norfolk Police. Don't say a date, right? Handling him things. Public interest immunity. Yes. Right? You know what that is, didn't you? That's like things coming out in court. Basically, in my level, it's a threat to national security. Right? So he's ticked yes on that because it's in the public interest. It's all about dissemination and evidence. If you Google it, people, you'll see about it. But at this level, it's about, and it tells you PII, it's a threat, if you're a threat to saying, like, the public getting the knowledge out. PII, public interest immunity, he's ticked yes. Right? At um, this level, it's a threat to national security. Look, input into an intelligence system? No! It's not input into any databases again. Right? How is that possible? Right? Mate, again, look, everything gets deleted and thing. Nothing's recorded. It's bollocks, right? Look, all that, right? It has to be. Look, hold on. And there's the third page, just restricted. All the reference numbers and God knows what. Look, serious failure. No input into the intelligence system. It has to be reviewed on dissemination. 
Look, 100 key of class A DRGS, not relevant, right? Check polygraph, over 100 tonnes. Is this also not relevant? Look, under previous investigation for transporting, that passed the soccer for assessment. Hey, no, it wasn't. Never to this day even had a phone call. Public interest immunity, yes. Risk assessment form completed, no, but I'm getting a gun. Right, Hanlon's opinion, I sounded very angry, agitated, mentioned tooling up and mean I was getting a gun. What if I was well mote, right? That's that. Now, then, what happened was the two homeless people, I told them what I was going to do and they were there for my protection, right? Because what happened was that if I was on my own, it was only an air gun, right? And they knew that and they could have told police that at any time, but they didn't, right? If police would have known that, you see the pictures in a minute, they're ballistic shields, they'd have come in, like, what would I have done? It wasn't even loaded, what, ping? Mate, it wouldn't have happened. If it was a real gun and I was in there on my own, they'd tear gas the place and I would have to come out. And obviously they're there, right? Whatever would happen would have happened, whether you're dead or alive, whatever. You'd have had to have come out of the house unless you had a breathing kit, which I didn't have. So anyway, right, it was all planned, right, and all the rest of it. Police knew what was going to happen. Now look, at the end of the day, if they thought your mental health was fading or something like that, they should have sent people in to stop it. They knew what was coming, right, and they allowed it to happen. You've heard the evidence, people, right? How is that even possible? So, look, to allow that to happen, mate, I'm not responsible, and it was chaos. So what happened was I told the two homeless people, look, come to the house and we're going to do what we're going to do, right? So I said, this is funny. I give them some money. I said, go out and get some food and all that, right, for the thing. I was expecting to roll up for a week. So I send them down to the shops, right? Anyway, they come back with all happy shopper shit and all that. <laughs> like 10 pence, tins of beans. They could have had steak and all that, right? And they're giving me change back, bless them. And all that. that's how honest they were. Anyway, I'm laughing. I think, oh my God, right? So that was it. So what it was, right? I had the alarm in my house again. So anyway, what I'd done, right? I wanted others. I was in a building site, right, on a new estate. So why I wanted other people to confirm, like, the weapon. So what it was, I had some documents, paperwork, and a disc, right, of evidence on the disc. So what it was, it was I waited till all the kids had gone to school, right? I went, I was responsible, right? I was on housing estate, so I waited for all the kiddies to get to school, and then that was it. I went out, I had the gun down my waistband, right, showing the handle. And I walked around the estate and I see a group of builders like in a van having a break. It's all in the stainers. Oh, funny enough, they worked for my pal's company, but I didn't know that at the time. So I walk up to them like that. I handed them some documents, right, evidence, and a disc, right? And I went to him, mate, it's your lucky day. I went tap, tap, and he looked down and see the gun handle, right? And then I walked back calmly to the house, shut the door, pressed the alarm, right? The alarm that I had in the briefcase. Goes to headquarters, whatever. So now it's kicked off, and. Mate, it took about 50 minutes for these lemons to turn up, right? And they're only up the road anyway. <laughs> so what if it was a real emergency with the thing and I was going to get shot or something? Mate, it's no good, is it? It's, it's all just ineffective and useless. So anyway, so it takes them 50 minutes to turn up. Then they pull up out the front and there they go, getting out, hiding behind the cars and all that. And then more turn up and then more and all the rest of it. Right now, we're on the mobile phone. Straight away, I make a phone call to the brother who was mentoring the media. I have a conversation with him. He bottled it and didn't do nothing. He stabbed me in the back, little rat. 
right? He didn't do nothing. So that was that one gone, right? So I see more police putting up and all that. Right, straight away, look, obviously, like the movies, they're bringing people in, negotiators, right? And it ain't like the movies, right? It's not like that, right? When I asked this negotiator what train he'd have, he'd done like a weekend's course. He'd never done it before. It's a joke. And they're not even sitting out the front of where this is happening. They're at headquarters, so they're not even got eyes on, right? It's madness. I couldn't believe it. But I'll tell you the whole story of the siege, because it's a good one, this, and I like to get this one out. It's interesting. People won't believe it. But this is what I was up against, right? So look, if I was mentally ill at that point in time, they could have sent people in, they could have sent police in to defuse it and sort it all out. No, no, no. Mate, when you go against people of her level, right, and obviously she got accelerated further up, Chief Constable Cleveland, Head of Strategic Command Course, Head of Anti-Corruption, she's either, mate, they weren't going to put me over her. The head of soccer, they're not putting me over him. Even when the MP confirms it, I'm all credible and all the rest of it. I've got Terry all thing. Like you say, the head of soccer's on the phone with him. Why don't you just go in here? Speak to Dave. No, no, no. Right? And all the rest of it. So, it kicks off. Now, the negotiator's on the phone. I knew straight away that they're moving people out of the houses next door and listening through the walls straight away to what the movements are in the house. Right? I know their techniques. It says in here, I know their techniques. Because right? I know it all. We've been told by police what happens. So anyway, straight away, the negotiator's on the phone, all the rest of it, some geezer called Roger. I give him his due. He wasn't a bad fella. So look, I didn't really want to speak to him. So it starts on day one, right? It's about half nine now it starts. Obviously, it's an hour before they turn up and get to realise what's going on. They think I've got a gun, right? But I won't confirm it. The builders, right, on the site have reported it as well, right, that they've seen me with a gun or the handle of it, right, they don't know whether it's real or not, and I've given this stuff. They've tried to play the disc, it's in the but the disc ain't going to play, it's encrypted. It's for police, right? The disc was never returned. Huh, what's on the disc, isn't it, right? Obviously, it all links to the polygraph questions and all the rest of it, right? We won't go into that because we ain't, right? We're sticking with things that you can understand. So anyway... It starts kicking off, and literally, look, hold on, what they do, so look, intercept calls straight away from here. This is the notes. I never see these notes, right? When I come out from the prison sentence, I got three years. I served 18 months, which was the right result, right? The judge knew what it was all about. I never see the notes. If I'd have had all this stuff, right, I was never meant to have, I'd have fought it, but I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute. Now, look, during that siege, right, it says... Hold on, here we go. Let's get to it. There's a letter to the judge. Damn well, right, hold on. I've got to find the thing. I think it's in this one. Hold on. Just let me grab it. I've got all yep. the files everywhere. Go for it. You've seen the amount of files I've got. Here we go. Oh, yeah. This is it. Right. This is the write up in the paper, right? We'll get to that bit in a minute. So, we start, right? Look. First page, right? Two nights ago, not calm, right? Look, prepared to die. Terry Tavener, why? Police corruption. This is negotiator's notes, right? There. Concerns shot, right? Look, two nights ago, not calm. That was when police were aware and customs, right? Look, here, negotiator's page, here. Wants to give statement about a triple murder, right? That is lies. Wants to get his story in public. Get Terry Tavener to speak 
to the press about what happened and the MP, Mr Bacon, to speak to the subject, me. I want it all out in the open. These their notes, right? They knew that the next phone call is going to be the big one. I'm going to be tooled up. They know that, right? Confirmed, right? Subject, me, wants an independent public inquiry, not police related, okay? Right, I covered all the windows over, right? And I barricaded the doors. There was patio doors to the lounge, but the front door was barricaded. That was really the only sort of door downstairs, right? That's that, look. Secret meeting with whoever, confirmed, right? David undermines their intelligence unit, may have gun, right? Sharon and Tony announced, friends are okay, they're there for David's protection. He's not answering whether he has a gun, does not want to kill people. David is prepared to die, right? I was, I was never expecting to come out. Were the negotiations recorded? Mate, all the tapes you'll hear, right? My sister listened to some of them, because there's no mention of me pointing a gun at anyone, but we'll get to that. They will never release the tapes of what I'm saying, right? I'll tell you how in the night when I really talk to them, what it's about. They will never release the tapes. When I come out, I had the tapes in my head and they got snatched back. Is there any footage right. we could use of the siege? Mate, yeah, Bernard O'Mahony, the false Billy Jasper narrative or false Billy Jasper thing on Bernard's site, I think it's about 20 minutes. Look at that and you see me coming out and getting tasered and all that. Right so at the end use of it. that. Yeah, so use that, yeah. Right, look, notes here. Right, what happened incident two days ago? Police corruption, right, okay. Has knowledge of police tactics. This is negotiator's notes. Right, look, David, high risk, right? All the rest of it. Police, high, right? Personality type, psychotic. I'm not psychotic, right? Look, now, when you see behind the scenes, it's all silver and gold commanders taking control and all this, different police at different levels and all this. And you'll see in this, they were drafting people in from other forces and everything else, right? They've got psychologists behind the scenes, all the rest of it, right? It's chaos, right? The amount of people involved in this is shocking that I never would have believed. Obviously, I'm looking at the windows now and again and seeing multiple police. I didn't realise they've got an army there and they've evacuated the estate. You know what I mean? It's madness. This never needed to happen. But obviously, look, I've got a bag of documents, SIM cards, phones, all by the door. And when I get blown away, because I was not expecting to walk out of there, right? End of story, it can all get exposed, right? That never happened, but obviously. So, look, they're active listening, right? Through the walls and that. So, okay, try to understand. Silver updates. Like I say, it's all silver and gold commander, right? What's this? Believed to be psychotic. Something about soccer, right? Essex boys. Hold on, here we go. What's this? Uh, their writing's terrible. Hold on. How to help me? Some validation of his issues or something. Feels he, he has a lot of intelligence that could help. Does not take medication. Of course I don't. Right. Pro-police. Mentions gun. Right. Also, right at the time, right, there was members of the public about 25 metres away, right, a crowd of them. There were some travellers over the road from the site. I recognised them. I got photographs in there of them, all right. I kept getting out to go, telling people to go away. If I had, you know, if this is real, this is over in my line of fire. I could have just fired, right, but the police are just letting them all out of crowd, like a show and all that. And obviously, media are moving in on the estate with all satellites and all that and helicopters and all sorts, right. <laughs> They say they never took off the police in here. I'll get to that, right? So, hold on. So, now look. He do- doesn't want to defuse it, me, right? Psychotic. 
Terry Tavener, right? Subject, me, determined in approach, right? Now my risk assessment is low to medium, wants to talk, right? Then all their tactics and strategies. Look, call police two nights ago. Look, two years ago, police missed a firearm and I spoke to MP, Terry Tavener, soccer people, soccer. Look, secret meeting, I've done all this, right? Hold on. Try to deal with this discreet. It's not worked. Right, here we go. Then I'm moaning, right? Norfolk police about trying to find garden gnomes instead of listening to me. Right, I've got the evidence, right? Norfolk police put out an appeal for the return of garden gnomes, right? Seriously, I'll get all this, right? Rather than deal with me. That's their level. Seriously, mate, and I'm moaning about that, right? Statement, look, too late, why? Look, here we are. It's the gnomes, look. Here we are. Look, a gnome rehoming project <laughs> has been launched by police in North Walsham after garden ornaments were found abandoned in the field. PCSO Tony Callaghan from the area's Safer Neighbourhood team discovered a dozen of the figures, mainly in the Station Road part of the town, including about six, including a concrete dog, a donkey and a wooden scarecrow, have been successfully reunited with their owners, but others are waiting to be claimed. He said the thefts were likely to have been a Mate, they do more for garden gnomes than they do for me on terrorists. What a joke, isn't it? Right, spoke to Terry Tavener. Right, prevent update from silver and all this sort of stuff. Right, and all the rest of it. Look, here we go. Find out about the chronology from 1991 to late 89. That's the robbery. Right, contain the account. Right, fresh people looking at this. Right, okay. Look, hold on. What's this? Concessions. Offer of a fresh set of eyes, right, of a specialist officer under direct of intel under the new chief constable. They're sending someone in. They're worried what I'm going to say. Now, right, threat assessment low. Hold on, I thought I was psychotic. When you hear about my experience in the mental illness hospital, mate, when you've gone psychotic, right, you don't come back down without medication to be levelled out. Right, so one minute I'm all psychotic, next minute I'm low. But they think I've got a gun, right? But it's not even put in the intelligence system. Come on, what's going on? Right, look. Meeting, Terry Tavener. Look, gather intelligence. He spoke to the MP. He spoke to the soccer director himself, look. Look, quotes, I've had a link to organised crime. Look, head of soccer thinks I'm a fantasist. What a joke, isn't it? Why is he on the phone? Look, I won't comment on what I think about him. Look, there you go. Right? Hold on. Uh, 36 recordings. Look, Terry. Look, and all the things. Look, there you go. Charmaine, can't name the guy. He's pregnant. Look, I don't know. And all that, right? So that's that one. Here we go. Right. Quote, David says, if he don't find someone listening to him, he would create a siege. And the other PC also heard this with Terry. Right, they want to gather intel around my ex-wife. Terry's of the opinion, look, Essex and Suffolk, look, he spoke to him. There is corruption, but officers have been retired. Terry says, take statement, look at what he can entertain. Yeah, what I know. I tape all the conversations. Osmond Morning. Worried about possibility before, now very public. Terry confirms, right? He introduced me to the homeless who supported me, right? That's it. What's this one? Just goes on about her and all the rest of it. Terry Tavener, to say what he knows to the press, right? Has Terry on tape talking about police corruption, Right. Hold on. 
What's all this stuff? Yeah, again, said I might cause a siege situation. Something about a martyr here, right? Concerns over what I've got on tape and all the rest of it. No third parties to talk to Terry, right? They don't want to know. Now, this here. Uh, again, I'm psychotic, right? This is page 22 of their notes. Look, customs took the call yesterday. Hold on. The report says the day of the siege. But now they're saying they took the call yesterday from customs. But it was days before that. So obviously it's taken customs time to call and tell Norfolk. But look, like it's all blanked out, right? Okay. So what's that all about from customs? Look, DCC, Silver Commander, Polygraph and all the rest of it. FA, Soccer, OCG, Organised Crime Groups. Right? There we go. That's my thing there, the report, and it goes on. Hold on. Right. Here. Look, she's dispatched to intercept all the rest of it. Right. Then you've got threat assessment. I'm low now, and all the rest of it. Right, strategy. Continue under advisement, right? They've got to listen and all that sort of thing. Terry Tame to help look and all the rest of it. What's this one? Here we go. They're thinking someone in the house is hurt, right? There now, that's what it says. It wasn't, right? They want proof of life and all that. No change. Right. Now, this is where, look, here we go. Look, they've even got all their phone numbers. My mobile there's. They've even got the negotiators and all the rest of it. And like the psychologist, him. Jed Bailey's or something. Look, now he's called in look, and all the rest of it. He's having a meeting with them all, right? Look, what do I want? I've got access to high-level police. There you go, right? All the rest of it here. <laughs> Describe me wife as a chav. <laughs> she is. Right, there we go. Now, look, hold on. I'm pro-police, not psychotic, right? Look, impression bad boy wants to make good. I want to be a good dad. I've lost everything, family, money. Right, I don't drink. It's all about getting my story out. I'm a villain gentleman. Now, listen to this. Not seen anything to say I'm psychotic. Well, hold on. I thought I was one minute. One minute I'm not. One minute I am. What am I? You know what I mean? This is page 28. It's a joke, isn't it? Now, look. They're worried about suicide by cop. Right? I'm going to run out or do something and get shot and all the rest of it. Right? All the rest of it. So, there you go. Hold on. Right. Now... Losing speech, maybe I'm not holding it together, right? Look, Sharon, can you come out? I can't, right? So she's saying now they say that she can't come out, mate. They could have left at any time, right? End of story. Has he got a weapon? She nods. They knew it was an air gun, right? But look, they didn't know that I could have had other guns in the house, and you'll see later the police think I had two, right? Look, here we go. Look, Wansey will be shot at, will die. <laughs> mate they're not playing games I'm telling you Sean right it ain't pretty again psychotic right but I'm medium risk what's this one here we go right look gun in bathroom gun in me pocket two guns right look there look, I'm willing to die now look threat assessment high driven delusional right look says down there that now they're hostages, right? She's there against her will, 
No, she ain't. If you look at the media stories throughout this, I couldn't see at the time, you will see police media management, mate, they're gearing up saying they're hostages. They knew damn well they weren't. They're shaping the narrative so they can execute you. Mate, they're doing it, gearing me up to be slaughtered. And that's that. And I prove all this. Bearing in mind, I never seen none of this. I was lucky to get it. Right? Look, now I'm a hypermaniac. Angry with police. All the rest of it, right? Let me tell you what happened. Right? Anyway, we can go on and on. You get the picture, right? How long did the siege go for? 32 hours. What happened was, and this is a fact, look, this is what happened. Let me show you the bit where they say I pointed the gun at police. That there's me getting tasered. <laughs> right? Joke. You see that online. Me running out and getting hit. This is what happened. Right. It got to the point in the siege. Roger, the first negotiator, right, weren't too bad. That first night, I sent them to bed, right? Then I'm laying downstairs, right? Now I'm telling you what this is about. And it says what I'm talking about and all the rest of it. Now I start telling him, right, overnight. And then I went to bed. But Roger was good. Any little noise, right? He turned around and said, Dave, we're moving some lights in next door. We're going to be making a noise. Are you okay with it? Everything was calm and controlled with him, as it should be. Bearing in mind, look, I've got innocent people in the house with me, and they think I've got guns, real ones, right? If Sharon or Tony would have said it's an air gun, mate, they'd have kicked that door in, come in and just dragged me out. What am I going to do? What, hit him with it? Come on, right? It was never about that. You see, I'm pro-police. I'm not about to hurt anyone, but I was prepared to die. Right, and I was. I wanted everyone, every soldier to realise what's going on. The, the secret meetings, they're not st- stopping a brown and all the rest of it. 3% of their borders, mate, they're letting it in. I prove it. I could have acted and helped. No, they didn't want it. Just let me clarify that for the viewers then. Um, so Dave's talking about how in the beginning he was patriotic and he wanted to join the military to stop the brown coming from Afghanistan. But over time, as he learned more information... The brown was being facilitated by the top people, let's just say, to spread it around the world, and the production of the brown went up. Then it got up a thousand percent after we invaded Afghanistan. Since you went to Afghanistan, if you Google the figures, it's gone up ten times. They say, ten times, right? Yeah. At least that's if they're telling the truth. Look. I've got all the media stories at the time, and I believed, right, one of the reasons we went to war was to stop the flow of the brown, right, that funds the terrorists. That's what we were all told. Well, how come since they took occupation, it's gone up 10 times? Hold on a minute. You've now got 90% of the world's... Brown. Right? Oh, yeah, brown, right? You've, like, increased it. Mate, what are you doing with it? It's a weapon, not only is it a huge income, it's a weapon. Putin's up in arms, right, on the Google, saying you're using NATO planes to fly in, right? You're turning my country into junkies. They do the same with Iran. Probably send it there for nothing, right? And all the rest of it around the world, it's all sent out, as you know. So it's increased since we went to occupation. And soccer, head of soccer, if you Google it, right, what soccer was, he's running a kill list for NATO. I know what you're doing. You're taking out the competition, mate. Because MPs are, are getting on board and saying, hold on, soccer's NATO kill list. Half the people on there are not terrorists. Why are you killing them? They're involved in transportation and the brown business. 
than soccer killing them. Many of my viewers have read my books about the CIA and the White, Barry Seal, the pilot. Mm. So it's the same, if you've read those books, it's the same with the Brown, what Dave is talking about, but with UK people at the top. Yeah. Obviously, look, the Brown never happened. We'll get to later on, you know, with the White, the level it goes to that. Like you say, we'll get back to this. Now, what happened was, I went to bed the first night, right, Roger. The next day, you'd have think that they stayed on board, but they don't. It changed over at negotiators and stuff, right? Dave, and was it easy to sleep during the siege? Mate, I went to bed. <laughs> I just went to bed. The first night, I went to bed. Dave was asleep, I went to bed. <laughs> right, after I've done me rant and all the rest of it, told him what's what, see you later, I'm going to bed. And that's that, right? They knew where I was. They've got heat things and listening things through the wall and all the rest of it so they can see thermal imaging where you are in the house. Now, while I was downstairs, they could have steamed in the patio door and just whatever, even shot me there, but they didn't, right? So they had all lights up there. They lit the place up like a Christmas tree and all the rest of it, and they were still all out there, right? So that was the first night. The second day, right, now they've changed the ghost shower. Now he was a dog. Well, I didn't like this one, right? He keeps saying things like, go on, let them go, and all that. I say, they don't want to go, and then he keeps repeating himself. And in the end, I don't, don't even bother talking to him. I, I remember saying to him, look, mate, your Jedi mind tricks won't work on me. They don't want to go, and all that. And it says in notes that at the end of it, they can't break me down, right? This is going to continue. So this is what happened, right? And this is the most terrifying moment of my life ever, right? What happened was, mate, I was on the phone to him like that. And all of a sudden, without any warning, bearing in mind the first one told me any little noise, warning, and all the rest of it, mate, I've heard an almighty crash. Now, the back gate to the garden, right, is bolted. Not only is it bolted, I've built sort of a wall behind it and put metal and bits of bikes and all that sort of stuff. So if you got through the bolt, right, you're going to have trouble climbing over that stuff that gives me time. If I thought they were coming in, like what they were prepared to do, look, can you see that? Hold on, it's here, isn't it? stun grenade there in his hand walking down the road right he's got the stun grenade it says in the notes stun grenade attack right they're the ones at the front it's all on google look so they're at the front and you've got others that were coming in the back right at the time i'm a hypermaniac right with two guns and their hostages right what's going to happen now anyway this is what happened and this is what it says, man denies aiming gun at police. I am the only one alive in the UK who has ever pointed a gun, they say, at police and lived. We link later on to others, Duggan, Granger, Cube, who were shot dead. We'll get to that when it comes. It's going to be a long one still, right? So anyway, what happened was this. I'm on the phone, right? We're downstairs in the lounge. And it ain't a big lounge, right? It's got a patio door. And obviously you walk out into a hallway, small kitchen, three bedrooms. That is it. It's not a big house. You can see on Google. I hear an almighty crash out the blue, right? I run up the stairs. I want to see what's going on, right? Because all the curtains are shut. As I pull back the curtain a bit, I see, right, this strike team trying to smash the gate in again. Pull back the, the, the ramming thing and smash the gate again, trying to smash the gate. There's two police in the next garden who, through the shed and wall, you'll see in a minute, can't even see these people trying to bash in. So that's it. So there's no sort of eyes on these people. And behind the ones with the barriers, ram, right, are them ones you've just seen there with the stun grenade, right, like SAS, right? You've seen the ones at the front guarding it. So at the end of the day, they're coming in the back and it says with stun grenades, right? 
out the blue, no warning or nothing, mate. He poured fuel right on a small flame. I pulled the curtains at one side. I see him go to strike the gate. The other police were there, right? They say here, listen, this is what they say. And this is what I got charged with. A gunman has admitted his part in a 32-hour armed seizure at Norfolk House, but denies pointing a gun at police. David Corston, 45, I'm 58 now, of Badger Road, near Norwich, was charged with two counts of possession of an air weapon with intent to cause fear of violence right on PC gates and PC bets, following a two-day standoff in May. He pleaded guilty to both charges. I'll tell you that. Right, but at Norwich Crown Court yesterday, in a trial of issue, he disputed the prosecution's claim that he pointed a gun at police as they tried to raid the home on Badger Road. Officers Chris Betts and Matt Gates were called to the siege on Saturday, May the 7th, right? Which was sparked when neighbours spotted a man with a gun. Look, May the 7th. It started the day before, on May the 6th. That's the day that that customs report says they took the call. No, they didn't. It was two days before. See what's going on here, mate. What's, no, why didn't no one warn anyone and all the rest of it? So anyway, right? The siege ended when Corson, who was holed up in the home with a man and a woman, was disabled by a police taser gun. PC Betts was standing about 20 metres away from the home when a police strike team was preparing to burst through the garden gate. Right? Then it says that, look, I've pointed guns directly down at the officers. Then he shouted, I shouted repeatedly, weapon scene, and this is when they withdrew. I shouted as soon as I saw the weapon. There was an element of shock among the officers. Like him, he's a firearms officer because it is not a, a usual occurrence for somebody to challenge us directly with a firearm. I retreated into further cover and they retreated back. PC Bet said the gun was repeatedly hit against the shut window. He told the court that he saw the hand with the pistol gesticulating as if to tell the police to stop their raid. There you go. And they say they thought they were going to be shot, right? Hold on a minute. Right. Obviously, what happened was. Look, after that, right, they backed off. Now, I've got evidence in the notes, all of it. Their snipers in position and all the rest of it. Look, all I can say is what happened. I pulled the curtain to one side. I had the phone in my hand. The gun was downstairs, right, under the settee. I didn't even have it in my hand. Look, if you're covering your colleagues who you can't see through a shed and a fence, trying to smash the gate in, you've got obviously the stun grenade team behind there. Look, I've pointed a gun directly at them, they say, the ones burst in. So I've threatened your colleagues. What, and you don't fire? Come on, mate. I don't know. At the end of the day, look, I hope they're not holding a gun today, them officers because they don't deserve to. And I remember halfway through that siege, looking out the window, right? And they're like talking amongst themselves and turning away, like having a picnic. And I, and I remember they looked up and all of a sudden they, oh, oh. And I'm going, what's wrong with your eyes, man? Eyes, you should be looking. And all that. And he says in the notes, I'm making like gesturing signs. They can't work out what's going on. I'm going, look, mate, look. Take it serious. Come on, it ain't a game. <laughs> serious, like they've got their backs turned to me. Mm. I could have just gone bang, bang, if it's real. But so you'll hear what I've got access to later, the armor lights, like, it would have gone right through their car body armor mate it's a joke so anyway what happened was right i come downstairs mate it's a terrifying situation now look i've never been so enraged in my life if he was in front of me that geezer i'd have ripped him apart my bare hands they say in the notes they can hear screams coming out the house i remember sitting on the city the gun was down my waistband there there mate i was screaming like an animal for what he had done 
I was raging. It's so outrageous and dangerous what he did, mate. Look, if they'd have come in the house, I'm a hypermaniac with two guns, they're hostages, we're in a small environment to come crashing through that door, I would have rather run through the patio door myself to hit them in the garden. Shoot me there rather than come in and risk innocent lives. Right, mate, that's bad. What with stun grenades and all that and innocent people in the house, what's going to happen? They think I'm armed, I'm a hypermaniac, mate. It ain't going to be pretty, is it? And innocent people could get killed. I'm responsible for their lives. I ended that siege, not police. So then, mate, what happened was, that's it. It's over, right? Through that action, to risk that happening again, I can't play with these people's lives. I have to end it. So, okay, this is what's going on, right? You've won. I'm coming out. Well, they're coming out. Right, it's going to be controlled. No more this shit, right? It's going to be a controlled exit. I'm on the phone to negotiators all the while. First of all, I send the woman out. We had some puppies because my wife used to breed chihuahuas in the kitchen. I said to her, love, take a puppy. Hold it up here. You see, coming out. I said, right, negotiators, now she's coming to the door. Don't put the guns on her. There's no need. It's a woman. She's holding a puppy. You can see her hands, right? I don't want that. She went out. I'm on the phone to him. I open the door. Out she walks. Hey, they're on her. Bullshit. Right, they're on her. I said to her, just do whatever they say. Once you go out, their commands, either walk, do whatever. Out you go. She went. Tony had a bit of brown on him. Smoke, right? Not not that stuff, the nasty stuff. The What is it called? How do you call it? Um, green. Green. So he had a bit of that, right? He waited about half hour, bless him, or 45 minutes, right? He wanted to calm down and all the rest of it. I think he wanted to get rid of her. He was going to get rid of her. It was just, look, you got to remember, these people, look, mate, they obviously thought they're going to get in trouble, but they were there to protect me because they knew what it was about. And like me, look, mate, without them, I couldn't have done it, right? It was impossible. Like you say, if you're on your own, you're in trouble. They'll tear gas you, whatever, right? Come steaming, you're in trouble. So they protected me, and now it's my duty to protect them, right? I don't play with people's lives. No way. Not in that situation. It was outrageous, right? And this is true. Release the tapes, innit? Norfolk Police. You'll never release them. Go on, challenge you to do that. Let's all hear it. So anyway, then it was his turn. So I said to him, mate, you see it on the internet, strip down your top, take your clothes off, right? You've only got your trousers on. Go out there, keep your hands up. Do not put your hands down, right? I said, you're stripped off half naked, out you go. So again, I'm on the phone negotiators. He's coming out now. We're opening the door slowly. We knew they were going to put the guns on him, right, obviously, and he knew that. So out he went, all car- he's gone. Right, now they wanted me to throw the gun out. Okay, so anyway, I said, okay, I'm opening the door now slowly. I got the gun and I tossed it, right? It's a black BB thing, whatever. Right, it's not a real gun. I could have got a real gun. I didn't need one. Obviously, you'll see my guns. You've seen them. Why do I need a real gun? You don't. It would only got me in more trouble, right? That's not the idea, was it? Right, I wasn't expected to live. So this is it. Now, I'm outraged with these people. And I'm on the phone now, and I say, right, I made a pact to myself this. And I told the police this. And I'm quite proud of this. I was speaking to my daughter about this the other day, and her husband. uh, And I'm proud of myself for doing this. After all that had happened to me, all the stress and everything else, all the cover-ups of corruption and everything else, I told that negotiator, mate, I'm not putting my hands up. You tell me to put my hands up, I ain't doing it. 
you're going to have to shoot me. Right, and that's that. And I was determined. And you see on the internet, right, the main picture of me, when I'm standing in that doorway in my shorts, I've got my hands behind my back in the doorway. I haven't even come out of the house, right? I've got my hands behind my back. When you see me being hit with the taser, I've got my hands behind my back in the shorts, right? In the doorway, it says in police statements, they've got two guns on you, and I believe there's seven statements with police pointing their guns at me. Now, some have got what's called MP5s, Heckler and Kosh, right? They've got hollow point rounds. They will hit me and splinter. You're dead. No matter if they hit you, it's outrageous ammunition. Not if they hit you in the leg. Mate, they aim here, right? So I'm dead. It says they've got them aimed at me, and the other mob have got what's called Heckler and Kosh G36s. We did a bit of shit for the German army that didn't fire straight, so we bought them. Give them to the police, right? That's a fact. People can look into that. Anyway, the G36 will go right through you. Now, you see on the internet that picture, what was all well and all that nonsense, right? I'll go into that again. I never said that. It's all media management through police, right? I'm standing in the doorway. When I come out, I've got my hands down my shorts. Now, they say in some statements, I went like a crucifix position, said, fill me full of bullets in the statements. No, I didn't. I walked to the door, but I've got my hands behind my back. They're on the triggers. Mate, it's a dangerous thing to do. They think I've got two guns. If I'd have just gone like that, dragged my hands out of my shorts round, mate, any excuse I could have got done. Mate, it was a dangerous thing to do, but I'm proud I stood my ground and just don't. Mate, I didn't care. I did not care at that point. Well, kill me then. I'm prepared to die anyway. I believe it's that important. I've lost everything in my life, my money, my wife. I eventually lost my kid for it all after this. Mate, everything. I did not care. And I think I was, you know, I'm a good man. I, I tried, you know, so it's, it's come to this. And whose fault is it? Come on. It ain't mine. But it gets worse, right? So anyway, I come out of the house. I've got my hands in my thing. I could have done that. So they don't know I've got another gun potentially down my shorts, right? As I've come out of the house, you see me on Bernard's thing, the false Billy Jasper narrative, right, where you see me actually come out. All I can remember is there was one copper with the guns. He was a cocky, so sometimes when I look out the kitchen window, he'd see me and he'd be giving it all this, come out, come out like that cocky. I just remember gunning for him. I don't know what I was going to do, right? You see me coming across the thing. Mate, I still had my hand down my shorts, right? Because I kept it there. I didn't want to bring them out just in case, right? Because they might think you've got something all, even if you bring your hand round. Everyone's edgy, aren't they? Right, and they're all fired up. It's not a calm situation, is it? It's a dangerous one, really. And it could have got, mate, fatal. End of story. Right, I'm lucky to be alive. And like I say, I'm the only one who's ever pointed guns at our police and lived. That's a fact today in the UK. Right, so I'm lucky. God bless, if you believe in him. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. I remember striding towards this one cop. He had the gun pointed at me. It was a G36. And I don't know what I was going to do. I was so angry with the ghost at him at that point. I think I was just going to get it and smash it into his chest like that. I mean, what else could I have done? You know what I mean? He's pointing it at me. What am I going to do? I've got to grab it and just, I was just going to smash him with it. <laughs> so before I got to him, he hit me with a taser. All right. It was probably the best way to go. I'm not moaning about being tasered. Right. Okay. It was the right thing to do. So I, I support the police on that. And bear in mind, I'm pro-police. Right. I am. Not any. As I say, they do a really difficult job out there. So, look, he hit me with that. All you do with that taser, because I'm so fired up and quite muscly at the time, right, the more muscles you've got, the more it affects you. I just hit the ground. It's not painful. I just remember shaking like that. And then, obviously, they're on you. 
You see on the internet, there's about seven pictures on the internet. Google my name, seven people, all guns, all that. They took me away, and they, sat, they took me down to the police station, right? And they obviously took them who was in the house with me down there, right? They got released at the end of it without any charges. They didn't want them, they only wanted me. I started making a statement and stuff about it all, right? It was shut down quickly. They didn't want to know. All the documents, all the SIM cards and phones I had by the door, mate, they took it all, right? We got all the evidence, they took it all here, look, all the rest of it, all the stuff they took, SIM cards, documents, all that. Mate, it was all returned, most of it. Some of it was kept, right? But most of it got returned. They never even looked at any of it, right? I went to court, right? But listen to this. So, mate, <laughs> of aiming a gun at police, right? Now, my solicitor that, Received copy of the negotiated tape. She listened to him and she confirmed that there is no mention of me pointing a gun at any police officer, right? Look, here, police evidence. Enclosed and negotiated logs. I have listened to the logs. They contain no mention of Corston threatening, pointing and banging a gun on the window. I didn't do it. You lied. You come to court and said I did. Right, anyway, look, there's the window there. As you see, the police were standing there. They were trying to get in the other side. You can't see through a shed or the fence. I'm here. You should have shot me then. Easy shot. Simple, isn't it? It's not difficult. So that's that. Mate, when I obviously got remanded, to be honest with you, mate, it was a bit of a relief to go to jail, mate. And, and it was like the pressure was off. So I went there like that. And what happened was, then we went to court, right? Um, hold on, where's it? Go back again. We went to court and they tried to deceive the judge, right? Over a Newton trial. Um, but they even posed that one of them there, that with the gun, like, thing, look, all that. Mate, making it out to be a farce. And that Realmo thing, let me explain to you about that. I was on the phone negotiator telling him about Realmo. I said, look, mate, you couldn't even catch him. Have a look. I said, Realmo shot a policeman in the face, which is outrageous. Then he went on the run, right? You had heat-seeking jets, trackers off the TV trying to catch him. He went back to the same house twice. You couldn't even get him. A mug doorman. He run rings round you. And at the end of the day, you should have shot him on sight. That's what I said. So then that got twisted up to, I'll make Realmo look like a fairy. I never said it. Right, so that's a fact. Now, during my trial, it's confirmed in there, I had an agreement with the prosecution that the builders were all sweet, right? They had no fear of violence, that I never pointed a gun, right, at police, and all that That was agreed, right? The prosecution agreed with me. Then, like, they deceived the judge. Then I agreed to that as a guilty plea, right, to get it over and done with. Then the judge said, hold on, I'd have never agreed to that him not pointing the gun, I want a Newton trial. So then it all got thing, they tried to deceive the judge, right? Then at the end of the day, I just accepted tapping the window with the gun. I got three years, served 18 months, right? Mate, it cost God knows how much, right? 32 hours, a lot of money. Mate, they had two helicopters there, so I asked for the footage of the helicopter to see the reaction on the ground. Now they say in them notes, right, I've got the thing from the pilots, the helicopter, two helicopters, took off and landed at the showground a mile from the road, right? They say it took 25 minutes flight time to get from their base, one's just over here, right, and the other one in, in Suffolk, to that location, right, and they never took off. I've got evidence, right, they were in the air all day, 
as one went up, one come down. And they used two helicopters. They had Essex's and Suffolk's. I've got all the logs, all the notes, and the photographs. Right, they cannot deny it. Again, it's another thing. They're just covering up. So anyway, I go to prison. Right, 18 months, result, I'm out. While I'm in prison, I link up with other people. Right, who now I'm going to come back in another plan of mine, right, to show Head of Soccer and all the rest of it, right, you ain't going to be able to ignore what happens next, right, it gets worse, right, so, hold on, here we go, right, now, what happens was, while I was in prison, I met some people, one is on the internet, he becomes NCA's top 12 most wanted, another one linked to a, a, a Billy Whiz factory and all that, taken out by soccer, but right close to me, Right, every day. Mate, soccer didn't involve me. I weren't involved anyway, but by association, they could have done. This is after prison, right? So I come out from prison. Mate, I had to go to a map of hostel, right, under probation with all kiddie fiddlers and stuff, right? 25 people in the house, half of them all right, sort of prisoners, and the other half all kid stuff. So I do seven months there under strict conditions, right, all the rest of it. Now I got rehoused and stuff, right? I've come out limited money and all the rest of it i've lost everything me home my wife kid all the rest of it right but i found out while i was in prison that kiddie ring i put them on to in 2008 right a woman come forward from 30 years ago an historic case and accused him and his nephew of raping her it's in there right now they went to court now my evidence would have helped that woman right she went to court right the first trial collapsed, the second one they got off. Now, I'm outraged at that, mate. It's all there. I've got all the things. It's all on Google, the court cases of that fellow. I can't name him, obviously, so that's that. Now, I'm outraged. Who do I blame for this? Well, I blame her, the Deputy Chief Constable, who's now Chief Constable, promoted on failure, right? And all these others linked to this siege, mate, in there, they're all given medals for it. I was at the doctor's one day. I picked up a magazine. I'm opening through, and there's a picture of the uh, the psychologist doctor and all these people. When I'm reading it, it's the chief constable, and he's giving them medals. It says for the siege and all that, where someone posed a risk to himself, the police, and the occupants of the house, and all that. Mate, I wasn't the risk they were. Who's dangerous? Not me, right? So, mate, it's unbelievable. Really, I should have got the medal, and so should them who supported me in my book. Anyway, that's the story of the siege. So I go to prison. I meet others in there. Right, again, I meet sort of the right people who are going to assist me in things when I get out. That's important. There's so many divs in there, you have to select who you get involved with, right, and what you're going to do next. And this is the bigger one. Now, obviously, I come out, I found out about the kiddie stuff, that's all failed. I'm outraged. Who do I blame? Head of soccer, right, him, and also her. Right, now, what I do, I get involved with these people. They want me to get involved in a contract here. Right, I know of automatic weapons coming in with thousands of rounds of ammunition. Okay. Now, hmm, head of soccer, I'm a fantasist, am I? Watch this one, mate. Like I say, you've seen it, you know the name, it's confirmed in police statements. There's a world, he's at the top of it. Mate, look at what he supplied, 10,000 weapons in one ear. Mate, you ain't getting bigger than this geezer. Right, end of what he controls. I've got a direct link to him through his son and all the rest of it, right? So I form Operation, well, it was a project, Project God. Police call it Operation Vascular, their investigation into it. Project God is my operation, get order through drugs. But it's the white, 
now not the brown right it's at that level and years ago right you look on the thing this man even George Bush Sr. wants him under plan Columbia, right? Every intelligence agency in the world wants him an Interpol red notice target today, right? Unbelievable, isn't it? Right? So I link up to him, right? Contract here, right? Automatic weapons. I've got passports I can get out of the passport office. What it says in here, right, is the biggest prize in the underworld. I showed you earlier, didn't I? Right? It's all confirmed. So anyway, okay. Right, that's going on. I make a call, not to police, MI5, October 2013. It's all recorded. I'm running a contract here, talking to the hitman. Automatic weapons, thousand rounds. I get passports out the passport office. I've got a link to him. <laughs> and it, there you go. Phone down. Expect support, right? Nothing carries on everything's accelerating i'm having to move of it all and getting deeper and deeper into it right i've got people taking photographs of targets in vans and all this sort of stuff right it's getting deeper and deeper the people i'm meant to be doing a job for mate they're police informants right i know what's going on at the end of the day mate i'm trying to tell everyone and no one's coming forward and it's getting deeper and deeper i'm risking 30 35 years for getting involved in saying mate it was never meant to happen that hit was never meant to happen that was always going to be shut down the other thing is not so much a global network it's the intelligence behind it what you've got there forget the product it's what's available, right? And mate, a red notice Interpol target, come on, right? It's a joke, isn't it? You've seen the name, it's in there. Police confirm this, not me saying it. We'll get to that in a minute. If it's me saying it, you can say, yeah, he's making it up. You've seen it, haven't you? You've seen names, you've seen the police statements confirming what's in the files, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, MI5 are told from day one. Like I say, it's like talking to a 90-year-old with dementia. It ain't spooks, right? So anyway, Things accelerate. They carry on. Mate, I can't get nothing. It's getting out of control. Right? Look, I told you. I complain about it all. They say, don't know anything about it yet. There's five statements about it two months before. Right? Everything is accelerating. I can't do nothing. Right? I don't know what's going on. I can't deal with police. It's intelligence. They should have come in and put me in touch with the right people to take over and whatever, direct me. Right, it's as simple as that, isn't it? That's the idea. Right, mate, they can't fail on this one. It's impossible, not at this level, surely. Maybe they do. Right, so what happened was MI5 tell police who start Operation Vascular. I've got the documents in here of it. You've seen it, right? I'm not meant to have that. It's confirming the operation. Mate, they're following me everywhere. I've got photographs of bugs I'm finding in my house. My car's bugged. All the phones are. I'm not even trying to hide, right? I'm doing everything in the open. I'm sending someone over to Marbella to link up with his son and all the rest of it, right? We're talking about, obviously, having shipments forward, all the rest of it, right? And it gets further and further and deeper and deeper in. Right, I've got something in here. Let me find it because it's good. All right. If you want to, if the viewers are watching this, um, the two books I wrote about the CIA's involvement in the White are um, Who Killed Barry Seal, Pablo Escobar or George H.W. Bush. And the other one that's got Bill Clinton's involvement in the White is Clinton, Bush and CIA Conspiracies. 
from the boys on the tracks oh. to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> they are available worldwide on Amazon. Right, here we go. Now, this is just after I inform MI5. All right. Now, I'm obviously under probation for the siege. You do your half your prison sentence, you're out half on license, okay? As you know. Now, because you've done it. Now, in this letter here, from probation, seven times in five weeks, the advice is to me, go to police. Even here, he gets a call from MI5, look. I've contacted them. They say, go to police. Everyone says, go to police. I can't go to police, right? Obviously, but that's the advice given seven times. Later on, right, when I try to hand the guns in for three and a half years to five chief constables, I'm going to police. So... The advice one stage here, seven times in five weeks, from MI5 and everyone else is tell police. When I try to do that, in the future, as you know, and the guns in, all the rest of it, right, mate, please don't want to know. So, mate, do you see what's happening here? Right, right, end of. So that all confirms it. MI5 and all the rest of it, he's getting calls, right? My probation officer said, things are getting a bit serious here. He said, I've spoken to my manager, we might have to record meetings. I'm thinking, I'm already doing that, mate. <laughs> I'm recording it all. So that's the evidence. Look, passports. Look, there you go. MI5 called all the dates on the phones, all the rest of it. That all the phones recorded, right? Everything. Look, passports, the biggest prize in the criminal underworld. It's national security. I've even got police confirming that. It's an MI5 matter. Passports out of the passport office, right? <laughs> look, there's my man linked to me, soccer. Look, in that Billy Wiz operation. Look, 4.3 million. Right, him. Look, also at the time, this is what I don't get, right? That you will hear over the course of the time, right, what happens. Mainstream media. Look, here, look, they're stating MI5 and their director general, right, and all the rest of it, of what an idiot he is and all the rest of it, and there's no sort of real threat on the UK. They managed to get this in, but when I've tried to get media attention, I get nowhere. But they're writing stories about this all day, and it's the people involved with me. Mate, I don't get this one. I've got the evidence, mate. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I prove what I prove. Let people see for themselves and let them read between the lines. I can only do what I can prove. I don't go further. You know, it's all evidence-based with me. But look, the head of MI5 has lost the plot, look. Putting his safe in evidence history. Well, hold on, it's the Guardian. Well, they're the ones I tried to contact twice. Mate, I heard nothing back, and I'm showing them evidence of him. The head of MI5. They've, so, all, they've mate, all got their own agenda. Mate, they've got their own agenda, these agencies. Mate, and if you're not in it, that's it. It don't matter what you have got, whatever level it is, it's not important. Mate, they do their own thing. If they want you, they'll go to you. You try and go to them, especially that CIA and that, huh, and they're involved, right? You try to go to them, right? And that's it. They deem walk-ins to be unreliable. Well, hold on, what if you contacted the Bin Laden unit then, when that was operational, and you said, I know where he is? <laughs> Come on, isn't it? It's bollocks, isn't it? So I don't get this. So they're slating the head of MI5 one minute, but they don't want to act when I show them evidence on it, right? And all the rest of it. So what it was, right, what happened next? So anyway, look, things are accelerating, they're getting out of control. 
The contract hit can never happen, mate, it's getting dangerous. My bird is an NCA informant. I've got her on record. Essex Police have got a copy of it, right? Grassing me up to DC Mandels and Norfolk Police, offering up the information on me. I've got that Operation Vascular that we call Operation God. I've got that being leaked, and it's an operation into a global most wanted terrorist, right? At the top of the world, I've got police leaking it through social workers to a third party, confirming everything. Mate, I'll give it to Essex Police. Things were getting so out of control, I went to my mum and dad's where I was living in Norwich, and I was telling them all the way. that it was It's quite common. It was my mum, bless her, who grasped me up for the robbery thing, right, the car. But look, mate, I involved my mum, right, in this business after, right, because she was the best witness for me. Head of child protection for 20 years, white and white, sensible as anything. You could not get better than my mum. Right, and she even walked into Thames House MI5 off the street for me. You can't do that, mate. Try and get in there tomorrow. Go and knock on their door and see if you can get a meeting <laughs> with a senior supervisor. It can't happen. She did. Well, I'm up the road getting pissed because he won't talk to me. She's passing him documents anyway. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So, what happened was, right, I come down to Champs. I said, Mum, this is getting out of control. So, I rang up Essex Police. I called a meeting, right, with the head of their intelligence. Right, I met him in Colchester. Mate, I'm walking in there, right? Right, here, where's the map? No, no, just find it. Right, I'm passing him pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical copies of drugs made by a chemist known to us, right? The chemicals are coming out of ICI, big company, right? It's that white pipe stuff, the, the hard stuff, it's also the powder, right? The white expensive, what they sniff. And also, what else was it? Oh, yeah. Um, how do you call it? The dance stuff. Disco, Mil- disco yeah, biscuits. Yeah, disco, but the powder, mirrored copies. This chemist, right, had come up with this formula, right? He's got this stuff. We called it no good. It was three grand a kilo when... The real stuff was, I think, 30 grand a time or 40 grand. I can't remember. I don't even know the prices. Right? It was back then. So, mate, he's come up with this stuff for three grand that you can mix with this. Some people were even selling this stuff at three grand a key as that and getting away with it. That's how good it was. This other stuff, he's invented this chemist, right? Burns like that. And it's the same. You get the same effect. So, anyway, I walk into the meeting with head of intelligence, Essex Police. We've got all the dates. It's all recorded up. His sergeant's there, right? He's meant to be head of intelligence. He couldn't even tell me how much a kilo cost himself the idiot right so i go in there with my laptop and that right i walk in there first of all i say to him right ego i bought you some copies of pharmaceutical copy drugs i said mate they're gonna be in your street soon and everywhere else here you go get them analyzed right i said here there is one of my armor light rounds for you 308 round i'm passing him that Right, all of a sudden he starts cautioning me. I'm saying, what are you doing, you idiot? Cautioning me, you fool. Yeah, for you, there's samples, you idiot. That's out my armour, right? The, the rifle, there's the ammo, and there's the drugs. I said, also, right, look at this. I said, vascular, my operation god, look here. Look, they say I'm supplying the UK and I'm at the bottom of the tree. Yeah, I am, but I'm supplying the UK. He is at the top of the world's tree. Right, so that's that. I said, look, I took this in. I said, I've devised the whole of the UK up into areas. I said, here is East Anglia. And I've got it out like that. There, right? Can people see that? Yep. Right. That is part of Project God. 
I said to him, I said, look, I said, the red dots or squares, I said, are people known directly to me, the highest in that town, city or whatever. I said, the ones in green off that, I don't know personally, but the ones in red do. I said, so that is just one small part of the UK. I said, and I drew that up in 10 minutes. I said, that is part of Project God. I said, police operation vascular, I'm under now, right? I said, I want to know what's going on. Obviously, at the end of the day, look, I'm not getting no joy from security services. No one else is coming forward. So look, my advice, seven times in one thing, go to police. Now, hold on, I'm trying to tell them, right? To get their attention because all the while, mate, what's important to me was not the product, right? It's who these people are, right? They say they're terrorists, aren't they? Right? That's what they are, terrorists, right? So at the end of the day, it's a global network available here, right? The next level that these mugs didn't even get to was called Black Intelligence, which was running people who were prepared to work for me involved in this right and i'd be out the way so it's it's that it's a build up an intelligence network behind all this it's not basically the product as such what you've got is a gold mine and its value is huge right unbelievable i can stand back from it it's there i've done it i've put the links together right and that's it it can be handed over to the right agency and it ain't police well i'll tell you i go to later and, and it ain't police. It ain't even this country, right? It's a different agency. In fact, I went to two. So what happened was, right, I walked in Essex Police Then I got my laptop out. I said, listen to this, two recordings you can have. The first one I played him was my former bird grassing me up to police, offering information. I said, there you go. And the second one was the leaked terrorist operation, right? I played him that. He ran out that thing. That's over, he said. He took it and he went. Mate, you hear me, I've got police intelligence records on the way home, contacting the call room to log it all. It's all in intelligence records I'm not meant to have. Right, you've seen it. Now, mate, nothing. Right. What happened was, mate, I had to tell the geezer with the contract here that I'm recording all the others, right? And it's all linked to football clubs. One dips in and out of the premiership. That this geezer wanted this geezer taken out for two million quid that he ripped him off four years after, right? It was all linked to that. Mate, I'll show you in a minute. Right, all the names, all the documents are handed to someone, not police. So anyway, what happened was it all gets out of control in Suffolk, right? In Norfolk, sorry. So I end up look, police, all the rest of it, it's all getting out of control. This contract he has to be shut down, mate. Someone's gonna die. Right, and if I was to go to him today and show him what I've got, he don't even know. I could do, I could open up a can of worms here. Right, I'm serious. I ain't gonna right, because I'm being responsible, law enforcement, who's going to be watching this, right, so that's the truth, and obviously, look, I have to protect myself, obviously, look, I've been caught with a gun in 2018, a real one, look, these MI5Vs people here can send anything down my computer, kiddie stuff, terrorist stuff, right, and I could be in trouble, mate, and police wouldn't even know that that wasn't me, right, they can do that, easy as you know, right, my other concern is this, mate, they can't mess up me housing and thing like that because look, later on you'll see when they nutted me off I'm deemed mentally unwell right with a thing but I confirm that's a setup but we'll get to that so look mate I'm still under a psychiatrist once a month a team who look after me and they get the housing all the housing know about my history and all the rest of it so they can't come back with none of that right I'm under three units at the minute 
one called Mappa, who everyone's under, a unit called Mosovo, right, Essex Police. Mate, I'd never heard of them. At my discharge meeting, well, I don't want to go back to the forwards, but at my discharge meeting, this unit, my nurse said, Dave, I got them turned up at discharge meeting, Mosovo. I said, who's that? What now? Who are they? She went, I don't know. That's the name. I went and Googled it. It's Management of Violent and Sexual Offenders. Mate, how am I violent? Right? I've got reports in there. You've seen them where it says I'm not a violent, not a sexual, not a persistent offender in 2014, the time of this, right? You've seen it. I can put it out there. Intelligence reports confirming that. Mate, but you know what the next report confirms, doesn't it? Over five months, isn't it? What am I, a lone wolf terrorist, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what am I offering? It's insane, isn't it? It's unbelievable, isn't it? You've seen the intelligence reports. It's not me saying it. Sean's confirming it. So yeah. can others. Bernard can, uh, Craig Wood, Essex Boys Murders Group, he can confirm it. Even John Austin, the reporter, can. But I don't want any reporters running off because you ain't getting nothing. You little rat. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's what they are, mate. Uh, estate agents, car salesmen. So anyway, getting back to it. Right, at the minute, I'm under three units, apparently. Not that I've ever engaged with them. Mosovo, right, because I'm meant to be super violent, which is a joke, right, because they confirm I'm not. FTAC, the unit at the MEC, Fixative Threat Assessment Centre, and MAPA. Right, we'll get to that later, because the mental health stuff, where it plays in. But anyway, again, look... All this going on, the siege, all the rest of it. I've got all my mental health reports, all good during that, all re- reports for prison, all the rest of it. No mental illness, no problems. They say you're psychotic and all this and dangerous. Well, how can I be? Right, I'm trying to engage, trying to do the right thing. At the end of the day, then hold on, now I'm calling police up then. You've told me seven times, even MI5 got a police, you're running operations into all this, I'm trying to tell you about it. I'm being bugged and all the rest of it. I know what's going on, right? Mate, I don't know what's happening. Why are they not coming forward? Right, why are police not coming forward when they're running operations into it? Mate, it's insane. But this is the truth, and I prove it. All the while, I'm recording everyone up in there. So, anyway, things got bad. They found out they was being recorded linked to the contract here. So, mate, it was never going to happen anyway. But it got close. So, I had to leave Norwich, or things were going to happen. Mate, I'm not prepared, right? Look, when it comes to guns, people, look, out there, I'm not a fan. Throughout my childhood, I obviously handled weapons, army cadets and all that, and that's where I had an interest. Then my wife knew an arms dealer, right? She was 18 at the time. I was 17, and she knew this fella from Haybridge Basin in Maldon. He had a boat building yard. He'd be dead now, right? And he, his whole house, the top floor was an armory. He was licensed to sell this kit. Sometimes he'd take us out on his boat and all that, and halfway out in the sea, he'd get out all these guns, machine guns and things, we'd just be firing off and all that. Then we'd pull down the wash, right, the little river bit, park the boat up, get in a dinghy, and leave all the guns on the boat, go and have a meal in the pub for a couple of hours, stay back, and that's it, sleep at night and come back. You know, he's allowed to do that. Even had access, he's taken me to Suffolk Police's range in Shotley to fire the guns. And I fired all sorts, Lugas and guns, machine guns. You're not allowed to fire automatic, but we just used to use short bursts. So I know handle guns. So that's the fascination. For 30 years, not now, obviously, listen, police, up till 2018, when you found the gun and all the rest of it, obviously, I've owned certain guns. Now, look, this is my stance on guns, everyone. It's important to say this because I'm not a fan. Now, I've obviously owned guns from the robbery and all the rest of it through. I don't know why, because I've had an interest. I've taken them off people. It was better to be with me than others, right? I've never even had one in the car. They were bought to me and obviously plotted up in safe houses, right? And obviously, look, I've got access to armor lights and shit, right? You've seen them rounds, all the rest of it. 
Let me show you. Here's the bullet that I passed Essex Police. Oh no, where is it? Here's my villas. Oh, look, all villas and stuff that I had. All my properties. Hey, I'm ex-wife, informant. Oh, no. <laughs> Got it all. Yeah, look, that one. Look, there you go. That's funny. Look, look my gun's bigger than your gun. <laughs> I'm throwing that to the head of intelligence from the Armalites. And obviously, in them intelligence reports, it's confirmed I've got access to Armalites, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's a 308 trace around. Yeah, wow. quite a naughty bit of kit. Wow. <laughs> but it's confirmed in the intelligence reports I've got access to this. Right, so I've got access to weapons and all this armor lights. I'm trying to hand them in and all the rest of it. I'm trying to tell you about terrorists, contract hits, passports and all the rest of it. You're telling me seven times in a month, MI5 to go to police. Mate, police are following me about Operation Vascular. Mate, I don't know what to say. What can you say about that? It got so bad, right? Things were happening in Norwich between me and these others. I made the responsible position up to when, right? End of. Now, as you know, like it says in there, not a violent, not persistent offender at the time. But in the next report, it says there's a map of meeting. And I think there's 17 people in the room talking about me as a PDP, which I found out means potentially dangerous person. Hold on. Right? I can prove at that time I've contacted the Met Police, crime number CHS 2687. I'm trying to hand weapons in. Right? That's recorded. So at the time I'm trying to hand weapons in, police are running an international operation to me called Vascular and all the rest of it. I've got informants left, right and centre around me. What is going on? <laughs> Seriously, and that's the truth. And you know I can confirm all this. So I make a decision, mate. I am a responsible man with guns, right? I've never even taken one out of a building, right? End of story. Why would I? Look, if you play with guns today, mate, it ain't going to end well. I nearly got shot and didn't even have one, right? Look what happened to other people who I will link to later and name, right? Mate, they can kill you these days and get away with it. You don't even need to be armed, like they did with Anthony Granger in Manchester. Gunned him down in 2012. Soccer did soccer mate he was unarmed they got away with it ipcc inquiry how did no one get charged with it anthony granger google it and see what happened mate the people i linked to after i was number one duggan was number two in tottenham who got shot granger was three and yassi kubi in Huddersfield was number four i linked to all the families but i'll get to that later because that comes later so what happened was that guns I've never taken one out of a house I've never carried one why would I need to like I say at my level it ain't meeting in warehouses with things and all this dodgy meats why would people today need to have a gun right look you're either having it to give it a big one to show your pals or mate you're using it to threaten people intimidate people or if you're prepared to shoot somebody and, and go that far. Not only are you risking a life sentence with a recommended tariff, right? God knows. What happens if you've got one in the glove box and you're travelling on the roads today? Look, police are a bit on top of it with AMPR and all this. I've had markers on my cars. Obviously, I've got a link to firearms and whatever. Mate, they're going to search the car, aren't they? What do you think? So I've had it where I've been pulled up. I don't hardly get pulled up. I don't even drive at the minute. I ain't got a car. My pal runs me about. So at the end of the day, when I've been pulled by some police, they let you go and others will have a look. Really, they should all look the standard with anyone. 
certainly look through the boat and have a look in the glove box. Really, all police should, no matter who they stop, right? That should be standard, but it ain't. But it should be. So technically, look, if you've got a gun and you're taking it somewhere and you've got it in your glove box or under the seat or something, what happens when the blue light goes on potentially? Right, and you get stopped. So what, are you prepared to shoot a policeman then? Well, well what? Or, or if they look in the car and you get out, they're going to find the gun. Look, mate, I'll show you the pictures of real guns. I mean, I've got caught. That's a minimum five years in this country for having a gun, and they can give you a year for every bullet. Right, that's a fact. Mate, if you've got taken a gun somewhere, it's all got to be for a bad reason. Mate, I can't see why you need one. I really don't. Mate, guns are bad news. Right. Listen to this one, anyone out there with guns, because look, they made an example of this girl. Really, if I'd have got attention through media and that, I wanted this girl released because this is, like, bad. She should never have got this sort of sentence. Right, a young mother has been jailed for 14 years for keeping a sawn-off shotgun under her baby's cot. Whoever, I won't say her name, 21, told police she was offered £230 a month to hide the gun which was found in a raid on her home in August. Officers said the antique-style weapon, not an armour light, right, found in three parts inside a sports bag under the crib in the bedroom, could have been quickly assembled and made viable. Police would not reveal if they knew the owner of the gun, but said her was equally culpable in the eyes of the law. Right, so if you hold one of these guns, look at what they give her, 14 years. If you look after a farm, you'll be treated the same as those they belong to, said Detective Constable Mick Grimshaw. The girl of Southwark, South London, had denied possessing a farm with intent to enable another to endanger life at a trial at Woodridge Crown Court. Judge Ruth Downing, woman judge, told her this sentence should be a deterrent to any others. 14 years. I'll be giving evidence in a minute. Five chief constables were directly offered guns from me. One linked to the conspiracy to murder. Right? You give her 14 years, I've got five chief constables and others not taken them from me. So what's going on, right? So look, at the end of the day, this girl who lives on one of them nasty estates, run by them gangs, right, look, at the end of the day, what chance did she have? None. Mate, how could she have even told police? Mate, if they find out, they'll crucify her. Mate, what can she do? She's lucky she got paid. These days, they'll take over someone vulnerable. Next minute, you've got 100 round. It's a safe house for you know what. And also, look that. Mate, so at the end of the day, these people are trapped. She was cannon fodder. Mate, unbelievable, isn't it? 14 years. So that out there, people, is a warning just to even hold a gun. Right? But also, it puts into perspective the next part of my story. With chief constables not taking them from me. Right? Fact. So anyway, now what happens is, I come down now to Chumpsford. Mate. That night, I went and see a contact of mine who's held millions of pounds for me, trusted as anything. He's not the brightest, bless him. I went round his, right? Mate, it was bad. We ended up having an argument. I was trying to tell him he was part of an international surveillance operation. All the rest of it, he got spooked. Mate, I nearly got run through with a samurai sword, mate, that night. So it's the second time I've nearly got killed. And this is all down to police failure. Mate, I turned up at my mum's the next day. Mate, I was a mess. Hold on a minute. You could just describe this situation with the samurai sword a bit right. of detail. Right. What it was, mate, in Ipswich, like here. Right. No, sorry. Norfolk. Norwich. Right. This is what happened. Now, I had a marker, people in police, that if anything was going to happen 
serious to contact a third party who would contact me so I would leave. Now, what happened was that the day before, they were going around where I lived in Norwich, telling my neighbours, right, to that they was that I've got a firearms conviction that I've took hostages and I'm about to do it again. They even told them what the operation was named, Operation Cape. Right, so now this is another operation along with Vasquez. They're listening to me, Operation Cape. Right, this is a letter to the geezer, look, read it. Asking him to attend. About me, one of my neighbours. I knew the fella. So you've got police telling people, I've taken hostages and I'm about to do it again when I'm trying to hand guns in and I've got crime numbers and all this and terrorist stuff. Come on. But look, what's going on? Mate, I, I want a big thing about this. I'm, I'm going to put a complaint in, obviously. Right, so look, that. So what happened was that I got told that night they're coming for you. Mate, it was a rainy night. I, I fled my house in Norwich like a dog on the streets. I had limited money. Christ, what am I going to do? I rung up a taxi company. I spent £200 to get him to drop me from Norwich to Braintree, where I had a source, a contact of mine, who was trusted previously with multi-million pound loads, as good as gold, all the rest of it. I mean, he's not the brightest, but I went round his for safety. I start trying to explain to him that night what he's linked to and all the rest of it, and he got spooked, right? At the end of the day, it's got a bit fiery, mate. He's run into his bedroom. He's run out with a samurai sword. His brother's there. Mate, do you know what? As he's come for me like that, mate, it ain't nice to beg for your life. Mate, I fucking begged for my life. I haven't sworn once, but I am there. This point went in me like that, and that was it. Mate, he didn't do it. But it ain't good to beg for your life. It weren't good. It all calmed down, and that was it. End of story. I come to my mum's, mate, I've lost everything. It's all gone badly wrong, mate. I turn up at my mum's, I was a mess. Then I had nowhere else to go. Now, my family are all sort of law-abiding, Obviously, you know, I'm a bit like the black sheep, if you like. My mum took me in because they, obviously, they're my mum and dad and that. But none of the other family members knew that I was living there because they wouldn't have liked it. But I had nowhere else to go. Well, I've got limited funds. What can I do? Right. So I went to the safest place, which was my parents. Right. Knowing that, obviously, look, hold on. People potentially wouldn't even know where I am. So I sort of disappeared. Right. Come away from Norwich. Now I'm back in Chelmsford. Now, what it was then that, that is when I started looking into things, researching stuff to try and find out answers on the bigger picture of all this. And that is it took me four years to really see what I believe is going on. I'm not going into conspiracy stories, but let's just say stuff you write about that people know is true. But, mate, sometimes I sit back on my bed after finding out something and think, my God, what a plan this is. You ain't going to beat this mob. You are not going to stop this agenda, mate. It is some plan, in it? Unbelievable. So that is that. But also, what happened was that I involved my mother, the best person I could to involve her. She come to some police meetings with us. It's all recorded, right, when we tried to get action. Because obviously, look, at that point in time, this network at the top of the thing is still available, right? Project God is still available, and that is it. And while that was still available, I had to do everything I could to try and get that 
attention at that level. Forget law enforcement. But if I've got to go to them to get them to get me to others, right, that's what I've got to do. So I started, it was 2014. Then in 2015, right, look, we got the other MP involved here. Sir Simon Burns, a good man, like Bacon, he supported me. My mum come to the meeting with it. He's all recorded, right, obviously, mate. Burns was concerned. He wrote straight away, mate, you've seen the letter here, right, let me just find it. Here, Burns wrote to Theresa May, Secretary of State, right, Home Secretary, July 21st, 2015. I am writing to you about a constituent of mine, Mr. David Corston. I won't give you the address, right, although he has a serious criminal, which I really don't, he does come across as credible, the information he has and allegations he makes verge on the incredible, right? He gave me a large file which I have kept, which provides background information of the very serious allegations he makes, in that through his contacts with the criminal fraternity, he has information on crime, terrorism and kiddie stuff, right? The reason I am writing to you is because he has no confidence in the police who he believes are prejudice against him, obviously, right, and will not fully investigate the information he has on these issues. I enclose a copy of the letter he sent to me following my meeting with him at my surgery, which briefly outlines a number of the allegations and concerns he has. I also attach an exchange of emails that we had on the 15th today. I do have some concerns that if there's any truth in the information he has, then it is a very serious matter, and I believe that it should be fully investigated. I would be very grateful if your department could look into this. Nothing, right? She become Prime Minister. Then, what it was. All the while, mate, I'm offering them the guns, right? I'm sending photos of the guns to Chief Constables, right? I'm putting a complaint in, right, with the IPCC. The analyst, right, here, look, I get an upheld appeal. This is in 2016, that Suffolk Police, or West Norfolk Police, carried out a surveillance operation you and conspired to murder me. Right, and then he says here, within your complaint, dated 9th of June 2016, it is noted that you do refer to the above-named matters. However, you also appear to raise fresh allegations, including Norfolk and Suffolk Constabulary failed to act upon information provided by you, which you believe relates to weapons, drug, whatever, right, transporting, kiddie stuff and terrorism, serious force corruption and cover-ups, including the cover-up in relation to Suffolk Professional Standards Department investigation 32109, what you heard, right? Into police corruption and firearms. Intelligence files were deleted or went missing, and three officers who you believe were involved were now retired without being spoken to. In light of the above, I do not agree with the force's decision not to record your complaint on the basis it constitutes a repetitive repetitious complaint that's what they threw it out for mate i'm trying to go through these complaints process and just getting shut down right i believe you have raised fresh allegations and evidence right within your complaint which you record i've upheld your appeal and then it says right norfolk and suffolk will be directed to respond to you that never happened and then it says i note from your complaint you believe the ipcc has been involved in corruption related to destruction of intelligence files out by the force my role is only to consider whether or not your complaint should have been recorded. I will therefore not be discussing the matter in this letter. If you wish to submit a complaint about the IPCC, prefers to our website, da da da. So he confirms it, the analyst. Mate, later on, I even offer the IPCC the weapons. Number one and number two. They can't get out of it. Right, so look. There's two folds there, look. Three inches thick of complaints. One to the IPCC about all the guns and the other one to Essex Chief Constable and the PCC to the IPCC about them not taking weapons. 
Right, the Essex Chief Constable was offered guns seven times in five weeks, right? He even had a write-up in the Daily Mail, you've seen it, about his 200 grand pay and his 25 grand lunch and stuff. And there was Gloucestershire Chief Constable, some woman in a pretty pink dress. The next day, I take a picture of the contract hit weapon laid out over a pretty pink dress, blah, 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 and email it directly to him, right? Saying, I hope you choke on your steak. Mate, I don't get a phone call. I've offered five Chief Constable guns numerous times. You confirm it, it? Yes, the, all the complaints, all the things, they're that thick. One is 125 pages. All the time this takes putting all these complaints together and then you just get knocked back. Then, what happened was, obviously Burns, Sir Simon Burns, he tried to get the security service involved. He went to Essex Police Special Branch. He went to the policing minister. He'd done everything he could. It all comes back. We can't do nothing. We can't help. It's a police matter. Ring a terrorist hotline. Fill in a form and all this shit. Right, it's unbelievable. So then, look, that is that. So what happens is, right, hmm, I had a meeting. This is around May 2017. The fella who tried to run me through, he had a close contact with someone very sort of connected to IRA. Right, right. I've been around this fella's house when he's been away on holiday and all that, right? Multi-millionaire fella. And his brother-in-law was one of the most wanted people in the mainland. I won't say what years, right? A lone wolf bomber. Now, I went to him, right? My friend didn't know. I just turned up out of the blue, trying to get him to get shit, but it didn't go down that well, right? He'd probably be dead now, the fella. So I left, right? All the details in there. What I'd done three days later, I contacted Sinn Féin President Jerry Adams and Joseph Lynch, Sinn Féin political advisor. Here's the email here. Now, Jerry Adams, right? Just just for the Americans, what is uh, Sinn Féin? Sinn Féin is the political wing, really. I don't like to connect the two because I'm not calling Mr. Adams a terrorist, but obviously you had the IRA the Irish paramilitary force who I believe even today are the smartest on the planet by and then some they are right I don't know why they make jokes about thick Irish people that is an insult but this mob are I believe the smartest paramilitary force on the planet ever so Sinn Féin is the political Sinn Féin is a political wing and Mr Adams is their president so I email and contact Mr Adams through Joe Lynch, political advisor. Mr. Adams, right, the very next day, contacts the Home Secretary for me about terrorism, right? There it is, right? Amber Rudd, right? Your email that forwarded from the office of Jerry Adams, your email was forwarded to the Home Secretary on 16th May by Mr. Adams' office, right? By him and his political advisor, Joseph Lynch. I hope you can appreciate that the Home Secretary receives a vast amount of daily correspondence and is unable to reply personally to each I received. Mate, this is from Sinn Féin President, you bitch, right? You are receiving a response from an official in accordance with procedures for handling correspondence during the pre-election period. 
I note you have raised a complaint in 2016 against Norfolk and Suffolk and Stabbury and that the Independent Police Complaints Commission, IPC, upheld your complaint. I should confirm that Home Office Minister's officials cannot intervene in individual cases and in pursuing your complaint with the IPCC, you took the correct course of action. The Home Office cannot offer further advice on this matter. I have copied this response to Joe Lynch, Sinn Féin political advisor, who works in Mr Adams' office. Lucy D. Who's that? What, some girl out of the basement? What an insult to Jerry Adams and me and Joe Lynch, isn't it? Are they taking the piss so it's gone to two home secretaries for their attention, one from Sir Simon Burns, he says it verges on the incredible, the seriousness of it all, and Jerry Adams to deal with me on terrorism? What, and you ignore it and then comes back a silly little girl? It's like you're dealing with a stone wall. Mate, it's unbelievable, isn't it? During this time, right, my mum, bless her, it was downstairs baking a cake and I'm emailing the MP about all what's going on. Mate, it's shocking. Right, so she, mate, walked in the Thames house, MI5 off the street, handing him at the top things for me because I can't get no action and that's it. So you try and get in Thames house, people, tomorrow off the street. It ain't happening. You won't get through the door, mate. She did. And they sat and had an hour's meet with a senior supervisor telling him all this. Nothing, right? But they say go to police, didn't they, MI5? So, mate, I'm trying to go to police. At the end of it, I've still got the network, right? That is the prize. While that is still available, mate, it needs to happen. It can get me out of my situation, all the rest of it, mate. And you have to engage, don't you? Mate, at this level, it's shocking. Right, so anyway, I start also going, he went Burns, he left. But he tried to get me security services, special ones, with nothing. No one would act. Right, their advice is, ring a terrorist hotline. How can I pass guns down a phone line? I complained to Met Police, right, two commissioners know about them guns. That's a fact. Right? I can't name them fact, directly involved in it, right? Got all of it. Proof, evidence, you name it, I've got it, right? I've got five chief constables directly, not indirectly through their middlemen or whatever, directly linked. Five, right? That's a fact. So, and numerous others. Now, what happened was, right, right nothing happened, obviously. <laughs> I've got the guns, right? I can't even give them in. I try everything above and beyond the call of duty. I try to go to the media, You've seen documents, things numerous times. They're writing about this stuff. I send them evidence, mate, and you hear nothing. I can show all this if need be, but I don't want to because, mate, once I've addressed this, mate, whatever happens after, if nothing happens, it's not important to me like it was before. I've got more important things, mate. Really, what needs to happen is someone like Jerry Adams needs to take all this look at it all or his intelligence people and what they could do with it influence propaganda negotiation is off the chart because he knows things that we don't know and he can get to people that we will never chance to get to right? potentially i could take it to other people but that might be classed as espionage and how you would get to them you could make an attempt like with the embassy what you've seen with them others. But, mate, how would you know if they said, yes, you're even talking to them? Could be a sting, couldn't it? Yeah. 
mate, I'm not playing games at this level. It's either over or what. I will put a complaint in. If I have to do it in public, you can all see what the level is, what comes back. Is it going to be a no further action after this? I don't know. Well, anyway, so Burns retired. He went. Now, a new MP come on here, Vicky Ford. Now, I put a bit of pressure on her, but all I wanted was confirmation like Burns, what she's seen. Now, she says here, eventually, that she has assured me that it's being considered by the highest levels of Essex Police and the Met, right? Nothing. The Met, right, shut the investigation down. I put a complaint in to their PSD about not taking the weapons since September 2014 with the crime numbers and all the rest of it. And it come back, right, this is in 2016. I got all the emails and everything else. It come back, right, no, shutting it down because it's over 12 months old. How'd the guns ever sell by date? Mate, shocking. Everything gets shut down. I can't go to media. I can't go to anyone. I'm getting more and more evidence because the more I get on all this stuff, the more it's shut down, the more I've really got. But where can I go? I can't go anywhere. Well, the last time you did a video, it got shut down within a day, didn't it? Right. Well, Bernard took his off, but my friend Craig Wood, who'd done some videos on the robbery, right, what happened was, they were only silly little 15 minutes thing, someone rung up and said they were me, Dave Corston, right, because it's about me, and YouTube took it down. So Craig contacts YouTube and says, on the thing, you never speak to anyone, on the thing, type or whatever, he says, no, here's Dave Corston's details, it's not him, he don't mind, contact him and he'll show you his ID and stuff to say it's not him and put it back up, didn't want to know. So there's people out there who don't want you getting this information out. Right. right. Look, the people here coming up YouTube and get you taken down in a nanosecond. And it end of story. So anyway, so what happened was, look, obviously now let's get back to Rettendon, right? Over the course of time, when I come out of prison, I still carried on with the plan linking the robbery to the murders. I got involved with other people who were linked to other murders, like the Dungan family and all this, and a fella called Les Borkwell. His son got murdered in Essex. It was all a big cover. I'm not going down that road, but anyway, I got involved with him and we shared a lot of information. Now, the ex-detectives were doing helping Les with the investigation for years, right? Now, I've showed them ex-detectives evidence on the same police they say they couldn't break down in his investigation, Right, and also Les was trying to prove corruption in the IPCC. Right now, I prove corruption, the IPCC being offered guns. Right now, the ex detectives know all this, they've seen evidence into the weapons, the transportation, terrorism, and all the rest of it. Right, mate, and they said they can't help. But hold on, it's the same police in the investigation you were trying to uncover. So, mate, what's going on? If you Google him, MX Detectives, since 2016, he's been spouting off on mainstream media and stuff about police corruption. I proved the corruption that you couldn't do in the Borkwell murder, and you don't do nothing. Right? Now, what happened was, in 2015, I carried on with the programme of the Retina Plan. Obviously, I'm trying everything, right? Whatever. So... I went and met their legal advisors. I showed them them intelligence reports linking that murder, saying I was around the table, well before the ex-detectives even knew about it, right? But later on, what happened was, because they were involved with Les, right, and the lawyer working for Les was working for the United Nations, who'd done the peace deal with the terrorist group who my man armed. So she would be the best person in the world to deal with me because she knows what's going on around the world, linked to me. 
Got it? So that's that. Now, Les weren't paying the bills, and her bill at the time, Les says, was £580. Now, I was prepared to pay all this. They didn't even want to know or signpost me to anyone to help. In fact, the ex-detectives come back at me, right, and said, it's a police matter, knowing full well I can't go to police. Right? End of story. So what it was, I've linked them all up, and in 2016, I give Les a file to give the ex-detectives, linking all the robbery stuff and all the rest of it. Right, so what happened was, two weeks later, he gave it back to me. I said, well, what? You know, are they going to help me or what? He said, they said, it's interesting. I said, is that it? So I forgot about it. But what they'd done, they'd taken documentation, linking the robbery to the murders. And then what happened was, this is another story. Look, in 2018, a gun got found in my bedroom, right, by accident. It got reported, right? I got arrested for it. I go down the police station, right, and I say, down there, right, your chief constable's got the serial, I can't show it, can I? There's no. the things of it, right? I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, right. So what happened was, I go down the police station, I'm arrested, right? I say, down the police station, in the cells, right, your chief constable knows about it, he's got it all, I can put it over the internet, blah, blah, blah. Right, what happens is I'm down there for five days, I'm not being interviewed, then all of a sudden, mate, they tell me I'm going to the nut house assessment right now i knew previously what i told you about with that when i got caught linked to the guns that copper when that woman complained about him in that unit she was mental illness so i knew this would be one of their weapons what i used to do every six months right i got doctor's reports i used to walk into my doctor go hello doctor me again right six monthly check not psychotic not taking drugs right not this not that here's the evidence the latest ones the pcc and chief constable's not taking guns she'd know it all down and i'd do it and i'd email it to the chief constable saying you're mentally ill mate it's ten thousand weapons one end what's going on right you're not even taking them this end so and i've got them so what happened was i went to this place called the linden center now what you do you get people with mental illness will understand this it's a section 2 28 day assessment where you're assessed to see obviously if there is something wrong with you or not now i go down there two weeks of being down there i've got no evidence i've got no access to anything no files no nothing right i can't start going on about terrorist stuff because they will think you're mad right or this agency and that agency i can't do it right so what happens is, right, I just have to sort of tell them basically about transporting, about like the, the robbery and all this sort of stuff, keeping it at things that, that ain't too heavy. So what it is, right, but obviously I'm telling them that the chief council was not taking guns, which would sound unbelievable, wouldn't it? So two weeks in, right, a unit come down at the Met called FTAC, Fixated Threat Assessment Centre, right, for a closed meeting with the doctor. Now, I was allowed to go to that meeting for five seconds. I went in there. There was a man and a woman from this unit at the Met, right? And really, they're a unit set If you pressure MPs or whatever, or like royal family, they're for that, to shut you down, basically, right? And all the rest of it. Google them. They read well, but they're not, right? They're there to sort of like discredit you, right? It's one of their weapons. So they had a closed meeting with a doctor two weeks in. I went to the meeting, and I sat there saying, why didn't they take the guns? And they look at me a bit blank, like, thank you, Dave, here you go. Now, from that point, right, when I come out of Lindsay, after 28 days, they couldn't hold me, right? But they give me a diagnosis of delusional disorder, but they released me, right? Funny enough, I got gate arrested for more ammunition, right? But then Essex police bailed me out. So I went back into the community, to my own flat, for about four or five weeks, and I went in for an interview about the gun. 
right? I give a no comment statement, right? And do you know what? That I was being dealt with by a little domestic violence team, not the head of like Essex and Kent serious crime, right? And they never even asked me the question where I got the gun from. I give a no comment statement. And I remember all I said at one point was go and ask MI5. And that was it. They never asked where I got the gun from. Right, so I got charged with it, and that's that. Then what happened was I went to jail for three months on remand. Then I went and see the doctor's psychiatrist for some sleeping tablets, right? And then he started asking me about my case. I started saying to him again about police not taking guns and this sort of thing. And it sounds unbelievable, right? People wouldn't believe it. That you confirm it, it is what it is. So can others. So that's a fact, right? And I'll show you in a minute. Please confirm it. So it's all true. So what happened was then all of a sudden I was ghosted out of Chelmsford and I went to a secure hospital. Right? It's got a fence around it called Botfield House in Wickford. Right, for assessment again. And when I got there, I suddenly realised, hold on, it's better to go through this system than it is the criminal justice system. Because they could have given me 10 years for that gun and a year for each bullet. There was 15, right, nine in the weapon. There was another gun in the drawer, but my mum must have got rid of that. It was a 32 revolver, right? I don't think it would have made much difference. One or two, ten, whatever, right? Obviously, that's that. So, again, I was never allowed to bring up much, right, and all the rest of it. But, mate, what it was... I can read your letter here, hold on. That my mum wrote, obviously, FTAC, right, were formed by the Office of Security and Counterterrorism. Right, I've got evidence here, right, at the end of it. I've got evidence, right, FTAC should never have been involved. Here. Right, let's have a look. Uh, right. This is my report, right, psychiatric report at the end of the day. Now, FTAC were formed by the Office of Security and Counterterrorism, right? Remember that. In 2016, the Director General of the Office of Security and Counterterrorism was contacted by me and my mum. Listen to what my mum wrote. Dear Mr. Hurd, I'm writing to you, directing the belief that as a responsible and professional person, you will take action to the evidence provided in relation to the illegal supply of guns, D-I-U-G-S, and other serious and life-threatening activities that can endanger innocent members of the public. I know my son, David, on legal advice, provided authentic evidence to Essex Police and other agencies. To date, apart from a couple of very short emails, he has not had any substantive response. I am fully aware of David's past history and police did act on the information he gave them, but on this occasion I do believe that information he has shared with Essex Police is not being taken seriously. I feel sure that if, like me, you are aware of such alarming concerns involving the safety of everyone as a professional, you will take immediate action by ensuring early contact with us to discuss the above. Right, my mum. Then I wrote one to him as well and all the rest of it. Right, detailing everything, sent him a file. He had the guns, right, that police wouldn't take. Head of the Office of Security and Counterterrorism, who formed FTAC, right, who were now involved, right, with me, with the mental health to silence me. Right, look, it come back from him, look, hold on, we can't intervene and all that. Look, ring up the anti-terrorist hotline or fill in a form. Mate, you can't make it up. Right? Yeah, look, he's covering up murder investigations. Right? That's a fact, look. That's in the paper. So, look, what it is, is this. This is what police confirm, right, is in them files. Now, it was looked at three days later. They found the gun. Three days later, they went back and seized computers, laptops, phones, the files. Right? They didn't get all of them. There were some under my dad's bed. It was in the briefcase and another lot they didn't get. But what it was, let me tell you a story. 
in around 2015, right, I knew what was going on here. So I put a file together and I handed it to military, right, intelligence, OSI military intelligence, UASF, right, Laganeef. Now, while that briefcase was handed in, right, after a week, I knew what was going to happen. They're going to ignore it, and they? So what I'd done, I went down Boots of Chemist with a SIM card and had the firearms photos on it. So I left it in Boots, right, for an hour. I rang up Boots, I said, hello, I've left the SIM card down there. Knowing full well they're going to look on it. So anyway, they said, yeah, come and collect it. I said, I'll be down in a quarter of an hour. I went back down and knowing full well it was going to be there. Police, right? Well, anyway, I get arrested, taken to the police station, and bless them, my mum and dad's house, that was the first time it got spun for guns, the second time was when they found one, right, obviously. So the first time, mate, just on photographs, an inspector at Essex Police has made the right decision, search the house for guns. So my mum and dad's house gets turned over. But hold on, I've passed a briefcase over to military intelligence. What's in the briefcase? The guns is about 1%, right? You can't ignore what's in the case, right? So I've shown you at this end on photographs, the photographs are in the case along with a thousand times more, right, mate? Two weeks later, mate, they tell me to come and pick it back up, right? Military intelligence. They said they were contacted. They don't want to talk to you. You know who they are, isn't it? CIA. <laughs> or cunts in action, as I call them, right? That's that. So you've reacted on the photographs, and you ain't done nothing about that. And she says, I've got it all recorded and logged. The investigator, Michelle, OSI, military intelligence, says, mate, they called out Suffolk Police to look at it, who covered it all up before. Suffolk Police come and looked at it. Mate, there's names of contractors, terrorist operations, and all sorts. Mate, and they walked away from it. Yet down here on photographs, they've acted. And the CIA, gotcha. CIA shut it down. Mate, shut it down. You say you want him, mate. Gotcha. Shows where the top is right there. Mate, unbelievable. Anyway, listen to this. This is what's in the files by police. Right, listen to this one. So they go and seize all the documents, the SIM cards, laptops, three days later. They're told to look for it. This is what the copper says. Now, one says there's seven files. One says there's nine, right? So he says here, Blah, 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 documents, exhibits, and all the rest. Right, he looking through and began to examine its contents for material relating to criminal activity and or communications with a particular consideration of themes of terrorism, political conspiracies, what's he on about, and firearms. Right, so they're looking through it. But they know, looking through the documents I identified, he says seven large ring binder folders, right, seven the documentation in the bag related overall to several key topics. My 32-hour siege, as well as a large amount of correspondence between constant and a multitude of officials in high-ranking government positions and police forces within the UK. These records related to Corson self-proclaimed. I love the way they were self-proclaimed. Mate, they're running operations. I've got details into it all. How's it self-proclaimed? I'm making it up, you idiot. Right, self-proclaimed knowledge of organised criminal activity, the illegal DIUD trade, murder investigations, police scandals and global conspiracies. There was also frequent reference to Corson's possession of firearms and his repeated attempts to invite police officials to seize his personal guns. That's police saying it. Right? Corson made several references to criminal cases with a terrorist name, Blur, as well as information relating to his son thing considering elements of this material to be of material significance to the case, right? I 
refers specific patient documents to the OIC in charge, right? There was never no documents in my thing, nothing, right? Then the next copper says, another one looks at it, he says there are nine files. One says seven, one says nine. Can't I count Essex, please? There was nine, two are missing, right? These contain news reports, plans, correspondence between police forces and intelligence agencies, social service records, sensitive material, photographs and information slash intelligence surrounding terrorism, deaths, murders, drugs and organised crime. Please confirm it. Now, FTAC, the ones who section me, look, this is my final report, right, for court. Right. FTAC, right. In the document above, Dr. Hallett, who works at Botfield House Secure Services, higher training for makes reference to FTAC, the Fixed Threat Assessment Centre, who were formed by the Office of Security Counterterrorism, who were informed in 2016, right? They formed FTAC, stating that Mr. Corson was originally referred to the service by the Met Police, who shut the investigation down as he was sending emails to House of Commons, which were causing concern. Yeah. The minute I send photos of guns to number 10, two months before they found it, right, then you're getting concerned. Why are FTAC coming in two months before when I do that? Why are they not coming in years before? Right, with the units, the Home Office who formed them. You know what I mean? So that's that. Right, he described the following comments made by Catherine McFazlin, a forensic psychiatric nurse at FTAC. So this is her saying it. Mr. David Corson was referred to FTAC in December 2017. Bearing in mind, I got caught with a gun in February 2018. So two months before they become involved, when I'm sending guns to number 10, right? As he was sending emails to House of Commons, which were causing some concern, <laughs> right? Mr. Corson was suddenly found to be contacting Essex Police Force and government agencies by email, telephone, handwritten correspondence. Some was written because I didn't want it on my laptop. FTAC assessed the selection of the correspondence and found that Mr. Corson was not fixated on any protected personal site and as such did not meet FTAC's criteria for case management. I shouldn't have even been involved with them. Why are they even involved today? It's a joke, isn't it? This is all ongoing. Mate, they're still there. <laughs> it's still ongoing. Right. Oh I've had no Dean's room or nothing, right? Obviously, look, to protect me, to protect myself, you can call me as mad as you want. Am I making it up? It's police confirming it. Right. What do you make of this? It's even crazier than I thought when I introduced it. It's I, mad. I think the viewers probably think the same. Mate, CIA. You're the most per you've got your perseverance is off the scale. I would have quit many years ago. You've had every door shoved in Man. your face. Look, people need to see, share this with as many police out there. This is what's going to happen. I'll make, try and make contact with Sinn Féin to get one of their people to look at this. Mate, to do some good out of it, to make change at the top, right? Things can be done. I can't do it, right? But the likes of someone like Adams with his power and influence, get them doing it. Not only is it huge propaganda value, because obviously look who Jerry Adams was meant to be. He's telling the Home Office, Amber Rudd, to deal with me on terrorism. Isn't it, right? How mad is that? So at the end of the day, they've got the power, the negotiating skills, that he can pick up a phone to the president of him or him. I can't. Where can I go with it? I've got so much, I can't go anywhere. I don't know what would have happened at the end of the day had this have carried on. I think I'd have just had to have swallowed it. I could go nowhere. Yet I've got so much. It just, mate, it, it would have driven you insane. 
And just to recap for the viewers then, because we've had to be a bit cryptic with our language. So this was all rooted in Dave meeting the woman who was hooked on the brown and he wanted to expose that. Yeah, yeah. And then he found out that it was the top level people in the world running this stuff. And he also came across a ring of adults who harm kids. So it was all rooted in these humanitarian goals. But his attempts have been thwarted and frustrated over and over and over and over again. And for the people who are watching this, Dave, like, you know, people could obviously click on your links and go to yeah, the, yeah. the website, Real Essex Boys uh, Murders Group on Facebook and et cetera. But what, what, what kind of, like, help are you looking for people who, who are watching this? Right, look, really, look, the end here, I'll, I've done some notes. Let me just give you a thing of that phone, right? Look, they seized my phones, right, just quickly. Yeah. Right, one phone here. Look, this and this. Every drug and war zone on the planet. Argentina, unknown network. Brazil, Algar, Brazil, 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 Chile, Colombia, Czech Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, unknown network. Germany, Germany, Guatemala, Ireland, Mexico, unknown network. Nicaragua, Nicaragua, Panama, unknown network. Peru, unknown network. Slovakia, Spain, Uruguay, unknown network. Venezuela, unknown network. Angola, unknown network. Bosnia and Herzegovina, I can't even spell that one. Botswana, and it. Camero, Cameroon, Faroe Islands, unknown country, unknown network. Jordan. Uruguay, Kenya, Seychelles, Argentina, Unknown Network, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Czech Republic, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on and on. What am I making it up then? Dave, don't you think that these people might take you out if you keep pushing it? Getting this out is one thing. Look, I'm not going to make any trouble for any law enforcement out there. What's done is done. It's a message to them is this. Look, I'm trying to be responsible. I'll give the message across. Don't get involved with drugs. Don't get involved with guns. Do not do it. Get an education and a job. But it's tough out there. This is by design, right? Like I say, right? 3% of the borders increase the property 10 times, right? Anyone can look on this. This is what they're telling you, right? I prove it. Big difference. Now, look, my situation now, I enjoy life. I don't need this thing. I don't think about it. I was driven before during the siege. I'm not driven now. I've got my daughter. I've got other focuses on my life. I'm grateful for what I've got. Obviously, I've gone for villas, mansions, millions of pounds to nothing. But I'm grateful for what I've got. I've got a close circle of friends. I don't have it with criminals. I don't want to be around that mentality. Well, I'm happy in my life and content. I'm not stressed. I'm not thing. I'm under no medication. I'm under no mental health orders. Nothing. I'm as sane as anyone. It is what it is. That I believe this is what the ending could be, is this. Look, I think, look, really, someone needs to come forward to negotiate from law enforcement, or I'll expose it forever. I don't want to do that. There are police out there in positions today linked to this in very high positions. Mate, at the end of the day, if... Mate, they're going to have to be seen, if it gets out to the public, to do the right thing. And the right thing to is engage. But how can they say that it never happened? All of it. Mate, it's so big, it would take forever and cost whatever. Now, I could go back to the now IOPCC and show them, I offered their number one and two, and head of intelligence, weapons. 
that the police wouldn't take. Mate, I've got all the documents, all that, every investigation shut down. All the time and the effort, all the gears and that. Think how much heroin I could have stopped since 2007. Again, I'm not an informant. As you see, I was a potential asset. I should have been accelerated into the programme and that's it. And no one should have known nothing about this. This is not the way it should work. And anyone who comes across a ring of adults who's harming kids should go immediately to the police. That's not snitching. That's what the police should be doing is going after people who harm women or kids. So we salute you for trying to push that through. Mate, thank you. But obviously, look, where it goes, I'm no risk to anyone, mate. That siege would never happen again. I'm not violent. I'm not a persistent offender and all the rest of it. Yet you say I'm a lone wolf terrorist, isn't it? Mate, I just don't know. I am what I am. I'm kind. I'm respectful for people. I don't cause trouble. I don't make trouble. I'm getting on with my life. I'm under Mental Health Banner. And thank you to my team, obviously, and Mental Health Services, because people who really are mentally ill, they come out and you get support and help. And this is good. But resources are hard out there. Look, in every agency, people are scared to speak up. Even the middle of the police who have seen this and know it's wrong, mate, are too scared to say, what can they do? And this is the same in every agency agency today. They've created a climate of fear in the NHS, anywhere you work. People are scared to stand up because it will come back like me and bite you on the arse. Toe the line or else you lose your pension, you lose this, your promotions, everything. Yeah. So let us know in the comments what you thought about this. I mean... He's in his own siege and he goes to sleep. That's one of the craziest things I've ever heard on a podcast. Huge thank you to Joe and James for doing yeah, all this o- overtime. Yeah, overtime today, it's been a very yeah. long one. Yeah. Do, do either of you guys have any questions uh, for Dave before we wrap it up? <laughs> any questions, James, for Dave? <laughs> I haven't got any. <laughs> Dave's links will be in the description box. So yeah. Go down. Yeah, any single women out there? <laughs> yeah, I'm up for a date, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, cheers. Wow. Thanks for watching. Let us know in the comments what you think. Cheers. Chet Sandu's book is finally available worldwide on Amazon. He's one of our most viral podcast guests ever. The book is called Self-Made, Juice Paid, An Asian Kid Who Became an International Drug-Smuggling Gangster. Do you want to read some of the back, Jen? Yeah, go the blurb. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Interesting. Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crimes underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press. Incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a super maximum security wing. He had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking and high state power plays. Good bedtime read. In self-made Jews paid learn how a British born Asian kid with disabilities raised in a corner shop, emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry. Did you know that he dated Kylie Minogue and Naomi Campbell? (laughs) Latest interview. Working the doors and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated 
If you enjoyed Chet's podcast series with us, there's a lot more detail in the book. Check it out. Worldwide on Amazon, ebook, paperback, and audiobook. I kill you! I yeah! A knife and a caution, all that, like. Yeah! And he's looking at me, and we went white, and there he's gone, like. <laughs> <laughs> What is it about a tough guy that fascinates us? Imagine I'm hearing that, I'm thinking I'm not going down today. If I go down today, yeah, I'm dead. We're bringing you the very best of our interviews with Britain's hardest men. They made the mistake of bringing billy cubs, iron bars and knives to a gunfight. No rules fighter bash, Stephen the Devil French and my best friend, Wild Man. Over two hours of terrifying tales of punch-ups, stabbings. That's what happens in that world. You, you leave people long enough, they get enough rope chain themselves. Attempted murders and exceptional all-round hardness. <laughs>